Chapter One of the Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume. Chapter One A Mysterious Mission. From the main thoroughfare of Bayswater, where the shops display their goods and the tides of life run strongly, Crook Street extends its long line of ugly dwellings to a considerable distance. Its shape suggests a shepherd's crook, hence undoubtedly the name, as it finally terminates in a curved cul-de-sac, the end of which is blocked by number 111. This is an imposing, if somewhat dilapidated, mansion, standing in its own limited grounds, which are surrounded by a high, crumbling wall of brick, more or less overgrown with grimy ivy. There is a small front garden, planted with stunted shrubs, a narrow passage on either side of the house, screened midway by green-painted trellis-work, and, at the back, a worn-out lawn, dominated by a funereal cedar. Beneath this, through rain and sunshine, is a rustic table and a rustic seat, where the boarders have afternoon tea in summertime. Everywhere there is a feeling of dampness. The mansion is of Georgian architecture, square and heavy, greatly in need of a coat of paint, which it has not received for years. With its discolored surface, once white, its cheap stucco scaling off in leprous patches, its trails of moss and soot never to be washed off by any rain, however violent, it looks a tumble-down, ruinous sort of dwelling. Or, as an imaginative boarder once suggested, it is like a derelict hulk, stranded in a stagnant backwater of life's mighty river it is certainly doleful and infinitely dreary only securing inhabitants by reason of the unusually cheap board and lodging to be obtained under its weather-worn roof mrs sellers who rented this sad suburban dwelling euphoniously called it the home of art and in a seductive advertisement invited any male or female connected with music literature painting poetry and more particularly with the drama to enjoy the refinements of an aesthetic abode at the moderate cost of twenty shillings a week inclusive as the house was shabbily comfortable and its mistress was a retired actress of cheery manners still indirectly connected with the stage the bedrooms of the home of art were generally occupied by youths and maidens ambitious of renown there were very few really old people as mrs sellers although elderly herself did not care for the aged who had no future but loved to gather the young and aspiring round her hospitable table and that same table truly deserved the kindly term for the slatternly good-natured woman supplied far better food in larger quantities than the rate of payment allowed. Indeed, it is questionable if Mrs. Sellers made any profit whatsoever, as nearly all the boarders were juvenile and hungry. But what they paid, together with the landlady's small private income, kept things going in a happy-go-lucky fashion, which was all that was necessary. The children, as Mrs. Sellers called her boarders, adored Ma, as the boarders called mrs sellers and with good reason for she gave one and all largely what money could not buy she advised she sympathized she nursed she scolded and to her the children came with their troubles great and small for aid and consolation 
it was no wonder that with such a blessed helper of humanity the ruinous old suburban boarding-house was usually filled to its greatest capacity but full as the home of art was last november on one night of that foggy month it was empty from seven o'clock until midnight of all the boarders a third-floor lodger the lean youth with bright and bird-like eyes had not only written a play which ma pronounced magnificent but the same was to be produced on this very evening at a suburban theatre of course this was a red-letter day or rather night at the home of art and equally of course mrs sellers led forth her children to occupy boxes and stalls and pit and dress circle on the great occasion by her advice the friends of the playwright were thus fairly distributed throughout the house so that they might applaud vehemently at the right moment and stir up the public to enthusiasm even the cook and the parlour-maid the housemaid and a decayed butler who had fallen through drink from mayfair to bayswater put on their best clothes and departed for the night's entertainment already the supper and a very good supper too was laid out in the shabby dining-room and would be eaten at midnight by the boarders when they returned with ma and the successful playwright and assuredly he would be successful no one had any doubt on that point for mrs sellers had long since infected all her lodgers with her constant optimism with ma as the head of the house the atmosphere could scarcely fail to be cheerful even debts duns difficulties disappointments and suspense could not and never did damp the hopeful spirits of the little community and ma with her unfailing good humour and helpful nature was responsible for this happy state of affairs when the occupants of the home of art departed for the curtain theatre two people remaining behind had the entire house to themselves one was mrs pentreddle who had sprained her ankle on the previous day and could not leave the sofa on which she lay in the drawing-room with any degree of comfort and the other was patricia carroll the out-of-work irish governess who had arranged to stop and look after the old lady and mrs pentreddle was really old being not far short of sixty she was the landlady's sister who had come up from devonshire on a visit six days before the exodus to the theatre a tall gaunt grim woman wholly unlike mrs sellers in looks and disposition no one would have believed the two women to be sisters had not the relationship been vouched for by ma herself martha never was like me said mrs sellers when her boarders commented on the dissimilarity always as heavy as i was light comedy and tragedy our pa called us in the old days not that martha ever had any turn for the stage it was only pa's way of talking martha's a killjoy poor dear as her late husband was drowned at sea and her only child's a sailor also who likewise may find his grave in the vast and wandering deep she's housekeeper to squire colpster of beckley in devonshire and knows more about managing servants than i've ever forgotten and as usual she finished with her jolly laugh mrs pentreddle certainly was no favourite with the boarders as her lean and anxious wrinkled and pallid face her hard black eyes and melancholy dark garments impressed them unpleasantly 
she spoke very little but constantly maintained a watchful attitude as though she was expecting something to happen or someone to tap her on her shoulder as a rule she kept to mrs sellers private sitting-room which pleased everyone as the dour woman was such a wet blanket but on the night of the play she insisted upon being carried down to the drawing-room in spite of the sprained ankle which should have kept her in bed mrs sellers remonstrated but the sister from devonshire had her own way saying that the first floor was preferable to the second as it was less dismal and more comfortable one would think that martha expected something to happen said cheerful mrs sellers when she set out for the theatre with her train and was afraid to be too far away from the nearest policeman this remark was afterwards remembered when something did happen as emblematic of ma's prophetic powers the drawing-room was a large apartment with a fireplace at one end and a door leading from the hall at the other one side was taken up by the windows heavily curtained and the other by large folding doors usually closed which gave admission to the dining-room outside a narrow iron-railed balcony ran in front of the three windows from the entrance door to the corner of the house and below this was the basement within the room was fairly comfortable in a shabby slatternly sort of way although overcrowded with furniture of the albert period which had been picked up at various sales indeed the entire room was furnished with the flotsam and jetsam of auction-room derelicts of prosperous days in the drawing-room were rep-covered chairs two horsehair sofas several round tables each poised on its shaky leg fender stools berlin wool screens a glittering glass chandelier and on either side of the handsome marble timepiece which stood on the mantel-shelf antique green ornaments with dangling prisms of glass the walls were covered with faded scarlet flock paper the floor with a worn red carpet bestrewn with bunches of poppies mingled with wheat ears and the three windows were draped with stained ragged crimson curtains of rich brocade mrs sellers was very proud of those gorgeous curtains but they were distinctly out of date a matter of indifference to those who occupied the home of art in spite of its name one of the horsehair sofas had been drawn to the fire and mrs pentreddle lay thereon with her hard black eyes fixed on the leaping flames outside the night was chilly and damp the air was thick with fog and even in the drawing-room could be heard the dripping of water from the ivy clothing the surrounding wall in spite of its being in london the house was markedly isolated and only occasionally did a policeman venture down the curved cul-de-sac but within all was shabbily warm and comfortable and mrs pentreddle's grim face relaxed into more pleasant lines nothing could be heard but the dripping of the water the ticking of the clock and the occasional fall of a morsel of coal from the gate but shortly the almost silence became oppressive and mrs pentreddle spoke in her harsh voice it's very kind of you to stay with me miss carroll she said glancing sideways at her companion few young ladies would do that when a theatre treat is offered to them the girl addressed raised her eyes from an evening paper which she had been reading and smiled 
patricia carroll's smile was delightful and displayed such white teeth that her beauty was enhanced but even when her face was in repose she looked an extremely pretty girl and was one of those richly coloured irish brunettes who remind the observer of a peach ripening against a mellow brick wall her hair was bluish black of a wavy quality which lent itself admirably to the style of coiffure which she affected and her eyes were sea-blue of that wonderful irish tint which goes so well with dark tresses her admirable figure was clothed plainly but tastefully in a prussian blue serge dress perfectly cut and worn with a charming natural grace her hands and feet were slim and aristocratic and her whole air was one of repose and good breeding she was a flower of civilization and should have bloomed amidst more fitting surroundings than the shabby drawing-room could afford yet she was only a poor little governess seeking for employment and even when mrs pentreddle spoke to her she had been searching the columns of the newspaper in the hope of finding a situation oh i am very pleased to stay with you mrs pentreddle she said with her charming smile i have too many troubles to care about going to a play i would only take them with me and then would scarcely enjoy the performance that is true replied the elder woman examining the girl closely and yet you should have no troubles at your age and with your looks patricia coloured and shook her head my looks are really against me she said somewhat sadly ladies don't like to engage me on that account if i were ugly and old i should be better able to get what i want what do you want miss carroll asked mrs pentreddle abruptly fifty pounds a year as a nursery governess if i can get it replied the girl promptly or even thirty so long as i can get a situation if it were not for dear kind mrs Southers, i don't think i could hold out she's an angel and lets me stay here for ten shillings a week until i can get something to do bless her how did you come to this asked mrs pentreddle still abruptly miss carroll coloured for she did not like to whimper about her misfortunes to strangers it's a long story she said evasively all you need to know is that my father was a colonel in the army and that when he died his pension ceased and i was left penniless but i have had a good education and i hope to get a situation as a governess won't your friends assist you i have no friends said the girl simply when i left the world i was brought up in i left my friends for ever i don't think so you will go back to them some day said mrs pentreddle encouragingly although the expression of her iron face did not soften but meanwhile if you wish to earn a five-pound note she hesitated the newspaper slipped from patricia's lap to the ground and she looked surprised i don't understand if you will do an errand for me i will give you five pounds oh i can do an errand for you without taking money i don't ask you to this is a rather dangerous errand but i think you are brave and i know that you are hard up patricia interrupted i have enough money to go on with she said flushing at ten shillings a week retorted mrs pentreddle unpleasantly well please yourself she turned over on the sofa i have given you the chance 
miss carroll thought hard during the silence which ensued certainly in her pauper condition five pounds would be a godsend and as she had determined to lay aside all pride when she gave up the position to which her birth entitled her she considered that she might as well take what she could get at this difficult stage of her fortunes for five pounds she would do much but is the errand an honest one she asked suddenly with a catch in her voice the thought had just struck her perfectly honest said mrs pentreddle coldly what is there about me that you should think me capable of asking you to do something wrong nothing at all confessed miss carroll frankly but if you wish me to go on a mysterious errand it is only natural that i should desire to hear everything about it mrs pentreddle carefully lowered her injured foot to the ground and sitting up very straight folded two thin hands on her lap you shall hear said she quietly only i must request you to keep your own counsel patricia nodded that goes without the saying was her answer and she again wondered if the five pounds could be earned honestly i came up to london to go on this errand myself explained the old lady slowly but the sprain has prevented my keeping an appointment which must be kept to-night as the matter is important i am willing to pay you the money on your return with it it what is it a small deal box you can easily carry in your hand a man will give it to you if you will stand at nine o'clock by the right-hand corner of that bridge which crosses the serpentine on this side remember before you cross the bridge nine o'clock and you must hold this she fished among the cushions of the sofa and produced a small bull's-eye lantern the glass of which was pasted over with red paper this is the signal the signal echoed miss carroll rather nervously for all this mystery did indeed hint at something criminal oh you needn't turn so white said mrs pentreddle scornfully what i ask you to do is perfectly straightforward there is nothing wrong about it patricia still hesitated vaguely afraid to be implicated in such unusual doings if you will explain further mrs pentreddle there is nothing more need to be explained just now interrupted the other woman imperiously when you return with the box you shall know all what i am requesting you to do can harm no one but can benefit someone yourself no that is in a way perhaps but you can judge for yourself when i am able to tell you my reason that will be when you return if five pounds is not sufficient i can give you ten although i can ill afford it i am satisfied with five said patricia quickly and flushing again for even in her poverty she shrank from taking money i don't like mysteries and only accept your offer as i need money very badly but for all the wealth in the world i would not go if i thought that there was anything wrong and she looked searchingly at her companion how many times do you need me to assure you that there is nothing wrong said mrs pentreddle impatiently you are singularly suspicious for a girl of your years all that is necessary is for you to receive this tiny box from the man who will hand it to you how shall i know the man 
there is no need for you to know him at all the red light of the lantern will assure him that you are the person who is to receive the box well miss carroll rose nervously and ran her fingers through her hair as she walked up and down the long room her instinct told her to refuse a mission about which she knew so little but the prospect of earning five pounds in this easy manner was so alluring that she could not find it in her heart to decline after all mrs pentreddle was the sister of the woman who had been and was so kind to her and in every way appeared to be an almost aggressively respectable person it was worth risking she thought and at this moment as though to clinch the matter mrs pentreddle's voice broke in on her uneasy meditations i can't wait much longer said the old woman if you won't do what i ask perhaps you will telephone to the nearest office asking that a messenger boy may be sent to get what i want it will certainly be cheaper this proposal banished patricia's last scruple as if a messenger boy could be employed the errand mysterious as it seemed could not have anything to do with criminal matters miss carroll picked up the lantern with its faked red glass i shall go at once she declared hurriedly for now she feared lest she should lose the money but who will attend to your foot while i am away mrs pentreddle i can stay here as i am doing rest is the sole thing which can cure my sprain you will only be away an hour more or less it is a quarter past eight now and the distance to the serpentine bridge is not far nine o'clock is the hour you know exactly what you have to do and she repeated her instructions to which the girl listened carefully i am to show the red light standing on this side of the serpentine at the right-hand corner of the bridge she said slowly to be sure that she knew what she had to do i understand what shall i say to the man nothing he will simply place a box in your hand and walk away all you have to do is to bring the box to me and then you shall know all about the matter which strikes you as being so strange don't lose any time please indeed there was no time to be lost as it would take patricia some minutes to get her out-of-door things on she ran up the stairs and assumed boots in place of slippers a heavy cloak as the night was damp a plain cloth toque and gloves she then took her umbrella in one hand the lantern unlighted in the other and descended to say a few last words to mrs pentreddle or rather to hear them for the old lady gave her no opportunity of speaking for such a grim unemotional woman mrs pentreddle seemed quite excited although she tried to keep herself calm but a vivid spot of red was certainly showing itself on either pale cheek show the red light and wait in silence she directed do nothing more and say nothing at all then when you receive the box come back with it at once to me you thoroughly understand i thoroughly understand i am glad finally let me assure you once more that, that there is nothing dishonest or even wrong about the errand i am sending you on there was nothing more to be said and patricia departed when she closed the front door of the home of art and found herself in the street she became aware that the night was damp and dense with fog the gaslights however shone blurred and vague through the white mists so there was no need for her to use the lantern no one was about not even a policeman 
in the curve of the cul-de-sac at all events but when she passed into the straight line of crook street she almost fell into the arms of a constable who was standing under a lamp patricia paused to ask a question will the fog get worse officer i think it will miss said the man touching his helmet and bending to look at her face i should advise you not to go far i am only going to the park to see a friend answered miss carroll heedlessly and then remembering that it was a complete stranger whom she had to see and one to whom she was not even to speak she regretted having been so doubtfully truthful what is the time she asked to cover her confusion half past eight o'clock miss said the constable consulting a fat silver watch best go home again miss you might get lost in this fog and in the park there are some rough characters about oh i am all right thank you said patricia with a bright smile and passed along all the same she now began to feel uncomfortable and to realize that hyde park on a foggy november night was not exactly the place for a young lady only the desire to earn the coveted five pounds nerved her to do that which she had agreed to do crook street is not far from the main entrance to the park on the bayswater side and as the fog grew thin further on patricia found herself speedily on the broad path which leads directly to the serpentine bridge she knew this portion of the park extremely well as having much time on her hands she frequently wandered about the grassy spaces on idle afternoons there were few people about as the night was so disagreeable and those she saw moved swiftly past her occasionally she caught a glimpse of vague forms under the trees but she never looked closely at these night prowlers but keeping in the middle of the path moved steadily to her destination at last she came to the bridge and took up her station at the right-hand corner on this near side having come to the end of her journey she lighted the lantern across the water the broad bridge stretched weirdly vanishing into the fog which here grew denser like the bridge of life and the vision of mirza patricia had read addison's fantastic story in some school-book and it was suggested to her again by the sight before her people came out of the mist and disappeared into it again some passed unconscious of the quiet figure at the corner while others peered into her face but no one addressed her much to her relief and the ruddy light of her lantern shone like an angry star then the expected happened in one moment and quite without preparation a man came swiftly over the bridge so swiftly that it might have been said that he was running she had no time to see what he was like in looks or how he was dressed before he got sight of the red light and stopped for one moment to thrust a small box into her hand then he darted away to the left and disappeared along the bank on the bayswater side that was all End of chapter one Chapter two of the Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume This Librivox recording is in the public domain reading by Matt Perard Chapter two What happened For some moments Patricia stood still with a box in her hand and stared into the gloomy fog behind which the man was retreating another man passed her swiftly as if in pursuit of the first 
but halted for one single moment to look at her she was an indistinct figure in the misty air but she could feel that his eyes were piercing her through and through a few seconds later and he disappeared also but whither he went she could not tell the whole oddity of the episode startled her although much that had taken place had been anticipated and described by mrs pentreddle as the name flashed across miss carroll's brain she remembered that she had yet to complete her mission by taking back the box to the old lady almost mechanically and with the lantern still burning she began to retrace her steps in the direction of bayswater the fog was growing denser but by her knowledge of the path and the feel of the hard gravel under her feet she was enabled to avoid getting lost a sudden sense of weariness which no doubt came from the slackening of her nervous tension overcame her and she was glad to sink down on the first bench she came to this was near a gas lamp and in the blurred circle of light she felt safe from the attentions of any night bird then a strange thing happened it was a sensation and nothing more one connected with the small box she held so tightly clasped in her hand as she gripped it she felt with her sixth sense no doubt that waves of force were radiating from its interior patricia's body being celtic was strung with extraordinarily delicate nerves and by these she was made aware of many influences which passed by less highly organized mortals nine human beings out of ten would not have felt the radiating influence of whatever was contained in the box but she did and as wave after wave extended outward she felt as though some invisible force was driving back invisible evil the nervous fears she had hitherto felt and no wonder considering the hour and the place and the mission vanished entirely and she smiled to think that anything could ever have frightened her a warm light felt rather than seen seemed to envelop her and within its charmed circle no evil could come had a robber attacked her had an earthquake happened had a storm of thunder and lightning devastated the air she would not have felt the least fear the regular waves of this strange force passed ever outward repelling all harm all fear her body thrilled to the pulsations it was as though some unseen being was draping her in his mantle of power naturally she connected these weird manifestations with the box and that with mrs pentreddle how came it she asked herself that so commonplace a woman should be connected with so extraordinary an object and then she recollected that she had not set eyes on the object whatever it might be yet to do so she had only to look into the box opening the shutter of the lantern in which the glass was set so that she could see by the natural light and not by the red glare she examined the box it was a common deal case very small and very roughly made with the lid held down by a thin wire in fact it was only one of those boxes furnished by shopkeepers to customers so that delicate goods china glass and such like might be carried away without danger of breakage it was not even swathed in paper or bound with string it seemed strange that if what the box contained were valuable or dangerous more precautions had not been taken in rendering its contents safe then again the man who had delivered it in so odd a way had been overcome with fear 
patricia guessed that when she remembered his laboured breathing the backward glance he had thrown over his shoulder and the hurried way in which he had made off after thrusting the box into her hand finally there was no doubt that the other man who had halted for the moment was in pursuit patricia looked up when she arrived at this point of her meditations but could see no one although she heard some footsteps dying away and others approaching on the hard gravel and all the time she was considering things the waves of power still continued to radiate as they had banished her fears they had also stimulated her limbs and she no longer felt weary this being the case she half rose to return to the home of art since there was no longer any reason for delay but being a woman she was curious and desired to see what it was that produced these queer sensations and indeed a less inquisitive person would have also acted as she now did for it is the desire of all to learn the why and the wherefore of the unknown almost without thinking and certainly without consideration patricia untwisted the wire and peered into the depths of the box in the vivid light of the lamp a green radiance flashed upward and outward and she uttered an exclamation of surprise and delight she would scarcely have been a woman had she not done so at the bottom of the tiny box and as if it had been hastily thrown in was a jewel the like of which she had never set eyes upon with a gasp of pleasure she took it in her hand never casting a thought to the danger of that public examination at that dark hour in that lonely locality she might easily have been robbed and rendered insensible by a blow as she sat there spellbound gazing at the brilliant object which just covered the palm of her gloved hand a more lovely thing she had never seen the luminous green poured from the heart of a large emerald perfectly cut and polished it formed the centre of a flower the petals of which were cut out of some hard dull green stone with exquisite art as the girl stared entirely fascinated by the sight she became aware that the whole lovely jewel represented a chrysanthemum blossom of which the emerald was the central glory from this radiated the regular petals of the blossom layer upon layer in perfect circles until the outward round extended in delicate points to all quarters of the compass like the corona of the sun and as this wonderful object lay on her open hand patricia felt still more strongly the waves of invisible force which radiated therefrom it was as if some glorious power was welling up from the depths of the emerald to stream off from every carved petal it was no wonder that she stared half hypnotized by the marvel suddenly even a stranger thing happened in a single moment as it seemed the force appeared to falter and weaken the light which she felt was around her died away and the darkness of the night closed in with uncomfortable swiftness the radiance vanished from the jewel and with a rush all her fears came back as though some magic no longer kept them at bay she felt no sensation at all in the carved chrysanthemum she saw no glory no charm it was simply a beautiful ornament and nothing more just as she realized this with a murmur of dismay someone suddenly leapt lightly forward and snatched the jewel from her hand 
before she could rise to her feet the robber disappeared into the mist running as delicately and swiftly as a startled cat the terrified girl was left alone in the fog with the empty box for a single moment she remained stunned and motionless and then leaving lantern and umbrella and empty box behind she started to run wildly after the thief vaguely guessing the direction he had taken in a few minutes she had completely lost herself amongst the trees and then became aware with a shock of fear that she had left the path for the grassy spaces of the park there was no sign of the robber peer as she might here there and everywhere into the surrounding gloom and she sank down on the wet sward under a dripping tree to weep with shame at the failure of her mission she had betrayed her trust she had lost the treasure how could she face mrs pentreddle without that which she had been sent to fetch but for her curiosity in opening the box the valuable jewel would not have been stolen some thief of the night must have seen her examining its beauty by lantern-light and forthwith had secured it for his own or it might be and this was a second thought the man who had followed the other the man who had paused to look at her piercing the darkness with cat-like vision was the thief in that case there might be a chance of recovering the jewel as mrs pentreddle might know the name of the person who desired her property but was it mrs pentreddle's property and if it was why should it have been delivered in so mysterious a fashion and why should the first man have been afraid of the second man who pursued him finally presuming that the pursuer had snatched the ornament from her hand why should he have done so patricia's head buzzed with these questions and she sat on the watery grass almost weeping at her inability to answer any one of them the position was terrible she had lost the jewel and the five pounds also as mrs pentreddle certainly would not pay her the money but this was not the time for weeping nor was patricia carroll a very tearful person the only thing to be done was to return to mrs pentreddle and make a clean breast of the whole occurrence the old lady might know how to deal with the matter seeing that there was some strange tale connected with the deal box and its contents of which patricia was unaware such knowledge would probably enable mrs pentreddle to take steps for the recovery of her property the police would be called in and but here the girl paused would the police be called in considering the mystery of the whole affair patricia on swift reflection thought not but she thought here her patience gave way and she rose hastily unable to put up further with the torment of her vexed brain the most obvious thing to be done was to see mrs pentreddle at once and explain there was no other course open to her but the girl's nerves quivered at the thought of the very unpleasant quarter of an hour she would probably have however it was no use being a coward and she stumbled as quickly as she could towards the broad path anxious to reach the bench upon which she had left her umbrella the lantern and the empty box but the night was so gloomy and the fog so dense that she became confused amidst the multiplicity of trees with some violence she ran against one and falling half stunned to the ground lay there quite unable to rise patricia was a clever and self-reliant girl accustomed to act immediately and firmly in all emergencies but this adventure had robbed her of calmness and of all will-power 
she felt as though the end of the world had come and in the cold damp lonely darkness she could have cried for help and comfort like a frightened child but she retained sufficient self-command not to do so and even exerted her will sufficiently to again stagger to her feet and strive to find her bearings with outstretched hands she wandered trying to gain a glimpse of some light but all in vain then began a nightmare journey through the gloomy woods here was a girl in the heart of london as wholly lost as a babe in some primeval forest she stumbled here and groped there in an aimless fashion until her senses became so confused that she did not know what to do several times she dropped several times she rose and for hours as it seemed she moved onward towards an ever-receding goal doubtless she was moving in a circle after the fashion of the lost and in her vague wanderings she lost all count of time in her heart she began to wish that the dawn would come to reveal her whereabouts as in this darkness she certainly would never succeed in escaping from the enchantments of this urban wood and so patricia dragged on and the night dragged on and the effort to get back to light and humanity became a journey in eternity towards as it seemed to her now bewildered senses a goal which had no actual existence how long she wandered she did not know having lost count of time but finally her instinct moved her in the right direction and she gained the broad path but it was not the one she had strayed from as she speedily ascertained when she chanced upon a policeman the path to bayswater miss he said turning the bull's-eye light on her face and wondering at her haggard looks and bedraggled dress why you're right on the other side of the park miss near the statue patricia knew that this was so for above her in the foggy air rose the lofty pedestal of the achilles statue she must have wandered deviously across the vast space of the park and said so the policeman readily accepted her explanation and added one of his own i des say you got lost in the fog miss and no wonder for it's as thick as pea-soup hereabouts not the night for a young lady to be out miss he ended inquisitively and with a note of interrogation in his voice i came out on an errand said miss carroll faintly for the adventure had left her weak and wandered off the bayswater path near the serpentine and it's a mercy miss that you didn't fall in what will you do now miss patricia walked with him towards the gate near the clock call me a cab she said for although she could ill afford it she decided to drive as it was quite impossible to walk the fog forbade pedestrianism let alone that she was much too weary to trudge all the way to crook street what a cab miss certainly miss although it would be hard to find one in this fog and the constable whistled shrilly what is the time please patricia asked the same question as she had put to the other policeman half past eleven miss the girl uttered a cry of astonishment and well she might having left the home of art at half past eight she must have been wandering about for at least three hours it seemed centuries and she hastily made for the cab which drove slowly up looking like a spectre in the fog what would mrs pentreddle think of her being absent for so long 
but this question was nothing beside the one which the old lady was bound to ask with respect to the lost emerald tell the man to drive to number three crook street bayswater said patricia feverishly and bestowed herself in the hansom and here she handed the kindly policeman one of her precious coins which she accepted with a salute and gave the necessary direction to the driver in a few minutes patricia was on her homeward way thankful that her strange adventure had not cost her her life as it might have done but her thoughts were extremely unpleasant she had lost her umbrella which she could ill afford to do also the lantern of mrs pentreddle and worst of all the extraordinary jewel she had been sent to fetch how could she explain the only answer she could find was the very obvious one that it would be best to tell the truth then she began to think what words she would use until her head became confused and she dropped into an uneasy sleep meanwhile the cab crawled slowly and cautiously through the fog towards the home of art patricia was made aware that she had arrived at her destination by the sudden jerk of the vehicle as it came to a standstill then still sleep bemused she alighted in a stumbling manner to find herself in the arms of mrs sellers oh my dear where have you been it's terrible it's terrible and the good lady wrung her fat hands oh what is to be done what is terrible asked patricia stupidly for her head ached mrs pentreddle my own sister poor dear martha is dead dead patricia felt her weary legs give way with sheer terror dead repeated mrs sellers weeping murdered oh dear oh dear dead murdered patricia echoed the words faintly then fell unconscious at the feet of the weeping distracted old actress why did you go out where have you been martha is dead murdered she babbled incoherently End of chapter two chapter three of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter 3. Afterwards. Patricia recovered her senses to find that she was lying on her own bed, in her own room. Beside her sat fat Mrs. Sellers, with many restoratives, and with a look of anxiety on her tearful face. When Miss Carroll opened her eyes and asked vaguely where she was, ma uttered an exclamation of pleasure and thankfulness oh what a fright you gave me dropping down as though you were shot she said producing a damp handkerchief i thought it was another murder and that you had taken poison or wait patricia with sudden vigour sat up in bed and grasped the woman's arm you used the word murder when i fainted and i use it now my dear said mrs sellers with some asperity what other word is to be used in connection with a cut throat a cut throat patricia stared at her blankly oh don't tie me down to words wailed mrs sellers placing her fat hands on her fat knees and rocking stabbed in the throat would be better i dare say if there can be any better in connection with the tragic death of my own and only sister martha and i never got on well together but ah yes 
interrupted patricia passing her hand across her forehead with a bewildered air as a full recollection of what had taken place came back to her suddenly mrs pendreddle has been murdered you said that and i fainted at the door and very naturally lamented mrs sellers dolefully i'm sure i'd faint myself if it wasn't that i am needed with doctors and policemen in the house and after such a happy evening too she continued placing her handkerchief to her red eyes sammy's play was such a success i'm sure it will go on at a west end theatre and have quite a run patricia ruthlessly cut short this babble as she was yet in the dark as to what had taken place during her absence will you tell me who killed mrs pentreddle she asked with some sharpness no i won't my dear because i can't my dear i should rather ask you that very question seeing that you were left in charge of her with that sprained foot of hers why did you go out and leave martha all alone in this big house and where did you go and why are you home so late and i shall answer all those questions in the presence of the police officer who has charge of the case said patricia firmly and gathering her irish wits together to face a very awkward situation i can exonerate myself oh my dear no one ever accused you someone might accuse me said the girl dryly people are always prone to believe the worst of one she scrambled off the bed will you please tell me exactly what has taken place while i bathe my face and change my dress what wonderful self-command you have my dear said mrs sellers admiringly it's a thing i never have had i'm sure when bunsen met me at the door to say that martha was lying in the drawing-room with her jugular bleeding and all the blood out of her body not that she ever had much poor dear you might have knocked me down with a feather i was fit for nothing and it was sammy who sent for the police fancy how good of him my dear seeing that he had the success of his drama on his mind and it is a very great success i can what did bunsen say demanded patricia keeping mrs sellers to the point from which confused by trouble she constantly strayed he met me and the rest at the door my dear when we came back from the theatre at eleven replied mrs sellers trying to calm herself his face was as white as a clown's but it was fear and not chalk with bunsen he and matilda and sarah and eliza got back at a quarter to eleven so that the supper might be seen too and no one has eaten the supper cried mrs sellers again going off at a tangent such a lovely supper too we expected to have a happy evening and here is martha lying on her bed a gory corpse with all the bedrooms upset by the villain what villain him who murdered poor martha whoever he is the scoundrel he first stabbed martha in the drawing-room and then hunted all through the bedrooms making hay as the boys say and every one just look at your own my dear miss carroll had already done so but she had hitherto believed that the open drawers with their tumbled contents the disordered wardrobe and the displaced furniture had been the work of mrs sellers i thought you had done this when you were attending to me but why should i demanded mrs sellers somewhat tartly it wouldn't have done you any good to have pulled your room to pieces in this way the police say he wanted something who wanted something the catif who robbed martha of her life 
retorted the ex-actress in her best theatrical manner he murdered the poor dear for something and as it wasn't on her whatever it is he searched the house whether he got it or not whatever it is i can't say nor can anyone else but he went out by the front door in spite of the drawing-room middle window being unfastened and where he's gone no one knows the middle drawing-room window could not have been unfastened said patricia raising her dripping face from the basin bunsen locked it before he went to the theatre well then it must have been opened since my dear for the latch is undone and it has been pushed up a little way from the bottom martha couldn't have done it as her foot was so bad she couldn't have left the sofa i dare say the villain did it he could scarcely have opened the window from the outside said patricia mrs sellers shook her head mournfully i'm not so sure of that my dear was her reply the balcony runs along the front of all three windows and as they are old and shaky like all the house he could easily have slipped a knife between the upper and lower sashes and pressed back the snake but in that case mrs pentreddle thinking a burglar was trying to get in would have shrieked for assistance argued miss carroll who would hear her asked mrs sellers very pertinently there was no one in the house and i dare say no one in the road as scarcely anyone comes along so far as this on a foggy night too who would come here on a foggy night no the villain found poor martha all alone and stuck her like a pig you shouldn't have left her she asked me to she asked you to repeated mrs sellers her round eyes growing rounder with astonishment asked you to what to go on an errand and patricia checked herself as it was unnecessary to repeat her story twice and she wished to tell it in the presence of the police officer it's too long to tell you now she said hastily and looked in the glass to see that her hair was in order come downstairs and let me see the man in charge of the case oh wailed mrs sellers submitting to be led out of the room oh that i should have lived to hear martha called a case and bunsen called her the remains such an insult what did bunsen say exactly inquired patricia quickly he said that he and matilda and sarah and eliza came round by the back and entered the house by the kitchen while matilda made up the fire and put on the kettle bunsen went up to the dining-room to see if the supper was all right nothing was disturbed so we went to look into the drawing-room expecting to see martha and you but he only found martha lying dead and icy cold on the sofa covered with blood from her jugular vein she never did have much blood poor dear sobbed mrs sellers but what she had she lost for she died from losing it too hurriedly and what else did there's nothing else interrupted mrs sellers waving her arms in a dramatic manner everyone's upset and can't eat and can't go to bed and they're all sitting in the dining-room because inspector harkness won't let them sit in the drawing-room is inspector harkness the man i am to see yes he is in the drawing-room and told me to bring you to him as soon as you could stand he saw the cabman who brought you and asked him where you had entered the cab the man said at hyde park corner about half-past eleven which may or may not be true for i can't understand what you should be doing there at this time of night it's quite true said miss carroll 
quietly i lost myself in the fog but why did you leave the house i shall explain that to inspector harkness dear ma patricia patted the disturbed old woman's shoulder kindly don't cry so i assure you i have nothing to do with the death of poor mrs pentreddle i never thought for one minute you had my dear said the poor landlady all the same martha is as dead as a doornail she is now with her late husband i expect though it can't be a very pleasant place where such a rascal has gone to not that i want to say anything bad against them that are gone for we may be the same to-morrow and so poor mrs sellers quite incoherent with grief and bewilderment maundered on aimlessly patricia was invited to enter the drawing-room by a jovial-looking man whose would-be military air did not suit his looks he was stout red-faced gray-haired and bluff in his manner resembling the typical john bull more than anything else he tried to be stiff but failed in his buckram civilities when he forgot that he was inspector harkness and remembered that he was primarily a human being miss carroll was so pretty and graceful in spite of her white face and drooping air the result of fatigue that the officer beamed on her approvingly but having placed a chair for her and one for mrs sellers who was to be present at the interview he became more aware that he had his duty to perform and looked as stern as he possibly could now young lady he said arranging some papers and getting ready to take notes what do you know of this matter nothing said patricia coolly and decisively she was now quite her own clever ready-witted self as the difficulties of her position had acted upon her like a tonic in spite of inspector harkness's suave demeanour she was fully aware that he would not hesitate to arrest her if he believed she was in any way inculpated her curt answer rather annoyed him nothing he repeated sharply that is rather a strange denial to make in the face of the fact that you were the last person who saw this unfortunate lady alive do you deny that miss carroll no why should i i was with mrs pentreddle from the time mrs sellers left with the others for the curtain theatre half past six as we thought the house would be full interpolated ma sadly until nearly half past eight o'clock finished patricia calmly and after that asked harkness noting down this fact and acknowledgment i was wandering about hyde park lost in the fogs until half past eleven what took you to hyde park on this night mrs pentreddle asked me to go on an errand for her what was the errand what indeed said mrs sellers curiously martha poor dear was always of a very secretive disposition and never told me anything but as i am her own sister she ought to have told me what she wanted patricia took no notice of this remark but addressed herself to inspector harkness she wished to get the interview over so that she could retire to bed for she felt extremely tired and only her will-power enabled her to sustain the examination mrs pentreddle she explained and the officer took down her words had an appointment to-night with a man near the serpentine bridge on this side owing to her sprained ankle she could not go herself so she promised me five pounds if i would go in place of her at first 
i objected since the conditions under which i was to meet this man were so strange but when mrs pentreddle declared that failing me she would ring up a messenger boy on the telephone i thought that there could be nothing wrong and accepted the commission for the sake of the five pounds hinted the inspector patricia threw back her head proudly i am not rich and five pounds mean much to me she said simply but with a nervous flush yes i went for the sake of the five pounds though of course she added quietly i was quite willing to oblige mrs pentreddle in every way i refused the money at first but when she insisted upon paying me i was only too delighted to accept do you blame me well no acknowledged the officer after a pause but did you not think that five pounds was a rather large sum to pay for a simple errand and martha was so close-fisted as a rule put in mrs sellers the errand was not a simple one said patricia quickly there was a very great deal of mystery about it and she repeated the instructions which the dead woman had given her these both impressed the inspector and startled mrs sellers one would think that martha was a conspirator she exclaimed perhaps she was and perhaps she was not replied miss carroll wearily i have been puzzling over this question ever since the box was stolen stolen harkness rose suddenly to his feet and looked at the girl's pale face with an imperious glance what do you mean what i say answered patricia whose nerves were giving away a man came and snatched the jewel from my hand while i looked at it the jewel cried mrs sellers alertly what jewel the one which was in the deal box the box which this unknown man thrust into your hand asked harkness of course i should not have opened the box but i did so because patricia hesitated it seemed useless to tell these two very matter-of-fact people about the weird sensations which she had felt while holding the jewel as they would neither understand nor believe swiftly changing her mind she ended her sentence differently because the whole circumstances were so strange that i wished to know what was in the box you were afraid that mrs pentreddle had sent you on a nefarious errand yes i was and with good reason said patricia and harkness nodded approvingly mrs sellers disagreed why martha was a most religious woman and so good as to be almost unpleasant she would never have sent you on such an errand which had to do with anything wrong my dear you can judge for yourself said miss carroll quietly i am telling you all that has taken place harkness pondered you say that you left this house at half-past eight and wandered in hyde park until half-past eleven how can you prove this very easily mr inspector i met a policeman in crook street when i left the house and asked him the time he told me that it was half-past eight at half-past eleven i spoke to another policeman near the achilles statue saying i had lost myself in the fog i asked him the time also and told him to whisk me up a cab he said it was half-past eleven and got me the cab mrs sellers told me in my bedroom that you had questioned the cabman sir so he must substantiate my story harkness nodded yes he told me that a policeman had put you in the cab at hyde park corner about the time you mentioned 
i see that you can account for leaving the house and returning to it but what were you doing in the meantime i have told you said patricia annoyed at having her word doubted yes you have told me but can you prove what you say luckily i can unless the things are stolen what things the umbrella the lantern and the empty box which i left on the bench in the broad bayswater path i was sitting there when the man robbed me what was the man who robbed you like i can't say it was foggy and he only remained for a single moment and what was the man who gave you the box like i can only make you the same answer said patricia both incidents happened so swiftly that i had no time to observe anything but if you will send to the park you will perhaps find the articles i left on the bench the inspector nodded and rising from his chair went out of the room mrs sellers caught the girl's hand when they were alone what does it all mean my dear she asked helplessly i can't say replied patricia shaking her head you know all that i know and must form your own opinion what is yours i have none i am quite bewildered at this moment inspector harkness re-entered the room and returned to his seat i have sent to the broad walk in hyde park he said bluffly so if your story is true the articles will be found my story is true said patricia flushing with anger but while i was away someone may have sat on the bench and and have taken the articles finished the officer dryly well yes but i hope for your sake that your tale a very strange one will be substantiated by these proofs do you believe that i am telling you a falsehood asked patricia in her most indignant manner i believe nothing and i say nothing until these articles are found and if they are not the inspector hesitated looked awkward and did not reply patricia stood up trying to control her nerves but quivering from head to foot perhaps you accuse me of murdering mrs pentreddle before i went out no dear no cried mrs sellers catching her hand kindly the doctor says that poor martha was murdered about ten o'clock and as you can prove that you were absent by means of those policemen and the cabman no one can accuse you of the crime and i know said mrs sellers bursting into tears that you wouldn't hurt a fly much less martha who liked you in her disagreeable way i am not accusing miss carroll i beg to say remarked the inspector as soon as he secured a moment to speak but this whole tale is so strange that miss carroll cannot blame me if i desire proofs naturally a high-spirited young lady doesn't like to be questioned in this way but i don't mind being questioned interrupted patricia her hot irish blood aflame but it is being doubted that i object to natural enough natural enough said harkness soothingly but one cannot bring personal feelings into legal matters i have daughters myself of your age miss carroll and i have every sympathy with your position as a man and as a father i fully believe every word you say but as an officer i am obliged to disbelieve until i have proofs if i do not demand them the jury and the coroner will when where asked patricia startled at the inquest you will be the most important witness miss carroll but i don't know 
who committed the crime no nor does anyone else but you can tell the coroner and the jury what you have told me and i hope that the articles you left on the bench will be forthcoming to prove the truth of your extraordinary story come miss carroll you must see that i am trying to make things as pleasant as possible for you consistent with my official responsibility yes said patricia and sat down again for after all she could not deny but what her story sounded very incredible and as yet she had not told the most incredible portion as that had to do with her own peculiar sixth sense which she was very certain neither the inspector nor mrs sellers possessed and as they had not got it how useless it would be as she fully recognized to relate the sensations caused by the stolen jewel her tale was improbable enough so there was no need to make it still more so can you describe what was stolen harkness asked her patricia did so and the explanation was received with exclamations of surprise by mrs sellers and with a somewhat sceptical air by the inspector patricia saw his doubts and grew annoyed again what is the use of my telling you things when you won't believe me before harkness could answer this very natural question a young constable entered and placed on the table the articles which had been left on the bench in the foggy park miss carroll spread out her hands triumphantly yes said the inspector interpreting the gesture i believe your story now young lady here are the proofs ah oh, yes groaned mrs sellers rocking but where is the jewel End of chapter three chapter four of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by matt Perard. chapter four the inquest destiny works in a most mysterious way and frequently the evil which she brings on individuals becomes the parent of good during the three years which had passed since the death of her father patricia had faced much trouble for a girl of twenty-two she had no money and had possessed no friends until she met with mrs sellers so her career had been a painful one of toil and penury and heartfelt despair this last misfortune which connected her with the commission of a crime seemed to be the greatest blow which had befallen her and she truly believed that she was now entirely ruined for who as she argued would engage as a governess a girl who was mixed up in so shady a business even if she could prove her innocence and she had no doubt on that score the mere fact of her errand to the park was so fantastic in the explanation that many people would believe she had invented it in order to shield herself from arrest in nine cases out of ten this might have happened but destiny ordained that patricia's case should be the tenth through the darkness of the clouds which environed her the sun of prosperity broke unexpectedly of course next day the newspapers contained details of the murder at the home of art and the mystery fascinated the public crook street was never so full since it had been a thoroughfare motor cars hansom cabs four-wheelers taxicabs carts bicycles 
and conveyances of every description came to the curved cul-de-sac also sightseers on foot came to survey the house and number three appeared in the daily illustrated papers when the reporters became more fully acquainted with what had taken place the portrait of patricia appeared also together with an account of how the murdered woman had induced her to leave the house it was generally considered notwithstanding that the errand had been proved to be a genuine one that mrs pentreddle had sent the girl away in order that she might see the mysterious person who had murdered her if this was not so argued everybody how came it that the man people were certain that the criminal was a man had gained admission into the house an examination of the snicks to the windows had proved that they were too stiff to be pressed back from the outside and indeed that the upper and lower sashes of the windows were so close together that the blade of a knife could not be slipped in between plainly the man could not have entered in this way so the only assumption that was natural appeared to be that the dead woman had admitted him by the door the fact that the middle window was unlatched and slightly open was accounted for by the presumption that the man had left in that way but why he should have chosen this odd means of exit when he could have more easily have left by the front door the theorists did not pretend to explain however the general opinion was that patricia's fantastic tale was true the finding of the articles on the bench and the evidence of the two policemen together with the cabman's statement proved this and that mrs pentreddle had got rid of her as an inconvenient witness to an unpleasant interview how unpleasant it had proved for mrs pentreddle herself could be plainly seen from the fact that she was now dead and that a jury and a coroner were about to sit on her remains harkness had gathered together what evidence he could which was not much and the reporters were all on the qui vive for startling revelations to be made the whole affair was so out of the ordinary that the journalists anxious to fill up the columns of their respective papers during the dull season made the most of the very excellent and unusual copy supplied to them they added to this they took away from that and so distorted the truth that plain facts became even more sensational than they truly were and this painting of the lily brought miss carroll into prominence as the heroine of the day the girl shrank from such sordid publicity but it was useless to try and hide as the searchlight of journalism played fiercely upon her that she was so pretty only added to the attractiveness of the unwholesome episode and when her portrait was published patricia received at least six offers of marriage all of these she naturally refused and was indeed very indignant that they should have been made mrs sellers was rather surprised at this indignation as having the instincts of a successful actress she looked on such publicity as an excellent advertisement my dear she said impressively two or three days after the murder and when the home of art was the centre of attraction to all morbid people sorry as i am that martha poor darling met with such a sad death there is no denying that the tragedy will do the house good oh cried patricia her highest instincts outraged how can you talk so i am a sensible woman and must talk so 
said ma firmly tears and sorrow won't bring martha back again and perhaps she is better where she is as she certainly never enjoyed life in a sensible way since this is the case let us take good out of evil i thought my dear that the home would have been ruined but instead of that it has become famous i could fill the place twice over as so many people wish to come but i intend to keep my present lodgers at the same prices never shall it be said that i made capital out of my dear sister's death but you my dear need not be so particular since you are not connected with her in a flesh-and-blood way as i am do you see patricia shivered no mrs sellers i really don't see i am connected with poor mrs pentreddle in a blood way certainly for if i had not gone out she would have been alive now well my dear you couldn't help going out since you had to go on the errand and no one knows better than i do how obstinate martha was well she's gone and as soon as they've settled who killed her we must send her to devonshire to devonshire echoed patricia surprised yes didn't i tell you that squire colpster whose housekeeper she was has come to london well he is in town now and called to see me to-day he is very shocked at martha's death and intends to take the body back to lay in beckley churchyard near that of her late husband or perhaps i should say its late husband although i am not sure that an it can have a husband it's very kind of the squire but the colpsters were always kind he is coming to see you this afternoon before the inquest takes place what about asked patricia uneasily he wishes to hear the story from your own lips it is in all the papers and much of what the papers say is untrue all the better advertisement said mrs sellers cheerfully i'm quite sure my dear that your troubles are over you can marry when you choose i certainly shan't marry those horrid men who have had the impertinence to write to me declared patricia indignantly oh i should if you find one of the men is nice and rich but if you don't feel inclined to marry you are at least sufficiently widely known to get a good situation patricia shuddered again and to her soul who would engage a girl connected with such a horrid crime lots of people said mrs sellers promptly and the crime is not so horrid as mysterious who can have murdered martha and why everyone is asking that question mrs sellers no one seems to obtain an answer observed the good lady mournfully not even inspector harkness or the police well my dear i must go and see about the dinner remember what i said to you you have a magnificent boom on just now and if you take full advantage of it you are made for life miss carroll did not know whether to laugh or to scold when ma left her but finally took refuge in quiet merriment notwithstanding her disgust at finding herself the centre of such a sordid sensation good-natured and kind as mrs sellers undoubtedly was the idea that she could urge any one as she phrased it to make capital out of her sister's death revolted patricia's finer feelings certainly since the old actress intended to retain her children 
even though she could have obtained more lucrative boarders she was behaving extraordinarily well considering her limitations but in spite of her own self-denial her theatrical instincts were so very strong that she had induced someone to make use of the advertisement as she could not bear to see such a chance of gaining a wide publicity wasted it quite grieved her that patricia should so persistently refuse especially when she considered that the girl required money but miss carroll not only declined to entertain the idea but kept as much as she could to her own room and refused interviews to several inquisitive reporters she has no business capabilities mourned ma to the playwright why if this had happened to me when i was on the stage i should have doubled my salary in a week and trebled it in a month which statement was undoubtedly true since the majority of people greatly enjoyed the morbid squire colpster as patricia learned the country gentleman was always called at beckley and also by mrs sellers who was a beckley woman appeared at the home of art immediately before the inquest was held and therefore had scanty opportunity of talking with the girl although he managed to exchange a few words he turned out to be a tall lean and rather bent man with a dry ivory-hued skin and gold-rimmed spectacles perched on an aquiline nose the term squire suited the john bull personality of inspector harkness better than it did this quiet student and patricia although she did not learn at the moment what mr colpster's particular studies were gathered that he passed the greater part of his days in a well-furnished library only the tragic death of an old and valued servant this gentleman hinted would have brought him up to london during the very damp month of november he spoke with considerable emotion poor martha how strange it is that she should have come to town to meet with this terrible doom i was never so shocked in my life as when i read the telegram sent by mrs sellers do you know why she came to london asked patricia bluntly mr colpster shook his head which was covered with rather long iron-gray hair in true student fashion i only know that martha wanted to go for a fortnight's jaunt to london her own words and i rather think although she did not say so added the squire musingly that she expected to meet her son harry who is a sailor is he in town now i believe so my nephew theodore dane told me that he had seen him over a week ago harry then said that he had returned from the far east and was going later to amsterdam for a few days if he has carried out his intention i expect that he is ignorant of his mother's death when he hears of it will he return immediately i think as harry is greatly attached to his mother if anyone can find the assassin harry pentreddle will as he is smart and very tenacious of anything he takes up i wish i knew where he was in amsterdam miss carroll as i could then send him a telegram patricia pondered i wonder if he can throw any light on the motive for the commission of the crime it seems impossible as harry having been on a year's voyage has not seen his mother for twelve months it is just possible that as martha was a week in town before her murder she may have seen harry in the interval of course i understand that martha only sprained her foot on the night 
previous to her death she slept on the stairs said patricia mechanically her son certainly has not been here or mrs sellars would have told me have you any idea what caused the crime to be committed mr colpster pondered in his turn i rather think i will wait until the inquest is ended before answering that question he said judiciously but won't you answer it at the inquest so that the truth of the matter may be known urged the girl puzzled by his tone i may not be asked the question at the inquest said mr colpster blandly and declined to discuss the matter further indeed there was no time as they were summoned at this moment to the drawing-room where the jurymen under the control of the coroner were waiting for the various witnesses they had already inspected the body of the unfortunate woman which was lying in an upstairs bedroom as has been said before inspector harkness had very little evidence to lay before those in authority the criminal whether man or woman had disappeared in what seemed to be a magical manner all the officer could do and did do was to produce various witnesses to relate baldly what had taken place and these could say very little nothing could be proved save that martha pentreddle had been murdered but by whom and for what reason it was impossible to say the inspector gave a hurried sketch of all that had happened since he had been summoned to the home of art and then called his first witness and this was mrs sellars who wept a great deal and spoke volubly adopting her best dramatic manner so as to create a sensation for she was always mindful in spite of her genuine grief that what she said would be printed in all the great newspapers the chance of advertising herself as a retired star of the drama was too good to be lost but in spite of the good lady's volubility she had really very little information to give her sister mrs pentreddle had come to london six days previous to her death from devonshire where she was housekeeper to squire colpster ostensibly on the plea of shopping she had gone out a great deal but nearly always the witness was with her and the deceased had not spoken to any one in particular she had certainly mentioned that her son harry had returned from the far east and that she hoped to see him before she returned to devonshire but harry had neither written nor had he called and i should have been so pleased to see harry who is a very charming nephew to have ended mrs sellars with doubtful grammar did the deceased mention that she was expecting anyone on the night she was murdered asked the coroner gravely oh dear me no sir had she done so i should have forbidden her to receive a single person as she was slightly feverish from a sprain caused by slipping on the stairs and was not in a condition to see any one in fact i was most unwilling to leave her but she implored me to do so as she knew how interested i was in the drama of mr samuel amersham but only on the condition that someone remained to look after her did i agree to go miss carroll kindly promised to remain so i departed quite happy only to return said mrs sellars with a burst of emotion to find that martha was gone to that bourne whence no traveller returns the deceased never hinted to you that she was in danger of her life never 
she was quite happy that is as happy as she could be with her religious views which were extremely dull she had no idea of dying for she told me that she hoped harry would return with her to devonshire did you know of anything in her life which led you to believe that she had an enemy who desired her death certainly not martha never made an enemy in her life although she certainly was the reverse of agreeable she was as dull as i am bright said mrs sellers blushing comedy and tragedy pa called us and this remark ended the examination as the witness apparently could throw no light on the darkness which environed the crime the doctor who had been called in to examine the body stated that the deceased had been murdered by some sharp instrument being thrust into the throat this had pierced the jugular vein and the miserable woman becoming unconscious almost at once had slowly bled to death her hair was in disorder and when discovered her body was lying half on and half off the sofa it was the doctor's opinion that the assassin grasping the hair had drawn back his victim's head so that he could the more easily accomplish his deadly purpose from the nature of the wound it was probably inflicted by a fine and narrow blade witness thought that a stiletto might have been used from the condition of the body death had undoubtedly taken place at ten o'clock but probably since the death was caused by hemorrhage deceased must have been struck down some minutes earlier this was all the medical evidence obtainable and although it proved clearly how mrs pentreddle died could not show who had committed the crime but the use of the word stiletto gave the coroner an idea only a foreigner would use such a weapon he remarked the witness disagreed the word suggests an italian because it is the name of a weapon extensively employed by the bravi of the middle ages but a murderer of any other nation would use it just as naturally if it came to hand besides i only assume from the nature of the wound the smallness of the orifice that a stiletto was used i am sure that i am right however and the coroner rather agreed as he also was a doctor and had seen the wound himself could there have been a stiletto in the house he asked generally yes cried mrs sellers unexpectedly from her seat near the door and became prodigiously excited what's that asked the coroner as the doctor stepped away from the place assigned to witnesses what do you say mrs sellers at once occupied the vacated position now i remember that only three days before poor dear martha met with her death i was showing her some of my old stage dresses there was a page's costume i wore in the duke's motto and with it were the jewels and a stiletto pooh pooh a stage weapon said the coroner contemptuously not at all a friend of mine who admired my acting gave me a real italian stiletto to wear in the part a very dangerous weapon it was sharp and pointed i dare say martha was killed with that have you missed it no i put away the dresses and never thought of looking but martha could easily have taken it while my back was turned just wait sir and i'll go and see and before the coroner could give permission mrs sellers as active as a young girl was out of the room there was a pause 
as it was impossible to continue the examination of other witnesses until this important point was settled everyone looked at one another but no one spoke as it was felt that here at least was a tangible clue in a very short space of time mrs sellers returned red-faced and out of breath waving an empty sheath it's not here she declared quickly and giving the gold-embroidered sheath to the coroner this is all that i found martha must have taken the stiletto but why should she demanded the coroner doubtfully ask me another said mrs sellers vulgarly and with a shrug there was only one inference to be drawn from the absence of the weapon mrs pentreddle knew that she was in danger and had therefore armed herself against a possible attempt being made on her life End of chapter four chapter five of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain reading by Perard. chapter five the inquest continued until it came to the examination of patricia very little was learned from the depositions of the various witnesses summoned to give evidence all that the boarders and the servants could say was that mrs pentreddle although not an extremely sociable person had behaved herself quietly in every way she had kept very much to herself and had mentioned her business in coming to london to no one and certainly she had never hinted in the slightest degree that she possessed an enemy who desired to take her life all who dwelt beneath the hospitable roof of the home of art expressed themselves surprised at the death of the poor woman there was nothing apparent on the surface of things as one witness observed to lead up to such a catastrophe it was entirely unexpected and unforeseen bunsen the butler deposed that before leaving the house with his fellow-servants for the theatre he had locked the three drawing-room windows when the police examined the room afterwards the middle one of these had been found unfastened and slightly open it assuredly would not have been difficult for the assassin to have come along the iron balcony to that window and there have tapped for admittance but bunsen swore positively that unless the deceased had opened the window the man could not have entered it was this witness who had found the body and he stated that he had not touched it until it was seen by inspector harkness and his underlings it was at this point and in answer to the question of a juryman that the inspector admitted the absence of the weapon with which the deceased had been killed no stiletto had been found either in the drawing-room or in any part of the house so it was presumed that the criminal must have taken it away with him i wonder that he did not place the stiletto in the hand of the dead woman so that it might be supposed she had committed suicide said a juryman probably he did not think that it would be proved that the deceased had taken the stiletto from her sister's room when the stage costumes were being displayed suggested another juryman we have not yet learned if the murder was committed with that weapon was the coroner's remark call george colpster then came the turn of the squire to be examined but he could tell nothing likely to aid in the discovery of the criminal 
mrs pentreddle he declared had been his housekeeper for over twenty years and had rarely gone away on a holiday she had asked him for a fortnight's leave so that she might pay a visit to mrs sellers in london and this he had readily granted she had never told him the reason why she wished to go to london but he presumed at the time that she intended to see her sailor son during her stay when this fact or rather this suggested fact became known the coroner recalled mrs sellers and learned again what he might have known he had learned before had he referred to his notes that harry pentreddle had never been near the house when mrs sellers stepped away again from the position allotted to the witnesses squire colpster finished his evidence by swearing solemnly that his housekeeper had never hinted that she was in danger of her life yet she must have thought so observed a juryman else she would not have taken the stiletto we have not yet proved that the murder was committed with that weapon snapped the coroner once more of course the real interest of the case truly began when patricia carroll was sworn since she apparently knew more about the matter than did anyone else and moreover had been the last person to see mrs pentreddle alive she gave her evidence quietly and clearly relating all that had taken place from the time mrs pentreddle had asked her to go on the errand to the time she returned to learn that during her absence the wretched woman had been stabbed but on this occasion as on the other when harkness had questioned her patricia left out any confession of her sensations when holding the stolen jewel she judged and very wisely too that any statement of this kind would be put down to hysteria both the coroner and the jurymen questioned and cross-questioned the witness but in no way could they cause her to deviate from the details she originally gave mrs pentreddle had promised to explain all about the matter when the witness returned but her unforeseen death had ended all chance of explanation in that quarter but was the death unforeseen by you asked the coroner catching at the word used by patricia certainly she replied readily i expected to find mrs pentreddle ready to receive me when i returned and expected to receive your five pounds no sir i had failed in the errand she had asked me to do therefore i did not desire to be paid can you describe the appearance of the man who placed the box in your hand and the appearance of the thief no i told you so before both men came and went in a flash and even if they had waited it would have been impossible for me to have noticed their dress and looks as the fog was so thick and the night was so dark did either man speak no each came and went in silence the policemen both in crook street and at hyde park corner proved that they had met patricia and that she had severally asked them the time also the cabman deposed to driving the young lady back to the home of art so without any difficulty whatsoever it was proved that miss carroll had been absent from the house when the crime had been committed the crook street policeman also swore that he had seen no suspicious people haunting his beat and the fog was so thick ended this witness that it would have been difficult to see anyone unless someone ran into my arms as the young lady did it was a pea-soup night sir 
this concluded all the evidence which harkness was able to get and after a pause the coroner began his speech but before he got very far the door of the drawing-room was hastily flung open and sammy amersham the playwright dashed in holding a dagger aloft it's the stiletto he cried triumphantly and clapped it down on the table under the coroner's nose when you were asking questions about it i remembered the unfastened middle window and wondered if the assassin had opened the same to throw the weapon into the area when he had killed poor mrs pentreddle i went down and searched and found it he must have thrown it out as i guessed and then have stepped in to close the window and leave by the front door there's blood on it too is this your stiletto mrs sellers asked the coroner passing it along the woman shuddered as she took it it's mine sure enough she said and there's blood on the handle Ugh! she dropped it martha's blood sammy the playwright was sworn and stated again how he had found the weapon in the area below the iron balcony among some rubbish said mr emerson is the area ever used asked the coroner quickly no called out mrs sellers the tradespeople go round to the back by the side passage and the gate in the iron railings round the area has been locked ever since i have been in this house no one would think of looking for the stiletto there the last witness did said the coroner dryly shows that he's got the markings of a dramatist said mrs sellers proudly although no one saw the connection between the coroner's assertion and her comment one thing was clear from the discovery of the weapon in the area namely that mrs pentreddle must have been afraid of an attack else she would never have armed herself by stealing the dagger from her sister also it was certain that sammy's shrewd explanation was feasible and that the assassin after killing the unfortunate woman had opened the window to drop the stiletto into the unused area the deceased must have expected a visitor on that night said the coroner musingly and probably sent miss carroll away so that she could see him undisturbed she did not tell me that she expected any one said patricia quickly no she would not seeing that she evidently desired to have a secret interview as she was alone in the house she assuredly must have admitted him she could not leave the sofa with her sprained foot cried mrs sellers perhaps she could not have crawled to the front door remarked the coroner but her will evidently enabled her to crawl to the middle window and open it why should the man have come to the middle window by appointment impossible said mrs sellers nervously in the first place martha would have told me had she intended to see any one and pardon me no madam interrupted the coroner sharply the very fact that the deceased sent away miss carroll showed that she desired the interview to be a secret one she would not have admitted a man who intended to murder her but she did no one else could have admitted him and the fact of the open middle window showed how he was admitted he opened that to throw out the stiletto probably he did that but undoubtedly the window was open before mrs pentreddle could not have crawled to the front door martha had so strong a will that she would have crawled to the top of the house if she had made up her mind to 
and i say again she never would have let in a man whoever he was to murder her poor dear i don't believe she expected to be murdered but the dagger precisely madam the criminal did not bring it with him therefore he did not enter this house with the intention of committing a crime the deceased was afraid of this man and thus took your stiletto so as to keep him at his distance probably she threatened him with it and there was a struggle during which she was murdered then the assassin searched the house for what asked mrs sellers shaking her head sadly for this strange jewel described by miss carroll it wasn't in martha's position when quite so interrupted the coroner dryly but the assassin evidently believed that mrs pentreddle possessed it he struggled with her to see if it was concealed upon her and when she drew forth the stiletto with which she had provided herself it was used to kill her then the assassin as i said before searched the bedrooms one thing i would ask you mrs sellers before we close the evidence did anyone know that mrs pentreddle would be alone on the night of her death she wasn't alone miss carroll was with her yes i know but did anyone know that the house would be empty i can't say of course sammy's play was talked about a lot and everyone said they were going i even let the servants go and-yes yes but do you think anyone outside the house knew that there would be a clear field i can't say mrs sellers shook her head i talked a lot to everyone both outside and in saying that we were going but i don't know anyone who would have murdered poor martha the coroner's speech was not very long as really there was little to say whether mrs pentreddle had really expected someone and had therefore sent away miss carroll so that the interview might be private it was quite impossible to prove in any way that the deceased anticipated danger was more or less clearly shown by her theft of the stiletto from her sister undoubtedly the assassin as the nature of the wound and the presence of bloodstains on the handle of the weapon suggested had turned the dead woman's means of defence against herself finally the idea that the criminal desired the jewels stolen from patricia in the park was equally impossible of proof in fact ended the coroner wearily for his business had been exhausting beyond the undoubted truth that mrs pentreddle is dead we can prove nothing in any way this was also the opinion of the jurymen which was very natural considering the scanty nature of the evidence without any hesitation the ordinary verdict given in doubtful cases was brought in wilful murder against some person or persons unknown said the jury and all present felt that nothing more and nothing less could be said under the sad circumstances and i don't believe that they'll ever learn who slaughtered poor martha sighed mrs sellers over a cup of tea when everyone save the boarders had departed we'll just bury her in devonshire beside her husband and try to be cheerful again whatever harry will say when he learns i don't know for he was desperately fond of his mother i'm sorry for that murdering villain if harry ever lays hands on him but he never will bless you my dears and most people believe that mrs sellers spoke the truth the whole affair was mysterious and it was confidently asserted 
that the murder of mrs pentreddle would be relegated to the list of undiscovered crimes the immediate result of the inquest was an offer made by a prominent music-hall manager to patricia as the heroine of the crook street crime it was suggested that she should appear on the stage in a pretty frock and relate her experiences in hyde park at a salary of two hundred pounds a week the magnificence of this chance almost took away mrs sellers breath and she was greatly disappointed when patricia refused to make a show of herself the girl phrased it in this way and indignantly declined oh my dear cried mrs sellers almost weeping you need money so badly i would sooner need it all my life than degrade myself in this way retorted miss carroll looking prettier than ever with her cheeks flushed and her eyes sparkling how dare the man insult me insult my dear two hundred pounds a week an insult take it yourself mrs sellers replied patricia impatiently after all poor mrs pentreddle was your sister and you will be just as great an object of interest to the crowd as i would be i'm not young and pretty my dear it's those things that tell patricia shrugged her shoulders well i refuse and i have written to the man saying that i cannot accept his offer you refuse good money you refuse to get married whatever are you going to do for a livelihood mrs sellers was in despair over this obstinacy patricia shrugged her shoulders once more oh i dare say i shall manage to earn my living in some decent way perhaps mr colpster may help me what makes you think so he is coming to see me this evening i know he is coming said mrs sellers but i thought it was to see the last of poor martha's remains he takes them to beckley to-morrow by the afternoon train i should have gone myself to attend the funeral but it is impossible to leave the children she looked at patricia curiously i wonder if he wants to marry you my dear i hope not said miss carroll hastily how your thoughts do run on marriage mrs sellers well you are too pretty to remain single miss carroll said the old actress frankly sammy would marry you if you would only encourage him and i can tell you sammy amersham has a great future then i shan't hamper him with a wife but what makes you think that mr colpster wishes to marry me isn't there a mrs colpster there was but she died long long ago he has one daughter called by the odd name of mara but she will not inherit the estate as the squire wants a man to manage them he has two nephews you know my dear theodore who is the eldest and basil who is an officer in the royal navy i don't know which of the two squire colpster favours as his heir but whosoever gets the estates will have to change his name he ought to give his daughter the estates said patricia decidedly well i am not so sure of that my dear you see from what martha said it seems that mara colpster is queer how do you mean queer she is that is they think her really mrs sellers broke off with a puzzled look i hardly know what to say she's queer that's all about it for martha told me very little i rather think the squire wants her to marry either basil or theodore then justice would be done all round but here i am talking cried mrs sellers rising slowly to her feet 
when there is so much to be done with getting poor martha ready for her last journey i have to see the undertaker and his men my dear and mrs sellers waddled away in a great hurry patricia wondered what mr colpster wished to see her about and wondered also what could be the matter with the girl so oddly termed mara this last piece of curiosity was not gratified for some days but she learned the first two hours later when squire colpster interviewed her in mrs sellers private sitting-room what he said to her took her breath away i return to beckley to-morrow with the corpse of my housekeeper said the squire in his dry way and it struck me that you might be willing to come with me to devonshire come with you mr colpster gasped patricia thunderstruck yes he said simply and directly you see martha is dead and i want someone both to look after the house and to be a companion to my daughter to mara queried patricia remembering what mrs sellers had said ah you know her name the squire looked up quickly mrs sellers told me mr colpster nodded i expect poor martha has been talking he said in a vexed tone and no doubt has been making out mara to be weak-minded mrs sellers said that miss colpster was queer said patricia truthfully she is not queer declared the father with some sharpness mara is a dreamy girl who wants a brisk companion to arouse her from what i have seen of you miss carroll you are the very person to do mara good so if you like to come for one hundred a year i shall be delighted to engage you oh patricia colored but on this occasion with joy of all the offers that had been made to her this one pleased her the best of all i accept with the greatest pleasure but the salary is too large not at all we live very quietly and you will find it somewhat dull also i shall want you to look after the servants now that martha has gone mara is incapable of doing so well i accept as i said before mr colpster said patricia promptly in that case he rose to take his leave i shall expect you to come with me to-morrow i hope to leave paddington station at four fifteen i shall be there said miss carroll with sparkling eyes i have little to pack and no friends save mrs sellers to take leave of and when squire colpster went away she thanked god that she was now provided with a home out of the evil of mrs pentreddle's death good had come End of chapter five chapter six of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by Mapperard. chapter six a family legend patricia packed her few belongings that same evening and next day took leave of ma and the children mrs sellers wept copiously for she was sorry to lose the charming girl who made the house so bright also she could not help lamenting that of all the portions offered to her miss carroll had chosen what seemed to the old actress to be the meanest patricia could have married money and good looks and position for all these had been offered to her by various letters since her portrait had appeared in the illustrated papers she could have been engaged at several music halls at a lordly salary getting twice over in one week what she had elected to receive a year but the girl 
rejecting wealth and publicity had chosen obscurity and comparative poverty no wonder mrs sellers mourned but i wish you well my dear she said when the cab was waiting at the door and patricia was shaking hands and kissing all round i hope you will be very happy though from what i remember of beckley it is one of the dullest places in the world i like dullness said miss carroll who was weary of argument and i am very thankful to get such a situation at such a good salary good-bye dear ma and keep up your spirits when i come to town again i shall see you and write my dear write screamed mrs sellers as the cab rolled away patricia nodded a promise and leaned back on the cushions with a sigh of relief as the vehicle turned the corner of the curved cul-de-sac her last glimpse of the home of art showed her ma surrounded by her children standing at the front door waving farewells and blowing kisses miss carroll sighed they were all good and kind and simple all the same she was glad to have left that dreary house which was connected in her mind with so woeful a tragedy the excitement was now at an end since the verdict of the jury had been given and it was probable that in a few days the whole affair would be forgotten for there seemed to be no chance that interest would be reawakened by the capture of the assassin that evil creature had stolen into the house out of the mist to kill his victim and had then departed again into the darkness and now patricia herself was departing from the scene of the crime and it seemed to her as though this horrible chapter in her life was closed forever thank god for that said the girl putting her thoughts into speech at paddington station she found squire colpster waiting for her the body of his late housekeeper he informed her had already gone on to devonshire by the early morning train patricia was glad of this as if the corpse had been in the train she was to travel in she would have felt as though she were taking a portion of the disagreeable past with her into what she hoped would prove a very bright future she strove to banish all the unpleasant memories of the past week and presented a very smiling face to mr colpster when he placed her in a first-class compartment with a look of approval he commented on her cheerfulness when the train started i am glad to see that your late troubles will not have a lasting effect on you he said placing a pile of magazines and illustrated papers beside her you look better than when i saw you last it is because i am leaving all this unpleasantness behind replied patricia with a little shiver and i am so thankful that you have taken me away from the home of art i could not have remained there it would have always been haunted to my fancy by the ghost of poor mrs pentreddle yet if you had not offered me a home mr colpster i don't know where i should have gone in self-defence i might have had to accept the offer of that horrid music-hall manager beggars can't be choosers you will never be a beggar again said the choir with a kindly look on his clean-shaven face what would colonel carroll say if i allowed his only child to want patricia bent forward with sudden vivacity did you know my father yes i knew him many years ago and for this reason amongst others did i ask you to be my daughter's companion i wondered why you made such an offer when you knew nothing about me said miss carroll thoughtfully 
oh i know a great deal about you from mrs sellers who is your great admirer said mr colpster easily and then you have the very look of your father at times i am asking you to beckley not so much as a companion to my daughter as that you may become one to myself you must look upon me as a relative my dear girl how good you are cried patricia taking his lean hand and stroking it softly the two had the compartment to themselves so she was able to give vent to her feelings in this way how can i thank you by rousing mara from her dreamy state said he quickly i want to see her more practical and take more interest in life as it is she always seems to be in the clouds has she ever had a companion of her own age no all her young life she had been with older people certainly my nephew theodore has been with her a great deal but like myself he is inclined to study and so is much alone basil who is in the navy is nearly always absent with his ship beckley hall is isolated too added mr colpster thoughtfully so i dare say mara's sadness and dreamy ways are due to her surroundings all the servants are more or less old and we live a very very quiet life patricia nodded and quite comprehended i don't wonder that mara is sad she said bluntly how old is she eighteen and you have kept her more or less surrounded by elderly people all these years cried patricia reproachfully no wonder she is sad as i said before i am glad i am coming to cheer her up has she been to school no she has always been delicate and i did not think it wise that she should leave home until last year she had a governess also elderly yes miss tibbets was nearly fifty replied colpster with a smile oh poor mara but does not your nephew try to brighten her life the squire's face grew dark and his heavy grey eyebrows drew down over his keen eyes she does not like theodore he said at length and he seemed to weigh his words yet he wishes to marry her he loves her so far as a cold-hearted being such as theodore is can love i believe he does love mara but he is much taken up with literary work and studies for hours all alone in his own room basil is quite different being gay and light-hearted does mara love mr basil in a sisterly way she does the two boys and mara have been brought up together although theodore and basil are much older i don't think mara is earthly enough to love anyone she always seems to live in a land of dreams and looks more like a shadow than a flesh-and-blood girl patricia nodded absently she felt a strong desire in her heart to see this strange girl with her fancies and unearthly nature surrounded almost constantly by elderly people and secluded in an old country house hidden away in a lonely corner of devonshire it was scarcely to be wondered at that the girl with the weird name should be unlike those of her own age and mara means bitter doesn't it asked miss carroll following her idle thoughts mr colpster bowed his head yes her mother died in childbirth when mara was born and so i gave her the name as the sole child of my house in the direct line she also deserves it for we have fallen on evil days what do you mean asked patricia 
wondering at the strange subdued excitement of the old man for his face was red his eyes sparkled and his deep voice shook with emotion what i mean will take some time to tell he said after a pause it is because i had to tell you something and to question you that i engaged this compartment we are undisturbed here and we have some hours to ourselves before we arrive at hendle which is the nearest station to beckley he fixed his fiery eyes on her startled face are you prepared to believe a strange story miss carroll yes replied patricia boldly i have experienced such strange things myself lately that i am prepared to believe anything good i shall tax your credulity to the uttermost it is strange as you will admit that the daughter of my old friend should be brought into my life to help the colster family to regain what has been lost patricia echoed his words in a puzzled manner what has been lost the emerald snatched from you in the park is lost is it not the girl started forward in her seat almost too amazed to speak that the squire should refer to the incident on the night of the murder was the very last thing she expected what do you mean she asked again he replied irrelevantly as it seemed let me tell you a story miss carroll i can trace my family back to amyas colpster who lived in the reign of henry the seventh who his father was or where he came from there is nothing to show he was what would be nowadays called an adventurer and in that capacity he went to the new world was the new world discovered then asked patricia wondering what all this was to lead to yes columbus discovered america in henry's reign and indeed the king might have fitted out the expedition had not ferdinand and isabella done so earlier but i do not refer so much to columbus as to those who followed him it was in the early part of henry eighth's reign that cortez conquered mexico and it was about fifteen thirty two that pizarro took possession of peru but what has all this to do with the emerald stolen from me in you shall hear interrupted mr colpster rather impatiently amyas my ancestor went to mexico but had no success there afterwards he went to peru and there accumulated a fortune with which he returned to england he bought beckley and a great deal of land and so built up our family when in peru he saved an inca princess from death and out of gratitude she gave him a large emerald patricia uttered an exclamation yes the same emerald that was stolen from you on the night of the murder it formerly belonged to the temple of the sun at cusco and passed in the way i have related into the possession of amyas colpster being a sacred stone it was reported to have some strange influence which brought luck to its possessor and amyas believed this as while it remained in his possession and in the possession of the son who succeeded him everything went well the family increased in wealth and in favour with the reigning monarch it remained for bevis colpster towards the end of elizabeth's reign to throw away the luck which had been bestowed on his grandfather by the inca princess do you mean that he gave away the emerald yes to gain a knighthood he presented it to the queen from that time the fortunes of our family have decreased 
gradually and now i have only about fifty acres of land the old hall and one thousand a year well invested that doesn't seem to be absolute pauperism said patricia with a smile it is poverty compared to what our family once possessed said the old squire petulantly once we had wide lands and much money and great influence in worldly affairs all these things beavis culpster threw away for a knighthood which did him no good for a title which did not even descend to his children and our fortunes have dwindled since then until we have only what i mention but unless the emerald is recovered what we now possess will also leave us and our family will die out even as it is he ended bitterly i have no son to succeed me patricia wondered at what she took to be superstition in so clever a man but saw that he could not be argued out of his fancies she therefore pretended to accept his beliefs as true and asked a question what became of the emerald she inquired eagerly for the family legend interested her colpster roused himself and his sunken eyes flashed keenly when will adams went to japan in fifteen ninety seven as a pilot of jacques mahay's fleet the queen gave him the emerald to present to some potentate in the east to the emperor of japan no because the fleet which sailed from amsterdam did not intend to go to japan i was wrong in saying so it was going to the indies akbar was reigning then and the emerald was for him but adams was wrecked on the coast of japan and when he became a favorite with the shogun leosu he presented him with the great jewel Iesu gave it to the mikado go yojo and he presented it or one of his successors did to the shinto temple of kitsuki there it remained for hundreds of years but how did it come to be in the deal box and what has mrs pentreddle to do with it and why was it snatched from me and mr colpster threw up his slender hand one question at a time please he said with a faint smile i can't exactly say you can form your own conclusions from what i tell you he paused as though collecting his thoughts and patricia did not interrupt him again she also was thinking and recalling that strange jewel which was set in the centre of the regular circle of stiff petals knowing that the chrysanthemum was the royal badge of japan she felt certain that the whole jewel was meant to represent the same it was at this point of her meditations that mr colpster began to speak again as i told you he continued i was anxious that we should recover the emerald so that our family luck should return i therefore read many books of travel and spoke to many japanese about the stone in a strange way which i shall tell you some day i learned that the jewel was at the temple of kitsuki in the province of izumo it was regarded as very sacred and how to regain it again i could not tell he paused once more and then went on quietly as you know i have no son of my name to carry on the line but my only sister whose husband was already dead died also and left me her two sons to look after i brought them up with my daughter basil went into the navy and theodore remained at home to look after the estate then is mr theodore your heir asked patricia swiftly 
at one time i intended him to be as i desired to marry him to-morrow he could then as i decided take the name of colpster and when i was gone carry on the family in the female line but while the emerald was lost i thought that the luck would not return to the colpsters i therefore told what i have told you to my nephews and said that the one who brought back the mikado jewel as i called it should be my heir what did they say theodore scoffed at the idea and said that he did not want my money he declined to go to japan and run any risk of getting the jewel either by stealing or purchase but surely you did not wish him to steal it oh no said mr colpster so hurriedly that patricia felt sure he had once intended to get the jewel fraudulently if not honestly but i thought that the emerald might be brought back will adams had no right to give it to the shogun as it was intended by queen elizabeth to cement her friendship with akbar we the family i mean would be quite justified in taking it by force but that was not to be thought of i therefore gave basil a sum of money which i obtained by mortgaging all my property and told him when a ship touched at nagasaki to try and buy it i am expecting his ship h m s walrus back in a fortnight but the emerald is in london exactly and it was brought to be given to martha pentreddle that is what puzzles me what do you think miss carroll i hardly know what to think said the girl in a puzzled voice then added after a few moments of thought perhaps it isn't the colster emerald after all yes it is asserted the squire positively when i read your description of the jewel i was certain that it was the same stone it was made into a sacred jewel by the shinto priests of the temple they surrounded it with the petals of a chrysanthemum flower carved out of green jade jade patricia recollected the stiff petals oh is that the kind of stone ah said colpster eagerly and with an air of triumph you see you remember the mikado jewel yes the emerald in the centre is the same which amyas colpster got from the inca princess and which bevis parted with to elizabeth for a knighthood but can you be certain persisted patricia bewildered by the strangeness of what she took to be a coincidence the emerald and the jade chrysanthemum be still at kitsuki in the province of izumo the squire shook his head sadly no basil wrote me some time ago saying that he had gone to kitsuki to make an offer to buy back the emerald but he learned that it had been stolen stolen who could have stolen it that is what i wish to find out but it has been stolen and now it appears in london and was placed in your hands only to be taken away again by he paused and looked at the girl i don't know who gave it into my hands or who snatched it she said in a regretful tone you know all that i know didn't martha tell you anything he asked eagerly not a word she said that when i came back with the deal box she would explain you know what happened before i reached home colpster nodded she was murdered who could have murdered her unless unless what asked patricia quickly have you read 
wilkie collins story of the moonstone yes many years ago well as you know it is about a sacred diamond taken from the eye of an idol and is recovered after various adventures by the priests of the god but what has that to do with one moment miss carroll this emerald also has become a sacred stone it also has been stolen what is more likely but that some shinto priest murdered martha and another priest should snatch it from your hands but why should the emerald come to mrs pentreddle at all that is what i wish to know said the squire feverishly and clenching his hands and that he added bending forward is what you and i must find out we must learn who murdered martha and recover our family luck i don't see how it is to be done sighed patricia it must be done it has to be done and colpster smote his knee hard i'll try said the girl and extended her hand the squire shook it warmly End of chapter six Chapter Seven of the Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume. This Liverbox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Seven, The Garden of Sleep. After the turmoil of London and the excitements of that last uncomfortable week at the Home of Art, the peace and beauty and rural influences of Beckley were extremely pleasant patricia arrived with unsteady nerves and an unhappy feeling of unrest but after seven days in this somnolent corner of devonshire she regained her usual placidity of character although she was irish the girl by reason of her magnificent health escaped to a great extent those up in the air and down in the sea moods which characterized the celt as arthur had been taken to the island valley of avalon there to be healed of his grievous wound so patricia felt that she had been guided to this garden of sleep that her irritated nerves might be soothed and at the end of a week she was more convinced than ever that she had chanced upon a veritable paradise of rest which well deserved the name it is the garden of sleep thought patricia dreamily and here i shall rest until she paused at this point as her future could not be foretold in any way the girl found beckley to be a little fairy bay on the south coast of devonshire shut out from the world by high moorlands over which tourists rarely came where the rolling downs dipped to the sea there was a secluded nook a dimple on the face of natural beauty and here a quaint rambling old house of mellowed grey stone nestled close to a mighty cliff of red sandstone it was a quarter of a mile from the mansion to the yellow sands of the tiny beach and the fertile acres were covered with many trees the wood was partly wild and partly artificial and was threaded by dozens of paths narrow and broad these led unexpectedly to clearings rainbow-hued with flowers or to sylvan glades fit for the revels of titania and her elves although it was close upon christmas yet myriad flowers were in bloom and stately palms growing here and there gave a suggestion of tropical vegetation to the miniature forest 
the climate of this particular beauty spot was truly wonderful with almost constant warmth and sunshine and here again it resembled avilion lacking snow and hail and rain and the voice of wild destructive winds the ruddy cliff gathered the heat of many suns and poured it forth when the skies were clouded while the high moors screened this favoured paradise from the cutting north winds it is truly lovely said patricia as she strolled with mara through these gardens of alcinos day after day and found the same bland conditions prevailing i would not have believed that there was such a lovely spot in this cold grey england oh we have bad weather sometimes said mara in her soft low voice the skies grow cloudy and the sea grows very rough it rains too heavily at times but i don't think we have ever had snow or hail the cliff keeps us warm the two girls turned on the edge of the lawn where the woods began and looked upward at the mighty cliff which towered majestically above them like the tower of babel to mara who had dwelt beneath it for so long it looked like a kindly guardian giant who gave shelter and warmth to the favoured acres at its base but patricia thought it looked frowning and menacing it looks as though one day it would fall and crush the house she said with a shiver for the hostility of the great mass of rock seemed certain mara smiled in her slow sad way it has stood there without falling since the world began i suppose she said wisely so i don't see why it should fall now you have come i suppose not yet patricia shivered again it makes me feel uncomfortable do you remember in child roland how the hills like giants at hunting lay watching the game at bay it looks to me like that but mara had not read browning and could not grasp the illusion she gazed at the vast lowering mass with affection for to her it was like a domestic hearth where she could warm herself after a time she turned and stared seaward towards the glistening sapphire waters which flashed in the pale winter sunshine through the woods a broad path was cut from the lawns surrounding the house to the smooth beach where the wavelets broke in gentle play to right and left of the bay were tall cliffs similar to that which guarded the mansion and these ended in bold headlands some distance out on one side and the other rising gently and greenly the vast spaces of the moorlands swept grandly away to the heights above and in their cup was the solitary mansion muffled in its warm woods in spite of the lateness of the season the air was moist and heated as if the red cliff was clasping the home of the colpsters to its gigantic breast but how do you get food here asked patricia suddenly when she saw that mara did not speak are there any villages about two on the moorlands and one on the way to handle where the railway stops ah yes patricia nodded i remember handle and how i drove here with the squire down that winding road but it was so dark that i could see nothing on the way and since i have been in this place i have not explored the neighbourhood we can do so whenever you like said mara quietly but it will be best to wait until basil comes home next week he loves this place and knows every inch of the surrounding country doesn't mr dane know it also 
Theodore? Oh, yes, in a way. But he is like my father, and is never so happy as when he is reading and writing. He does not go out much, and we only see him at luncheon and dinner. It is nearly luncheon now. Patricia caught the girl's slim hand. Let us go in now, she said. I am hungry, Mara, but I don't believe you are. A fairy like you lives on apricots and dewberries with purple grapes green figs and mulberries who said that asked mara smiling in her dreamy fashion titania said it and shakespeare put the words into her mouth mara i must educate you in english literature you knew nothing of browning when i quoted him lately and now i see that you have not read shakespeare's plays this is dreadful mara shrugged her thin shoulders I don't care for reading, Patricia. It is much nicer to walk about under the open sky. I don't wish to become like Theodore and Father. They stay indoors everlastingly. Do they never go away for a change? Rarely. Both Theodore and Father have been in London lately. Theodore came back first, and then Father came last week with you. Are you sorry he brought me? asked patricia slipping her arm impulsively round the girl's waist no said mara in so emotional a fashion that patricia felt chilled i like you as you don't worry me miss tibbets always worried me with lessons but you must be educated mara why i don't see the use of learning things patricia looked at her curiously for although she had been studying the girl for several days mara was still an enigma to her mr colpster's only daughter and only child was undersized and slim graceful in figure and movements and clever enough in spite of her dreamy ways to look after herself in a very thorough fashion patricia did not at all agree with mrs sellers use of the word weak as applied to mara for that young lady made shrewd remarks at times which showed a capable character but there was something decidedly elfish about the girl both in looks and ways mara's pale golden locks and pale blue eyes and pale complexion presented her to the onlooker as a somewhat shadowy creature her silent movements and low voice and frequent lack of conversation gave the same impression patricia could not get near the shy soul clothed in this fragile tentless body she seemed to be scarcely human but to be compounded of moonlight and grey mist containing in herself all that was melancholy in nature the warmth and tropical luxuriance of beckley did not suit her personality she should have been placed in some sad antique temple isolated on a lonely plain and under sombre skies the irish girl was warm human life-loving and affectionate so it was difficult to make friends with this undine so chill and distant in her ways and looks patricia began to think that after all the salary she had thought so large was not too much seeing that she had to warm this statue into life but how to set about the task she did not know what do you like doing she asked as they walked towards the house nothing don't you get bored not at all i mara hesitated then turned her pale blue eyes on the flushed and lovely face of her companion i dream she said quietly 
what do you dream about asked patricia curiously mara passed her pale hand across her pale forehead i can hardly tell you she said in her low voice which suggested softly breathing midnight winds there is something wanting something wanting to bring back that which i dream about but what do you dream about persisted miss carroll more puzzled than ever as she looked at mara's pale pathetic face the something will tell me when it brings it back brings what back that which i dream about and that is i don't know the conversation was turning in a circle and mara was repeating her answers as was patricia her questions some invisible barrier divided the two girls and although patricia wished in order to earn her salary honestly to break it down mara apparently did not neither in look nor gesture did she make any advance so miss carroll could do nothing but sigh over the difficulty of the problem which she had to solve and renew her walk towards the house mara followed in silence not sullen at being questioned and not angry she was simply indifferent the colpster homestead was two-story and rambling confusedly composed of various styles of architecture the oldest portion was tudor and had been built by amyas the founder of the family when he had first set up his tent in this solitary spot later colpsters had added and taken away so that one wing was wanting while the other was of jacobean style on one side also there stood a square georgian block of many rooms comfortable but ugly the effect of this mass of different orders of architecture was to make the entire dwelling look picturesque if not strictly beautiful time also had mellowed the whole to lovely restful hues and nature had clothed many eyesores with trailing ivy and virginian creeper indeed so thickly were the walls covered with living vegetation that it looked as though the loosely built untidy dwelling was fastened to the emerald sward of the lawns or as patricia thought halting on the doorstep for a single moment as though the building had sprang therefrom in a single night like a mushroom and the house dwelt in and fondled and loved for many generations had about it a warm homely feeling of intimate humanity but over it as the girl again observed with a shiver ever hung the angry red-faced cliff menacing and sinister the interior of the mansion was as jumbled so to speak as its outside for various additions and alterations and removals had destroyed the original plan of the dwelling if indeed it ever had possessed any such design some rooms had doors leading into others passages twisted and turned in a most bewildering manner and a few ended in blank walls a stranger would find himself stepping down into one room and up into another as the flooring of the whole house was irregular there were narrow doors and broad doors many of the windows were diamond-paned casements while others presented a large surface of modern glass grates were here and vast open fireplaces there and many rooms were as dark as others were light the house both pleased and irritated 
as everywhere the visitor came upon unexpected corners or was brought up short before closed entrances it was a nightmare house and like none that patricia used to extreme modernity had ever entered the furniture and furnishing of the many rooms was also fantastic and here patricia saw more plainly the effects of colpster's narrow income as everything was old-fashioned and worn the carpets and hangings the paper covering the walls and the paintings adorning the ceiling were shabby and faded the drawing-room was filled with chippendale tables sheraton chairs vendor stools of the albert period and empire sofas covered with worn brocade while the dining-room had merely a horsehair mahogany suite aggressively slippery the whole house looked shabby and was shabby yet the hand of time had so coordinated the furniture and decorations of various epochs that the effect of the whole was beautiful the sombre family portraits the tarnished silver ornaments the subdued hues of curtains and carpets all gave the dwelling a refined air there was nothing modern or garish or machine-made about the place everything looked mellow suitable old-world and slightly melancholy it was a house to dream in as it was filled with drowsy suggestions a mansion of meditation as the grounds without were the gardens of sleep no wonder mara was given to vague visions a stronger person would have succumbed to the somniferous influence of the place the luncheon-table laid with snow-white linen glittering with diamond-cut glass and heavy old-fashioned silver looked very attractive in the soft light of the large room which stole in through quaint casements patricia anxious to take up her household duties had arranged the decorations of the table and was rapidly getting into the swing of her domestic duties she found the servants dull and out of date but very obedient and although with the privilege of old retainers they grumbled at many of her innovations they did what she asked them to do mr colpster congratulated her on her successful debut on this very occasion you are born housekeeper miss carroll he said when he took his place at the head of the table looking leaner and more like a student than ever i used to look after my father's house before he died said patricia with a sigh and he was very particular he was even as a boy i remember him at sandhurst were you at sandhurst remarked the girl looking at her host who did not in any way resemble a military man colpster laughed in his silent fashion <laughs> oh yes i had thoughts of winning the v c and so tormented my father to make me a soldier but i soon grew tired of the army as i had not the necessary money to keep it up i therefore retired when my father died and have vegetated here ever since i hope you don't find our life here too dull miss carroll and he looked anxiously towards the bright face of the girl i like it replied patricia absently it is such a rest after the rush and worry of london by the way mr colpster i wish you would not call me miss carroll it sounds so stiff patricia then said the squire genially and with a bright look in his usually sad eyes which showed that he was pleased it is a very charming name and suits he made an old-world bow a very charming young lady the girl laughed 
and coloured and bowed in return then to turn the conversation which was becoming too complimentary she glanced at the vacant place opposite to that of mara's where is mr dane she asked abruptly talk of angels and you hear their wings said the squire for at that moment the door opened to admit the eldest nephew theodore was tall and rather stout with a heavy face by no means attractive his skin was pale and he possessed very bright blue eyes and reddish hair worn as was his uncle's rather long his jaw was of the bulldog order and with this and his bulky figure to say nothing of the piercing look in his eyes he appeared to be rather a formidable personage but he was so good-natured and conversational that patricia liked him and thought which was probably true that his bark was much worse than his bite he dressed much more carefully than did mr colpster and one noticeable point about him were his delicate white hands which he was rather fond of using to emphasize his conversation patricia guessed that the man was proud of those hands as one of his rare good points and liked to draw attention to their perfection i am sorry that i am late miss carroll said theodore sitting down with an alacrity surprising in so heavy a man i was taken up with a new manuscript which i acquired when i was in london what is it about asked patricia politely occult matters you would not understand even if i explained theodore stopped then looked into her face and added yet you are irish what has that got to do with your remark mr dane only this that the celt is usually more in touch with the unseen than is the saxon i come of the latter race and have no psychic powers but i think you have miss carroll what do you mean exactly by psychic powers you can see things and feel things which is more than many people can do by reason of their limitations ah he looked at her sharply as he saw her face change you have felt something or you have seen something well yes answered patricia and regretted the admission at the moment she was thinking of the mikado jewel and her sensations when holding it fearful of being ridiculed she had not said anything even to mr colpster about this and did not wish to speak even to theodore although she guessed from his talk that he was less sceptical about such things than the ordinary man i may tell you about my experience some day she added quickly seeing from his face that he was about to press his questions not now theodore nodded i shall keep you to your promise he said alertly and we might try some experiments mara won't let me experiment with her i don't like your experiments theodore said mara quietly and looking up with a nervous look on her pale face they are dangerous there is always danger my dear girl when one is exploring a new country and the realms of the unseen are new to us your dreams mara flushed never mind about my dreams she said frowning and with a sudden glance at patricia and never mind continuing this unwholesome conversation said mr colpster who had been opening letters it is not good for mara by the way basil is coming home in three days his ship is at falmouth oh i am so glad cried mara delightedly i love basil he is a dear 
let us hope that miss carroll will love him also said theodore grimly i love everybody who is nice to me said patricia laughing although she wondered why mr dane made such a remark oh basil will be nice he's a universal lover scoffed the man shrugging patricia looked at him sharply and noticed the acrid tone it seemed to her that theodore was not fond of his brother i wonder why she asked herself but naturally could obtain no reply to such an intimate question End of chapter seven chapter eight of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 8. Theodore. Life went so softly and gently at Beckley that it was like dwelling in an enchanted land, in a fabled heaven of drowsy ease. Patricia compared the place to the island of the lotus-eaters, and after the storms of her early experiences, she enjoyed to the full its calm seclusion. Never was there so solitary a place the colpsters were a county family of respectable antiquity and it was to be presumed that in the ordinary course of things they knew many people of their own rank but either their friends and acquaintances lived too far away or were not invited to the house for no stranger ever came near the place not even the inevitable tourist chanced upon this charmed spot beckley might have been situated in the moon for all connection it had with the outside world the dwellers in this quiet haven did not seem to mind being left alone in this odd way the servants mostly old and staid were contented with the house and grounds and occasionally ventured on the quiet waters of the ferry bay in rowing boats once a week the elderly butler drove to hendle and to the adjacent villages to bring back groceries and such things as were needful to support life the postman came on a bicycle once a day with news from the outside world and patricia found that the library was well supplied with magazines and newspapers there was no complaint to be made on that score as the inhabitants of beckley always knew what was going on both at home and abroad they might be secluded but they were not ignorant and although not rolling stones they gathered no moss this warm forgotten nook was an ideal home for a student and both theodore and his uncle were students as patricia gradually learned mr colpster was writing a history of his family and had been engaged for many years in doing so from amyas downward the squire traced the history of his forebears showing how they had risen to wealth and rank until the middle part of the elizabeth's reign and how from that period by the selfish conduct of bevis colpster in parting with the emerald his sons and grandsons had lost the greater part of their possessions also he related various romantic stories dealing with the attempts of georgian colpsters to redeem the family fortunes and finally when he reached the conclusion of the book as he told patricia he intended to relate how the emerald had been recovered and how again it had worked its spell of good fortune but if you don't recover the emerald asked miss carroll very sensibly i must recover it said the squire vehemently if i do not 
the family will die out when the mikado jewel is again in our possession she can inherit the estates on condition that she marries theodore or basil are you speaking of mara questioned patricia noting the vague way in which her companion talked of course of course he answered testily she must marry one of her cousins and her husband can take the family name then the emerald will draw plenty of money to us and we will again buy back our lost lands how can the emerald draw back money asked patricia again thinking as she very often did of her sensations when holding the stone i don't know i can't say i am only using a figure of speech as it were my dear girl but in some way this emerald means good fortune to us as was amply proved by the success of amyas his son and grandson they owned all the land as far as hendel but when the emerald was lost the acres and their villages were lost also mr colpster rose and began to walk to and fro excitedly i must find that emerald i must i must how are you going to set about it asked the girl doubtfully i cannot say he resumed his seat at his desk with a heavy sigh there is no clue to follow if we could learn who murdered martha we might discover the assassin and regain the jewel but how can the assassin have it mr colpster assuming that he murdered poor mrs pentreddle in order to steal the emerald you know that it was not in her possession no that is quite true while the assassin was searching the house the emerald was being stolen from you in the park but undoubtedly the emerald was meant to be given to martha since you went to receive it how did she manage to get it i want an answer to that question why not ask it of harry pentreddle suggested patricia quietly colpster raised his head and stared why what could harry possibly know about the matter i am only putting two and two together continued the girl thoughtfully looking out of the window you told me that the emerald was taken to japan and also that harry pentreddle had returned from the far east he what colpster rose excitedly to his feet you think that harry brought it with him that he stole it from the temple of kitsugi why not demanded patricia swiftly japan is in the far east and harry pentreddle came from there also his mother came up to london to meet him and receive the emerald i feel sure of it but harry never came near the house expostulated the squire that was clearly proved at the inquest quite so but do you remember when you told me about the emerald being a sacred stone and how you mentioned wilkie collins novel of the moonstone perhaps some priests were on harry pentreddle's track and so he did not dare to go openly to his mother he must have arranged the signal of the red light in the park so that he could give his mother the emerald secretly she could not keep the appointment by reason of her sprained foot and so sent me i now believe on these assumptions declared patricia firmly that it was harry pentreddle who gave me the deal box colpster grew very excited it sounds a feasible theory he muttered of course martha knew all about my desire to get back the emerald but why should she get her son to steal it i can understand the secrecy of the meeting in the park as 
undoubtedly the priests of the kitzuki temple would make every effort to regain the stone harry had to give the emerald to his mother secretly and probably for the same reason he is now hiding at amsterdam it all fits in but mr colpster paused and looked straightly at the girl why did martha want the emerald perhaps to give it to you in that case she would have told me of her plans i think not said patricia after a pause she might fancy you would not approve of the jewel being stolen however it is all theory and the only way in which you can get at the truth is by questioning harry pentreddle the question is how to find him murmured the squire musingly if he thinks the priests are after him he will remain in hiding if he has seen the report of his mother's death and of the inquest said patricia coolly he will see that there is no longer any reason for him to dread the priests of kitsuki why not because i believe that harry was followed by one on that night and that the second man who stole the jewel from me was one of the priests if that is so why was martha murdered i can't say of course like the moonstone guardians there may have been three priests one followed harry and one went to the home of art and the third the third may have directed the other two it is all fancy perhaps said patricia hesitating but i think that my theory is correct i am positive that it is said the squire with decision where a man argues to reach a point a woman jumps in the dark intuitively gradually i might have arrived at the same conclusion you suggest by reasoning but i feel certain that you have given me the truth by using that subconscious mind which is more active in woman than man yes yes mr colpster opened and shut his hands excitedly you have given me the clue harry was told by his mother to steal the emerald she did not tell me as she knew that i would not approve harry secured the emerald and was followed by those who guarded it being in danger of death he made the secret appointment with his mother which you kept and passed along the jewel the japanese who was following saw that what he wanted had changed hands and leaving harry came after you when you looked at the jewel he snatched it meanwhile in some way these priests knew that the jewel was to go to martha and so one must have gone to get it from her she refused to say anything and was killed by the man who afterwards searched the house for the emerald it is all clear perfectly clear what will you do now asked patricia catching fire from his enthusiasm to almost shouted the old man straightening his bent frame i shall try and find harry pentreddle and see if he will endorse your story my theory corrected the girl quickly well theory if you like but harry must be found no doubt thinking he was in danger of his life he went abroad and is in hiding how can you find him then i shall ask isa lee she lives at hendel and is the girl to whom he is engaged he must have written to her and-and and why not ask mara broke in a quiet voice patricia looked up with a start so unexpected was the observation 
from behind a screen which was placed in front of the door came theodore dane for so huge a man and in patricia's eyes he looked more gigantic than ever at the moment he moved as quietly as a cat mr colpster seemed rather annoyed by his stealthy entrance i wish you would make more noise he said irritably i thought you did not like noise uncle said theodore calmly and allowed himself to drop into a saddle-backed chair no more i do all the same i don't care about being surprised in this way you should have knocked at the door or have rattled the handle or i did knock i did rattle the handle said dane carelessly and thrust one white hand through his leonine masses of reddish hair but you were so interested in your conversation with miss carroll that you did not hear me and you listened continued the squire irritably i ask pardon for doing so but the conversation was about the mikado jewel which always fascinates me and i could scarcely help overhearing a few words but if the conversation is private he heaved up his big frame as if to go away it is not private snapped colpster sitting down at his desk only your unexpected appearance startled me i would have reported the conversation to you later as i know that you are as anxious as i am to recover the palladium of the family i should certainly like to recover it personally said theodore with point as i know the succession to the estate depends upon its being given to you if i get it i inherit if basil is the lucky finder he obtains all the property you know what you arranged yes and i hold to that arrangement but as neither basil nor you have secured the mikado jewel neither one of us inherits finished dane quietly the one who marries mara gets it said colpster decisively she is my only daughter and must benefit under my will marry her theodore and be my heir mara is a nice girl you can't object mara will she likes basil better than she does me in that case she must marry basil and he can become master here when i pass over said mr colpster with a shrug theodore's white face flushed and his blue eyes glittered even more brightly than usual patricia who was watchful of his every movement for the latent strength of the man impressed her guessed that he was furiously angry but was reining in his passion with an iron hand if basil inherits he will turn me out of doors he said heavily oh you can make your own arrangements with basil said the squire you and he never get on well together so because i am the ugly duckling burst out theodore his eyes flaming like sapphires basil is the popular one he has all the looks and all the he checked himself suddenly and smiled in a wry manner but these family arrangements cannot interest miss carroll let us leave marriages and any arrangement that may come after your death uncle alone for the moment we have to find the emerald in what way asked the squire directly and rather sourly there did not seem to be much love lost between him and his burly nephew we must find out where harry pentreddle is and question him isa lee may know but in order not to lose time i suggest that we question mara no 
said colpster sharply last time you put her in a trance she was ill for days i won't have her constitution tampered with mara's spirit got beyond my control said theodore quickly and remained away longer than was wise it would not obey the child might have died growled the squire who did not seem surprised at this strange speech of his nephew's leave her alone isa lee will certainly be able to tell us where harry is mara is useless she was not useless when she told you where the emerald was to be found said theodore calmly and lounging in his deep chair mr colpster looked at patricia who was privately amazed at this extraordinary conversation which dealt in a matter-of-fact way with superphysical things and laughed at the expression on her face i promised to explain one day how i came to learn where the emerald was he remarked patricia nodded yes you did mr colpster in the train i remember well then theodore here put mara asleep and told her to look for the jewel she went unerringly to japan and saw that it was in the temple of kitsuki in the province of izumo at the time i did not believe this but it proved to be true and the shrine which held it as basil wrote home to me was precisely described by mara when in her trance but i don't believe in these things burst out patricia staring aghast at what she regarded as gross superstition and the inquisition did not believe that the earth went round the sun said theodore coolly but although they forced galileo to deny that truth the earth continued to circle the sun and took the disbelieving inquisitors along with it do not measure everything by your own brain miss carroll for there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your oh i have heard that quotation so often cried patricia impetuously but nothing can be proved not to those who only possess physical brains but those who have eyes can see and those who have ears can hear to those people christ appealed patricia laid her delicate hands on her lap despairingly i don't know what you are talking about she observed with a shrug well never mind theodore hastened to say seeing that she was rather annoyed some day you will understand just now all you need know is that mara told us that the emerald was to be found in the temple of kitsugi in japan that proved to be true although it was learned in what appears to you to be a nonsensical way i believe he fixed her gaze with his keen blue eyes strongly i believe that you are psychic yourself mr colpster jumped up a trifle nervously i won't have it theodore leave patricia alone i am quite sure your experiments with mara have done her a great deal of harm and have made her more dreamy and unpractical than ever i won't have patricia caught in these evil nets there is no evil in searching for the unseen protested theodore warmly in that case if it was regarded as evil i mean men would cease to inquire and there would be no inventions if the searching you mention was regarded as evil said the squire grimly men would certainly search more willingly than if the powers were regarded as good 
however i put my foot down i am not an unbeliever as you know but i don't think it is right to pry into what god wishes to be concealed thus far shalt thou go and no further that was said of the ocean retorted theodore and yet we have reclaimed lands from the sea and prevented the waves from going as far as they used to everything is good if rightly used and i won't hear i won't hear mr colpster walked abruptly to the window you are always arguing leave patricia alone what does miss carroll say herself asked dane turning to the girl i agree with mr colpster she rejoined promptly i don't like such things and think they are evil very good we will talk no more of the matter said theodore quietly only one thing i will ask you since i believe you to be a sensitive have you not experienced strange sensations yourself in connection with the emerald i have replied patricia who was anxious to have her curiosity in this respect gratified and dane certainly seemed a man who could do so on hearing her reply mr colpster turned away from the window and walked back to plant himself before her what do you mean he asked abruptly i mean that while i held the emerald i felt the strangest sensations it was because i felt these that i opened the box theodore leaned forward with his hands on the arms of his chair i knew you were psychic he said triumphantly all irish people are more or less as they come along the chaldean egyptian carthaginian line what do you mean asked patricia completely puzzled oh never mind never mind broke in the squire impatiently theodore can explain himself later meanwhile tell me what sensations you felt patricia stared straight before her striving to recall what she had experienced on that terrible night both when the jewel was in the box and in my hand she said slowly i felt a sensation as though it held some great force which was ever pushing outward pushing outward muttered theodore pinching his nether lip how i can scarcely explain wave after wave of this invisible force seemed to radiate from the petals of the flower what flower asked colpster greatly interested the chrysanthemum blossom which was formed of the carved jade petals with the emerald in its centre the radiating force seemed to push back all darkness and all evil so that i did not feel afraid it seemed as though i were in the middle of a circle of light and thus was safe from any harm theodore muttered again and bent forward eagerly was there any sign carved on the emerald he demanded breathlessly what sign she asked greatly puzzled a triangle a circle a ah oh any sign i did not observe replied patricia simply the jewel was so lovely and my sensations were so strange that i kept staring at it in silence feeling happy and safe when it became cold and dark i then was afraid theodore held up his hand to prevent his uncle from speaking when did the jewel become cold and dark as you phrase it he asked sharply 
just before the man snatched it the radiance seemed to die away and the power appeared to falter when i felt that i was holding a mere ornament dull and dead and cold the thief snatched it away from me dane rose slowly and nodded towards his uncle it certainly was a priest who stole the jewel he observed probably it is now on its way back to japan you will never get it uncle as now it will be guarded more carefully why do you think the thief is a priest questioned the squire abruptly well you thought so yourself said theodore lightly and it seems natural to suppose that the priests of kitsuki would be more anxious than other people to get back their sacred talisman talisman echoed patricia theodore turned heavily towards her yes he said emphatically the emerald in some way has been impregnated with the radiating power you mention for some purpose which i cannot say perhaps as you suggest to keep off evil and darkness at all events the man who stole it had some way of neutralizing the power which he did when he saw you staring at the jewel it might be that he could not take it from you until he had destroyed the barrier of light which he felt but in any case seeing that he was able to take away the force he must have been a priest of the temple who knew all about the mikado jewel you understand no faltered patricia i don't understand at all neither do i growled the squire but i intend to recover the jewel some day and in some way it is mine and i shall regain it theodore shook his head you will never regain it he said firmly it is now on its way back to the shrine whence it was taken by pentreddle End of chapter eight chapter nine of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 9. Basil The odd conversation with the squire and Theodore Dane strangely affected Patricia, and in rather an unhealthy way. She was an ordinary common-sense Irish girl, whose father had been a matter-of-fact military man, and in her conventional life there had been no place for the supernatural. And when with colonel carroll's death came his daughter's subsequent poverty patricia had been far too much taken up with battling for existence to think of the unseen to be over inquisitive about the next world seemed to her sensible mind unnecessary since there was so much to be done on earth she knew very well that she was sensitive to things which other people did not perceive but she put this down to having highly strung nerves and thought very little about the matter now apparently the time had come for her to consciously use organs hitherto unguessed at patricia could scarcely help feeling that the atmosphere of beckley hall was unusual the isolation the dreamy nature of mara the uncanny conversation of theodore which his uncle appeared to accept as quite ordinary all these things had an effect on her mind she began to be vaguely afraid of the darkness and her sleep was greatly disturbed by vivid dreams in vain she assured herself that all this was owing to her imagination 
and that she was losing her nerve in a most ridiculous manner for the spell of the place was laid upon her and she felt that she was being caught in those nets of the unseen of which mr colpster had spoken to a healthy-minded girl such as miss carroll undoubtedly was the feeling was highly unpleasant and she resented the influence which seemed bent upon controlling her even against her will yet to this influence which she vaguely felt but could not describe she could not even put a name the only thing she could tell herself was that some powerful influence was setting itself to capture her mind and will and body and soul all that there was of herself that she knew later she became aware that the influence seemed to be centred in theodore for when in his presence she felt more than ever the desire to peer beyond the veil he had always been polite to her since the night she had arrived but had looked upon her she felt certain as merely a pretty commonplace girl content with earthly things and this was surely true or had been until the influence came to draw her away from the concrete to the abstract but since she had confessed to experiencing the weird sensation of the jewel theodore had haunted her steps persistently he talked to her during meals he strolled with her in the gardens he exerted himself to please her in every way and finally asked her to visit his special set of rooms which were at the back of the house with a sense that some danger to the soul lurked within them she at first refused but finally overborne by his insistency she consented to enter along with mara the girl was absent-minded and indifferent still she would form a convenient third and would prevent theodore from performing any of the experiments she hated and as a matter of fact mara mentioned that she objected to these you need not be afraid my dear cousin said dane dryly as he led the way along the corridor i only wish to show miss carroll my books and have a chat with her about psychic matters i don't think it's healthy murmured patricia feeling distressed and uneasy i wish you would talk of something else there is nothing else which interests me in the world retorted theodore throwing open a door this is my study miss carroll and through that door is my bedroom so you see i have this part of the house all to myself the room was large and broad with a low ceiling and a wide casement looking towards the east the walls were plastered with some darkly red material smooth and glistening and a frieze of vividly colored egyptian hieroglyphics ran round them directly under the broad expanse of the ceiling which was painted with zodiacal signs the floor was of polished white wood with a square of grimly red carpet in the centre there was scarcely any furniture so that the vast room looked almost empty the casement was draped with purple hangings and before it stood a large mahogany table covered with papers and writing materials there was also a sofa two deep armchairs besides the one placed before the table and one wall halfway up was lined with books a purple curtain also hung before the door which led into the bedroom the apartment looked bare and somewhat bleak and an atmosphere of incense pervaded it generally so that when patricia sat down in one of the armchairs she involuntarily thought of a church 
yet there seemed to be something evil hanging about the place which was foreign to a place of worship mara felt this even more than did her companion for she walked to the casement and threw it wide open so as to let in the salt breath of the sea it was growing dusk and the room was filled with shadows which added to its eerie appearance and accentuated the eerie feeling of miss carroll yet theodore did not offer to light the lamp which stood on a tall brass pedestal near an alcove masked with purple curtains which was at the end of the room opposite the casement patricia noted that there was no fireplace don't you feel cold here at times she asked more because she wished to break the silence than because she desired to know theodore smiled i am never cold he said smoothly cold and heat and pain and pleasure exist only in thought and i can control my thoughts in every way why did you open the window mara i don't like your stuffy atmosphere said the girl bluntly then her nostrils dilated and she sniffed the air like a wild animal pa what bad things you have in this room theodore what kind of things asked patricia looking round uneasily things that dwell in darkness and dare not face the light chanted mara in soft tones this room reeks with selfishness so does the whole world retorted her cousin with a sneer yes but the effect is not so great as you make it what do you mean you have transferred the selfish energies to a higher and more fluid plane mara theodore came close to the girl and peered curiously into her pale face with vivid curiosity who told you that it came to me you don't know what you are talking about he said roughly perhaps not she replied dreamily but what i mean is plain to you i can see your soul shivering with shame at being forced to obey the animal theodore shrugged his great shoulders and looked at patricia i sometimes think that mara is mad he remarked impolitely do you understand no answered patricia truthfully what does she mean mara slipped off the writing-table whereon she had perched herself and pointed one lean finger at theodore i mean that he is an utterly selfish man who strives to sweep aside all who stand in his path by egotism he isolates himself from the great whole and wishes to dwell apart in self-conscious power she faced dane and in the twilight looked like a wavering shadow there is nothing you would not do to obtain power and for that reason your punishment will be greater than that of others why asked theodore tartly seeing that all desire power you have more light you know others do not mara paused as though she was listening it is a warning she finished solemnly a last chance which is given to you who are so strong in evil might but mara i have said all that i am told to say and now i say no more said the pale girl enigmatically and returned to seat herself on the table and gaze into the rapidly gathering night what does it all mean asked patricia under her breath simply that mara doesn't like me said dane coolly but miss carroll noticed that he wiped the perspiration from his high forehead as he spoke her standard is too lofty for us ever to become husband and wife 
i can see plainly that basil will marry her and inherit the property he looked round the room with a savage expression to lose all this is terrible but your brother will let you stay here said patricia consolingly no he won't basil doesn't care for my occult studies and he doesn't care for me you would never think we were brothers so different he is to me we are cain and abel esau and jacob polynices and etiocles and have never been friends since birth i hate him and he hates me oh no no mr dane said patricia quite distressed and shocked you must not talk in that way it is wrong it is human retorted theodore bitterly all his life basil has been the petted darling uncle george always loved him and ignored me basil is good-looking i am not basil is popular i am not basil will marry mara and inherit beckley while i am forced to wander homeless and friendless and if his cousin who had been listening quietly interrupted at this moment i shall not marry basil she said very decidedly we are good friends but nothing more if you don't marry him mara you will lose the property i don't care she answered indifferently i can always live somewhere if you would marry me said theodore eagerly you could go away and live where you liked i only want to inherit beckley oh cried patricia revolted by this selfish sentiment theodore wheeled to face her it is a brutal thing for a man to say to a woman is it not he asked derisively and if mara loved me i would not say what i have said but she hates me as you can see i don't hate you put in mara i am merely indifferent to you besides as you said just now you only want the property yes i do declared dane boldly and i only put into words what others think i wish to have this house all to myself why this house particularly asked patricia after a pause because it is so secluded and so safe for my purpose what is your purpose i wish to continue my occult studies i wish to get others to join me so that we may form a school if i teach what i have learned to others we can create a power which will be able to dominate the world here he grew excited and seemed to swell with arrogance in this hidden spot and by the exercise of certain powers it is possible to sway the minds of men at a distance the wisdom of solomon is no fable miss carroll and for that reason said mara in her cold unemotional voice you will not be permitted to acquire it i know much retorted dane still bulking hugely in the shadows and as time goes on i shall know more the time is very short now whispered mara patricia peering through the soft twilight saw the big man's face suddenly grow white he moved soft-footed as a cat to the girl's side mara he breathed and his voice was sick with terror do you see danger great danger and very near what is it where is it look and see he raised his hands and made a pass before her face mara slipped from between him and the table like an eel i won't submit to your experiments she said angrily father told you that you were not to worry me but the danger 
faltered theodore who seemed to be quite unnerved i can sense it but i cannot see it said mara wearily and all this talk makes me tired she walked across to the other armchair and sank down into its depths gladly i am glad that basil will soon be here when do you expect him asked patricia anxious to turn the conversation which had taken a mystical turn of which she did not approve he may be here at any minute father said that he received a letter by the midday post i like basil i love basil and i am glad he is coming let us ask mr colpster when he will arrive said patricia rising she moved two steps towards the door and before she could reach it theodore had placed himself before her don't go miss carroll he entreated just wait for a few minutes perhaps you don't like the darkness so i shall light the lamp he walked towards the tall brass pedestal you need not be in a hurry patricia said the voice of mara out of the gloom it will be an hour before basil appears patricia sat down again although her instinct told her to fly from this room and the evil influences with which it was impregnated i shall wait for a few minutes she said determined not to be cowardly but do let us talk of more healthy things mr dane the lamp was lighted by this time and its radiance spread gradually through the room as the wick was turned up patricia felt more comfortable in the flood of cheerful light although the shadows still lurked in the corners silent and pale in her deep chair sat mara but her cousin moved about the room actively and brightly with an effort however as it seemed from the glimpse she caught of his eyes these were filled with a vague terror and he frequently moistened his dry lips nevertheless began to talk lightly and discursively about this that and the other thing evidently anxious to keep his guests he described the neighbourhood to patricia and the people who dwelt therein he advised her to make excursions around about with mara and examine old rocking-stones and the remains of british villages and phoenician towers he extolled the healthiness of the place and the beauty of its landscapes and finally promised to take the two girls out in a sailing-boat oh we can give you much pleasure here in spite of our isolation miss carroll he declared with laboured gaiety and in spite of this danger which mara says that i stand in who is going to hurt me mara he asked with assumed lightness but real eagerness no one she replied quietly but she drew her hand across her face and said peevishly i wish you wouldn't ask me silly questions you have told me such silly things retorted theodore snappishly you mustn't mind what mara says miss carroll she does nothing but dream we must rouse her out of such dreaming mr dane of course of course she ought to have a season in london that would do her endless good there is too much lotus-eating about this place it suits me but it would not suit all that is why basil entered the navy he loves to travel about the world and only comes to see us once in a blue moon by the way miss carroll you must not take what i said about him too seriously for basil is really a good fellow we have different ideas of life that is all and fire and water won't mix you know in this way he rattled on and then produced a chafing dish of bronze on which a charcoal fire smouldered 
with thin wisps of smoke curling up i find the atmosphere of this room too chilly miss carroll would you mind my throwing some incense on this fire not at all said patricia innocently but mara moved with uneasiness don't you try any experiments theodore remember what father said my dear child said the man impatiently and planting the smoking dish of charcoal at patricia's elbow when i make my promise i always keep it this is no experiment by the way miss carroll he added while he went to a cupboard and brought back a metal box when your eyes are closed at night do you see colors oh frequently i thought so muttered dane opening the box and pictures sometimes have you ever wished to be in any picture you saw no that is i don't exactly follow you mr dane no matter i quite understand if you did wish to find yourself in the picture he went on with emphasis you would find yourself there i knew you were psychic and all you tell me makes me more certain than ever patricia shuddered don't talk about these uncanny things i don't like them they make me uncomfortable theodore laughed in a constrained manner and with a spoon threw some powder on the charcoal at once a thick bluish smoke arose like a column and a strong perfume spread through the chill atmosphere of the room a pleasant scent is it not miss carroll said dane restoring the box to its cupboard and fixing his eyes on the girl's face it is made after a recipe of moses sweet spices stacked and onkia and galbanum these sweet spices with pure frankincense of each shall there be a like weight you will find those words in exodus result of mingling such things a sacred incense as this is smell it breathe it the perfume is beautiful it was assuredly a wonderful smell but too overpoweringly sweet patricia drew in a deep breath through her nostrils and the fragrance seemed to impregnate her whole being she began to feel languid and singularly content and unwilling to move and all the time dane's vividly blue eyes were fixed on her face they seemed to be sapphire flames but as she breathed the perfume and looked into his deep eyes she heard a movement and removed her own eyes with an effort as it appeared to her now confused senses she then saw that mara was on her feet moving towards the door but not as an ordinary human being would walk she rather appeared to be dancing in a rhythmic way swaying from side to side and waving her hands gracefully with clasped hands she seemed to be shaking some invisible instrument theodore put out his hand to stay her but she waved him aside and danced if it could be called dancing through the door as she disappeared patricia tried vainly to rise i must go to her she is ill murmured patricia and then fell back in the chair again enveloped as it seemed to her in a dense cloud of perfume to smoke her eyes closed her breath seemed to leave her and then she appeared to go away to a league-long goal where she went or how she went she could not say her inward perceptions were only conscious of a vividly brilliant atmosphere through which she passed as swiftly as a swallow and far away she heard a thin voice like one speaking through a telephone bidding her search for the danger it was the voice of theodore 
but as patricia in her dream or trance or whatever was her state of being passed swiftly on soaring to some unknown end she became aware that her flight was being stopped she faltered paused then turned and came swiftly back with the speed of light her senses returned to feel water being poured on her forehead and to feel also the cool night air she was out of doors and in the arms of a man who bathed her face don't move said the man anxiously you have fainted who are you asked patricia gazing upward at the handsome face i am basil said the man and my brother has been trying his devilries on you End of chapter nine Chapter Ten of The Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Ten The Newcomer. Patricia was not a particularly imaginative girl, considering that she was of Irish descent and blood, but there was something in the clean shaven face of the young naval officer which appealed to her. The clasp of his arms thrilled her and although on recovering her senses she extricated herself from them hurriedly yet for days she seemed to feel them round her basil was so strong and kind-hearted and virile that all patricia's femininity went out to him and he became her ideal of what a man should be tall and slim well-made and wiry young dane was as handsome and clean-limbed a man as any one could meet in a day's march his hair was brown, his skin was tanned by sea and wind and sun, and his eyes were hazel in color. He had a firm chin and a well-cut mouth, which Patricia could well imagine could be set firmly at times. And indeed, when she opened her eyes to find herself in his arms, the mouth was stern enough. It was evident that Basil did not at all approve of his brother's experiments. Theodore protested that he had intended no experiment i simply burned the incense to dispel the chilly feeling in the atmosphere of the room he declared and the scent was too much for miss carroll if that was all questioned basil dryly why did mara come out to say that you had put miss carroll into a trance oh mara theodore looked disdainful you know what crazy things mara says when she wakes up to ordinary life don't talk like that theodore well then don't quarrel with me the moment you arrive home retorted theodore and patricia drying her wet face with her handkerchief saw the latent animosity between these two ill-matched brothers leap to life to throw oil on the troubled waters of fraternal strife she began to laugh somewhat artificially it is true but still sufficiently natural to show that she was now entirely herself and not hysterical <laughs> it was silly of me to faint she said in a matter-of-fact way don't trouble about me mr dane she spoke to basil i am all right it was my fault not mr theodore's that i lost my senses he was trying no experiments there you see said theodore with a triumphant glance at his brother you shouldn't burn these strong perfumes said basil angrily and walked away without looking at patricia he evidently was annoyed that the girl should champion theodore's doing in this pronounced way one moment miss carroll said theodore when patricia was about to depart also 
for it was close upon the dinner hour and she had to dress you called my brother mr dane that is wrong i am the eldest and my name is mr dane whereas he is called simply mr basil patricia heard the venomous tone of his voice and saw the angry look he darted at basil as that young gentleman stepped into the house her first inclination was to make an angry retort but when she considered swiftly how wrong it would be to increase the enmity between these brethren she curbed her temper and replied deliberately you must excuse my mistake i shall not make it again when did mr basil arrive he rushed into the room just when you fainted mara told him and he took you up in his arms and carried you out here into the fresh air i did not faint said patricia looking at him searchingly and although i defend you to smooth things over you really did try an experiment on me is that not so you are such a sensible girl that i can admit as much said theodore with an ironical bow yes i did use the perfume to put you into a trance i wished you to-to-he hesitated to look for the danger which mara said threatened you she finished yes how do you know because when i was miles and miles away bathed in a flood of light i heard your voice very clearly telling me to search theodore gazed at her eagerly so you can bring back consciously what you see on the other plane did you learn what this danger was no some force drew me back basil theodore clenched his hand and his face grew black if he had not interfered you might have found out i doubt it and moreover if i had found out i should not have told you why not he asked astonished because i don't like these experiments but you ought to many people's souls depart and see things and can explain them when in a trance but few like yourself can bring back consciously what they see tell me what you i shall tell you nothing because i have nothing to tell but i ask you to explain one thing to me what is that why did mara dance towards the door i saw her as i became insensible dane looked worried i don't know when she smells that perfume she always acts like that it isn't a dance exactly but it is certainly a measured movement i don't understand mara he confessed candidly she has powers which are not under her own control i can control them but she will not allow me to she is quite right said miss carroll emphatically and never again will i allow you to put me in a trance it is dangerous and with a nod she also went into the house theodore dane with a lowering face and a savage gleam in his blue eyes stood where he was with bowed head considering what the coming of basil had cost him he was greatly attracted to patricia not by love for her beauty or sweet nature but because she possessed certain psychic powers which he wished to control she could as he now knew go and return consciously and that capability showed an advanced state of spiritual evolution with such a messenger to send into the unseen since he could not go himself and mara refused to obey him he could accomplish great things had he been left alone with the girl for a certain period he might have managed to sap her will-power and render her his slave but the coming of basil changed all that 
basil was young and handsome and ardent and with a sailor's keen sense of beauty would be certain to admire and perhaps love patricia if this was so basil certainly would prevent any more experiments being made and theodore's evil heart was filled with black rage at the unexpected thwarting of his aims curse him he muttered alluding to his brother he always crosses my path and puts me wrong and as he spoke he raised his head to survey the goodly heritage which assuredly basil would gain in the end i shall not be driven from here raged theodore furiously i shall marry the girl and gain the property by getting basil out of the way but how is it to be done with safety to myself i must think this meant that theodore intended to draw to him certain evil counsellors who being supernatural could guide him in the selfish way which he wished to take and these powers being evil would be only too glad to minister to his wicked passions since by doing so they secured more control of him and could use him for their own accursed ends to sow discord on the earth plane but theodore not being possessed of psychic powers could not come directly into contact with these beings so malignant and strong he was obliged to find a medium and since mara would not act in that capacity and since patricia was lost to him or would be through the influence of basil the man's thoughts turned to old brenda lee the grandmother of isa to whom harry pentreddle was engaged she was accredited with being a witch and possessed powers which theodore knew only too well to be real he had made use of her before for there was an evil bond between them and he now intended to make use of her again pending a near visit to her and a consultation of those creatures he intended to summon to his assistance theodore smoothed his face to smiles and went in to dinner it was a very pleasant meal on this especial evening squire colpster appeared to grow young in the cheery atmosphere of basil's strong and virile youth the sailor of twenty-five was so gay and bright and talked in so interesting a manner of what he had seen and where he had been that even the dreamy morrow was aroused to unexpected vivacity and theodore with rage in his heart and smiles on his face behaved so amiably and in such a truly brotherly fashion that basil and he were quite hand in glove before the time came to retire to rest the younger brother straight honest-natured and kind-hearted did not credit theodore with crooked ways although he knew that his relative was not so straight as he might be but basil calling him internally a crank set down his deviation from the normal to his secluded life and uncanny studies you ought to go about the world more theo he said at dinner it would do you a lot of good perhaps i may travel some day said mr dane in a would-be genial manner just now i have so much interesting work in hand that i don't want to move some of your cloudy schemes they are not so very cloudy although you may think them to be so said the elder brother significantly and there was a look in his blue eyes which made patricia move uneasily the girl's instinct let alone which she had seen when she recovered from her trance showed her clearly how deadly was the enmity between these brothers but it is only just to say that the dividing feeling was rather on the part of theodore than on the part of basil 
the latter only mistrusted his brother as a slippery and unscrupulous man who was to be avoided but he did not seek to do him any injury on the other hand theodore hated basil with cold calculating malignancy and was on the watch as patricia by her sixth sense perceived to hurt him in every possible way but nothing of this was apparent to the eyes of mr colpster as he sat at the head of the table smiling at his newly returned nephew tell me said mr colpster when mara and patricia had retired to the drawing-room and the three men were smoking comfortably over their coffee tell me exactly what happened about the emerald i can tell you nothing more than what i set forth in my letter replied basil his frank face clouding over i went from nagasaki to kitsuki when i arrived in japan and offered to buy the emerald the priest laughed at me for daring to make such an offer and then told me that the emerald had been stolen whom by they could not say and yet added basil reflectively i believe they knew something although they declined to speak indeed because of my offer for the jewel they believed that i had something to do with the theft <laughs> what nonsense said theodore lightly the very fact that you offered to buy the jewel openly showed that you did not take it the priest thought that i did that to throw them off the scent i was waylaid one night and searched it might have gone hard with me as i had a nasty knock on the head but akira came along and saved me akira i should say rather count akira explained the young sailor he is in the japanese diplomatic service so he told me and is of high rank his father was a famous daimyo over thirty years ago when japan was medieval and akira would be a daimyo also if things hadn't changed as it is he is in high favour with the mikado and is very clever he certainly saved my life for my assailants would have killed me had he not come along however you will hear all about it from his own lips the squire sat up alertly is he coming down here with your permission sir i told him i should ask if you would allow him to come if you agree i can write to him he is at the japanese embassy in london and can come at once write to him by all means said mr colpster excitedly he may be able to tell me about the emerald i don't think he knows anything about it save that it was one of the treasures of the kitsugi temple and had been given to the then high priest centuries ago by mikado gojo akira is too modern to bother about such things but as a loyal japanese he certainly mourned that the emerald should have been lost i wonder if it will ever be found it has been found said theodore quickly and is now on its way to japan basil let the cigarette fall from his well-cut lips what do you say oh that is theodore's idea although i don't entirely agree with it said the squire impatiently it's a long story and has to do with the murder ah poor martha said basil regretfully i am so sorry to hear of her terrible death i was so very fond of her and she of me i read a lot about the tragedy in the newspapers but there is still much that i should like to hear particularly how miss carroll who was one of the witnesses at the inquest comes to be here as mara's companion i met her when i went up to the inquest said colpster quietly 
and as i had known her father colonel carroll at sandhurst i invited her to come to beckley as housekeeper and mara's companion the poor girl had no money and no friends so my offer was a godsend to her i am glad you made it sir said basil heartily she is one of the very prettiest and most charming girls i have ever seen don't fall in love with her basil said his brother with a disagreeable laugh as uncle here wants you to marry mara and inherit the property oh i don't think mara would marry me said basil lightly and in any case i disbelieve in the marriages of first cousins besides it would be better for you theo to get the property as i am always away the one who marries mara or who recovers the emerald shall have the estate said the squire decidedly you both have known that for a long time but we can talk of that later meantime you asked me about the emerald well it was stolen from patricia on the night martha was murdered the deuce what has miss carroll to do with it basil sat up quickly and his hazel eyes brightened theodore observed with a thrill of annoyance that any reference to patricia seemed to stir up his brother and augured ill from the interest displayed by the sailor listen said the squire in a slightly pompous tone and related all that he knew from the time patricia had left mrs pentreddle in the drawing-room of the home of art to the time she had returned without the jewel and found the old woman a corpse basil ceasing to smoke listened in breathless silence and drew a long breath when the interesting story was ended what a perfectly ripping girl he ejaculated talking of patricia the moment mr colpster ceased so brave and cool-headed not very cool-headed seeing she lost the emerald said theodore dryly basil nodded absently it was a pity she took it out of the box of course that talk of a drawing power is nonsense perfect nonsense from your material point of view said the elder brother with a sneer but in my opinion some priest who followed snatched the jewel stole it in fact and now has taken it back to japan basil shook his head i never heard either at kitsuki or kamakura that anyone was suspected and i don't approve of the word stolen if indeed a priest of the kitsuki temple followed the thief and recovered the emerald in the way you state he had a perfect right to do so the emerald is ours said the squire fuming pardon me uncle but you know that i have never agreed with you on that point said basil significantly amyas colpster gave the jewel to queen elizabeth for a knighthood so our family has no right to get the emerald back again unless indeed added the sailor with an afterthought the jewel is freely given and i don't think seeing that the store is set by it at kitsuki that such a gift will be made but who could have stolen the emerald miss carroll suspects harry pentreddle said theodore lighting a cigar ah it might be so i heard that his ship was touching at japan martha wrote to hong kong and told me but why should he steal it and why should he wish to give it secretly to his mother questioned the squire we wish to learn both those things basil my boy ask harry then we don't know where he is he went to amsterdam i fancy when he was last heard of 
he can't know that his mother has been murdered or he would have certainly returned long ago he's sure to turn up sooner or later said basil easily and rising to his feet poor martha she was a good friend to me where is she buried in the churchyard on the moors beside her husband said colpster also getting on his feet i am sorry myself as martha was such a good housekeeper but patricia is succeeding very well and moreover is more agreeable to look at sneered theodore what beastly things you say observed his brother sharply i haven't seen you for a year theodore but your manners have not improved i paid miss carroll a compliment i think that she can dispense with your compliments retorted the fiery sailor and in any case you spoke slightly of the dead martha was very dear to me and should be to you also when our mother died martha stood in her place remember that if you please boys boys don't quarrel the moment you meet said the squire it's basil's fault it is the fault of your bitter tongue theo said the younger dane trying to curb the anger with which his brother always inspired him however i don't wish any ill feeling let us go to the drawing-room and ask miss carroll to give us some music always miss carroll murmured theodore resentfully and felt that he hated his brother more than ever all the same he threw down his half-smoked cigar and moved with the other two men towards the door the squire placed his hands over the shoulders of his nephews and walked between them proudly there are only three of us to represent the family he said affectionately since mara being a girl doesn't count so much as a man we must stick together and recover the emerald so that our good fortune may return and heaven only knows how badly i need good luck there's that lawsuit over the Hendel water rights and a bad hay season with a continuous rain not here but miles away and and if your luck depends upon the emerald said theodore crossly it will never return it is on its way to japan i tell you well we have one piece of good luck cried basil gaily miss carroll is in the house damn you thought the elder brother amiably i'd like to wring your neck you self-satisfied beast End of chapter ten chapter eleven of the mikado jewel by fergus Hume. this LibriVox recording is in the public domain read by mapperard chapter eleven harry's sweetheart with the arrival of basil dane life became much brighter and more lively at beckley the young sailor was active-minded and light-hearted so that he was always glad to provide amusement for himself and others he took patricia and mara out sailing in the fairy bay and walked with them across the windy spaces of the moors to view various centres of interest in the evenings having a sweet tenor voice he sang to them while miss carroll played his accompaniments and of course he had much to tell them about foreign parts no one could possibly be dull while basil was in the house and even the squire left his beloved history of the culpster family to enjoy the breezy humours of his favourite nephew the old house awoke as it were from sleep to enjoy a brief holiday of innocent amusement but although basil was attentive to-morrow since he greatly wished to arouse her from those dreams which set her apart from others he gave patricia most of his company 
from the moment he had set eyes on her he had been attracted by the beauty of her face now that he knew her better and found that she had a heart of gold he frankly fell in love with such perfections and very wisely for patricia was a rare specimen of her sex she was not on her part averse to his wooing as of all the men she had ever met basil appeared to be the most trustworthy and fascinating it was the old story of love at first sight that miracle at which material-minded people scoff but which is a veritable truth in spite of such scepticism theodore needless to say was not pleased to see the fulfilment of his prophecy he had known the moment basil arrived that something of this silly sort so he phrased it would happen knowing nothing of love himself for his selfishness swallowed up all other qualities in his somewhat narrow nature he had scanty patience with this folly he wished to give patricia entirely to himself because of her rare psychic qualities and to do so was even willing to marry her of course by such an act he would cut himself off from all chance of acquiring the property since it was very evident that the mikado jewel would never be found theodore was certain that it had gone back to japan and there would be no chance of its being stolen a second time this being the case only by marrying his cousin could he secure beckley and carry out his design of forming a school of occultism but this ambition as has before been stated he was willing to surrender provided that he could dominate patricia and her mediumistic powers with those at his disposal he felt that he could do much to forward his selfish desires moreover and this was a factor also in his decision mara disliked him so intensely that she certainly would never marry him but none of theodore's feelings appeared in his looks and manners to reach his ends he had to play a comedy and did so with the skill of a clever actor his face was all smiles his behaviour most deferential and he carefully avoided any possible quarrel with his brother also he did not speak of his occult studies since a discussion of such things was not welcome to others theodore in fact appeared in quite a social role and seconded his brother in promoting a brighter and more active state of things in the old mansion he was clever at conjuring and gave exhibitions in the drawing-room when the girls grew weary of music and conversation and always he was polite and genial so much did he impose upon basil and mara and the squire that they believed theodore had as the saying is turned over a new leaf but patricia did not credit as genuine this too suave demeanour she knew if no one else did that the leopard could not change his spots and what is more that this particular leopard did not wish to beckley was certainly the vale of avillon for in spite of the bad weather prevailing in almost every other county in england this favoured spot preserved more or less a serene calm of course it rained at times but not very long and not very hard as the squire had said his hay crops at hendel were completely ruined by the wet and he anticipated a great loss which he could ill afford in his straitened circumstances but the flower gardens round his family seat bloomed in almost constant sunshine also when snows fell it was now close upon christmas and the hard frosts were coming they spread a mantle of white on the moors above but did not descend upon beckley it is true that owing to the season many of the trees in that domain were leafless but a goodly number being foreign 
were evergreen and still clothed themselves in leaves throughout the winter when severe conditions prevail on the high lands the climate of this little nook by the sea maintained a mildness and warmth little short of miraculous the place might have been situated on the riviera patricia thought that these extraordinary circumstances for an english winter were due to the great red cliff which sheltered the vale during the day it drew in much heat into its breast and breathed it forth at night when the airs grew chilly it was like being warmed by a good-humoured volcano she thought for patricia after the manner of browning always humanized the forces of nature but undoubtedly she was right in her surmise for the solar fire constantly drawn to the cliff and radiated from the cliff created an artificial summer which endured throughout the year beckley was like the garden of eden for climate and fruitfulness and beauty and theodore was the intruding snake but as yet even to herself she did not dare to confess that she was a modern eve to basil's adam or if a passing thought of this nature did cross her mind she blushed and did not dwell on it if she had she would never in her maidenly confusion have been able to meet the eye of her lover yes it had come that far he was her lover of course theodore always on the watch saw that the pair were falling deeply in love daily and savagely felt that he could do nothing to prevent a happy ending to the romance the squire might want basil to marry his cousin but mara merely loved the young man in a sisterly fashion and did not dream of any closer tie colpster was not the man to force his daughter's affections even for the sake of the family so it was probable that if mara refused basil which she assuredly would do if he offered himself and if patricia accepted the young sailor mr colpster would settle the beckley property on his daughter and give up his fancy of re-establishing the family moreover he was now strangely fond of patricia and would be glad to have her for his niece by marriage look what way he could and would theodore saw that his chances of gaining either beckley or miss carroll were very small indeed it was then that he determined to seek out brenda lee and see what the future had in store for him after mara's warning he had always been haunted by a sense of ever nearing danger although he could not tell from which quarter it would come granny lee would know however as she was a clairvoyant and could look into the seeds of time as did macbeth's weird women of course in this material age most people contemptuously dismiss such things as hanky-panky but that did not matter to theodore skeptics might refuse to shape their course by such a vague chart but he knew positively from experience that under certain circumstances the devil could speak truly and if granny lee with her malignant disposition and greedy venom was not the devil who was granny lee therefore was the one to solve riddles and to granny lee theodore went a few days before christmas yet so as to impress upon his uncle that he was going on a harmless and friendly errand the young man sought him out in the seclusion of his library i am going to see isa lee and ask if she has heard anything about harry since his return to england said theodore abruptly you are going to hindle no isa so i have been told is stopping for christmas with her grandmother in that miserable hut on the moors i can go and return in three hours 
i should like to come with you said the squire alertly i am most anxious to know the whereabouts of harry pentreddle we must question him about the emerald i wonder if he really knows anything i am perfectly certain that he does rejoined theodore positively if he did not he would not have stayed away from isa but i do not advise you to come with me uncle george as there is deep snow on the moors and you are not so young as you were besides i can ask all necessary questions well do so if you can recover the emerald you know what your reward will be said the squire and turned again to decipher an old document which dealt with the adventures of amyas colster in peru theodore shrugged his big shoulders and departed with a grimace much as he would have liked to secure the emerald if only to inherit beckley which was a kind of naboth's vineyard in his greedy eyes he felt quite sure that harry pentreddle could tell him little that would be helpful harry undoubtedly had stolen the jewel and had given it to patricia as his mother's emissary but having departed for amsterdam almost immediately he would know nothing of its unexpected loss apparently he did not even know that his mother had been so barbarously murdered if he did know he assuredly would have returned to avenge her in spite of any danger there might be to him from the guardians of the great gem and that danger was now as theodore fully believed a thing of the past the emerald had been recovered so it was only natural to suppose that the priests of the kitsuki temple would leave well alone with these thoughts in his scheming mind theodore well wrapped up in furs mounted the winding road which led to the moors the vast grassy spaces were covered more or less deeply with snow but dane accustomed to the country since his boyhood and possessing great strength made light of the drifts far away on the dazzling expanse brilliantly and blindingly bright in the sunshine he saw the many dark dots which marked the village near the cromlech where mrs lee had her home a glance backward over the cliff showed him the verdant acres of beckley and a flash of colour where late flowers still bloomed there was no snow below but only emerald swards and green woods running to the verge of the sapphire bay where the wavelets lipped the curved streak of the yellow sands the contrast between the summer he was leaving and the winter he was going into struck theodore forcibly i wish i could get it all to myself he groaned basil is out of it if he marries patricia carroll and mara hasn't the sense to look after it i may secure it after all but patricia he scowled i don't want her to become basil's wife a speech which showed that theodore both wished to have his cake and eat it since he wanted both the girl and the property however it was useless to moralize over possibilities so dane resolutely struck across the moors and ploughed manfully through the drifts after a mile or so he came to the high road up which tourists came to view the rocking stone and the crawling this was comparatively clear and he had no further difficulty in gaining his goal swiftly walking and in spite of his great bulk theodore could walk swiftly when he chose he soon arrived at the handful of houses sheltered immediately under the brow of the gently swelling hill or boss which marked the highest point of the moors it was a most unlikely place for a village as there seemed to be no chance of its inhabitants gaining food but they acted as guides to tourists drove them in vehicles from and to Hendel, 
shepherded droves of export ponies and flocks of hardy sheep and if rumour was true employed much of their spare time in poaching the village boatwain was its name had not a good reputation in general and amongst its inhabitants granny lee in particular had the worst name theodore soon found the tumble-down house in which she lived and at the door came upon isa lee just stepping so she said to post a letter dane saw his opportunity and took it immediately you are writing to harry he observed looking at the tall robust deep-bosomed woman who always reminded him of wagnerian heroines with her fair flaxen hair and brunhilde aspect isa evidently saw no reason to deny the truth yes sir she replied in a deep contralto voice which boomed like a bell is harry still abroad yes sir he is stopping at amsterdam hoping to get a ship does he know of his mother's death yes answered isa i told him and sent him the papers what does he say he intends to return here and pray by her grave theodore shrugged his shoulders cynically he had much better avenge her death was his remark he wants to said isa stolidly but he says that he can't guess who killed her and does not know how to begin he is very sorrowful out over the death mr dane as he loved his mother he doesn't seem to be so very sorry snapped theodore sharply or he would return and learn who murdered her i am writing to him to advise him to do so said the woman quickly oh don't think that harry is hard sir he is he is afraid of what i don't know he refuses to tell me sir dane knew very well when she said this that patricia's suggestion was a true one pentreddle had evidently stolen the jewel and now feared lest he should be assassinated but with the recovery of the jewel by one of the priests and he believed that there was more than one on the hunt all danger had passed isa he said impressively go back and add a postscript to your letter telling harry that there is now no danger and that the squire my uncle wishes to see him what about sir asked isa suddenly and with an anxious look he wants to talk to him about mrs pentreddle's death she was our housekeeper you know yes sir and a grand funeral the squire gave her said the woman with a flush for like all the lower orders she attached great weight to post-mortem ceremonies he has been kind well he wants to be kinder said theodore not hesitating to tell a lie in order to gain his ends he has some idea of who killed martha and wishes to talk about it to harry who should avenge his mother's death will you go back and add that to your letter yes sir oh yes sir said the girl eagerly and very glad harry will be to hear it as he has been fretting dreadfully over his mother's death but he did not return because of this danger whatever it is do you know sir i can guess answered theodore significantly so you can tell harry that he can come quite safely to england now go and write your letter and say that he is to come back at once the squire wishes to see him at beckley as he has news for him meanwhile i shall speak with your grandmother isa nodded and stepped aside to allow her grand visitor to enter the house although it was scarcely worthy of the name it was rather a hovel and possessed only three rooms 
a large one used for all living purposes, and two tiny bedrooms. The old hag, she was nothing else, sat beside a small fire, smoking a short-stemmed clay pipe, and only vouchsafed Dane a grunt when he greeted her. She was about eighty-six years of age, but looked even older, with her wrinkled, copper-colored face and scanty white hair streaming from under a thrum cap. Her eyes were small, black, and piercing, and full of vivid life. For the rest, she was hunched up in a basket chair, stroking a large black cat, and looked a typical witch of James's time. Perhaps she dressed for the part and lived up to it, black cat and all, for she made much money in summer by telling fortunes to tourists. But undoubtedly her appearance was so old and wicked that she would have tasted of the tar-barrel in Stuart days, almost without the formality of a trial. Granny Lee was a witch in grain, if ever there was a witch. "'Good day,' said Theodore, sitting down on a chair with no back, while Isa went into an adjoining bedroom to add the postscript to her letter. "'How do you find yourself this weather, Granny?' "'Mr. Lee, if you please,' snarled the old woman, glaring at him in a malignant way and removing the pipe from her almost toothless gums. "'Mrs. Lee, then be it. Mrs. Brenda Lee, if you like,' said Dane, who had his reasons for keeping her in a good temper. "'How are you?' "'How should I be in this damned weather? I'm all aches and pains, and they dreaded rheumatics.' "'You shouldn't attend so many Sabbaths,' chuckled Theodore, loosening his fur coat. "'Riding a broomstick with no clothes on is dangerous at your age.' "'Leave my age alone, dratty,' growled the amiable old lady, beginning to cut a fresh bill of tobacco with a clasp-knife. "'As to Sabbaths, I don't believe in em, or I'd have gone long ago. There ain't any now, and I don't believe as there ever was.' I don't go to them, but they come to me. Theodore cast a bold look round the miserable room. Are they here now? Granny Lee chuckled in her turn. <laughs> Mine don't need to show when you're here, Mr. Dane. You brought your lot along with you, and the biggest of them is looking over your shoulder at this blessed moment. The big man turned his head but, of course, not being gifted with mediumistic powers, could see nothing. I wish I could have a look at him, he said regretfully. What is he? Just your thought, grown big. Theodore nodded, quite comprehendingly. Of course, thoughts create beings on the astral plane out of the essence. What special thoughts? There's lots of them, and none of them pleasant, interrupted Mrs. Lee pointing with her pipe-stem. "'Yon's greed of what belongs to other folk, and he's not a small one. Then there's selfishness, quite a giant, and hatred, and lust, and ambition, and murder.' "'Why murder? I haven't murdered anyone,' said Dane, quickly and coolly. "'It's in your mind, that brother of yours.' Theodore ground his teeth. "'I'd like to strangle him,' growled. "'Only I might be caught.' Yes, I dare say the murder thought is there. Knowing what he did about occult matters, he had not the least doubt, but what Mrs. Lee saw his thoughts made visible, since she possessed the astral vision, what the Celt calls second sight, and could behold the unseen. Ordinary matter-of-fact people would laugh at Mrs. Lee's pretensions. 
but dane knew that they were only too truthful and that she actually saw the hideous offspring of his brain with which his evil passions had surrounded him however he put the delight of conversing generally with this mistress of black magic aside for the moment since at any moment isa might finish writing her postscript and come out it was time to get to business and he did so without delay i feel there is some danger near me he said abruptly and i want you to see what it is granny laid aside her pipe and stretched forth a skinny hand give me the ring you are wearing i must get your condition to see she said dane pulled off his signet ring and passed it along as he knew that otherwise she could not come into contact with his magnetism mrs lee put it to her wrinkled forehead and closed her beady eyes after a few moments she began to speak slowly listening at times as if some of the viewless things around her were speaking it's danger from above she muttered what danger i can't tell that shell of yours which holds your wicked soul is stretched out as flat as a pancake how does that happen i can't tell drackey but it won't happen if you don't let it come into the house what is it granny listened for a moment a voice says that you're not to know but how can i guard myself if i'm not to know protested theodore in a vexed tone what is the use of warning me unless the remedy suggested granny shook her weird old head there's innocence against you and them as works for you can't get over get over what the barrier of innocence don't ask me more questions for the mist is hiding all she handed back his ring what i get plainly is don't let it come into the house but hang it raged theodore what is it i can't tell drat ye said granny again and resumed her pipe theodore gave her a shilling and left the hut more doubtful than ever his oracle as an oracle should be was too mystical for everyday comprehension End of chapter eleven chapter twelve of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by matt perard chapter twelve a japanese diplomatist if count akira was indeed anxious to visit beckley he certainly did not betray much alacrity in accepting the squire's cordial invitation he did write to the effect that he would be delighted to come but postponed his arrival until the second week in january official business he stated would keep him employed during the next few weeks and he would be unable to leave his chief consequently there was only a family party present at the christmas festivities mr colpster being of a conservative nature always kept these up in an old-fashioned hospitable style indeed he invited several friends to join on this occasion as his nephew was at home but the friends having their own families and own festivities declined to put in an appearance the squire was not sorry as he disliked the trouble of entertaining visitors as it was he gave the servants a dinner and bestowed coats and blankets and hampers of wholesome food on the inhabitants of handel boatswain and the other hamlets all of which had at one time belonged to dead and gone colpsters 
for this reason did the squire act so generously and he hoped when the emerald was recovered for he refused to believe that it had gone back to its shrine in japan that the future good fortune which would come with it would enable him to buy back the lost lands meanwhile by acting as the lord of the lost manor he retained the feudal allegiance of the villagers there was something pathetic in the way in which the old man persistently looked forward to the rehabilitation of his family he made sure that the mikado jewel would come back he felt certain that the land would be recovered and was convinced that when he passed away the husband of mara would start a new dynasty of culpsters through the female branch whose glories would outshine the ancient line but who mara was to marry did not seem quite clear he spoke to the girl on the subject and suggested that she should become the wife of theodore or basil mara shuddered when he mentioned the first name and her father noted the repugnance the shudder revealed i don't approve much of theodore myself he said apologetically as he is extremely selfish but he has no bad qualities which would lead him to waste money and moreover he loves this place you might do worse dear if theodore was the only man on earth and offered me a kingdom i would not marry him said mara speaking decisively and in a firm way which contrasted strongly with her usual indifference he is a bad man my dear child he has no vices he neither drinks nor gambles nor if he had all the vices of which a human being is capable interrupted mara loudly i would not mind but his bad qualities are inhuman he is selfish and dangerous and all his time is given to black magic the squire laughed incredulously i know that theodore dabbles in such things he said disbelievingly but it is all imagination mara there is no such a thing as any power to be obtained in that way yes there is i know said mara looking at her father significantly can you prove what you say my dear no and i don't want to talk any more about the matter i won't marry my cousin theodore even if you leave the property away from me i don't want to do that you are my heiress and my idea was for you to marry your cousin then he could take your name and-i shan't marry theodore cried mara for the third time and stamped basil then you can have no fault to find with basil i haven't father but mara stopped and a strange smile spread over her small pale face i shall ask basil to marry me if you like she said in an abrupt way he can but say no he won't say no my dear basil loves me too well to thwart my wishes but it is his part to woo and yours to listen let him ask i should have to wait a long time before he did that said mara dryly i wish to know the best or worst at once and she left the room still smiling strangely mr colpster could not understand why she smiled but then neither he nor anyone else understood the girl who seemed to hang between two worlds the seen and the unseen without making use of either so indifferent was her attitude towards all things 
as it happened patricia was busy attending to the servants as it was her housekeeping hour mara was thus enabled to find basil alone for when miss carroll was available he constantly followed at her heels like a faithful and adoring dog but patricia would not appear for some time so the sailor read the daily paper in the smoking-room and solaced himself for the absence of the eternal feminine with his pipe mara knew where to find him and entered in her light noiseless way to perch on the arm of his chair like a golden butterfly without any preamble she plunged into the reason for her intrusion into bachelor quarters basil will you marry me she asked coldly and calmly and unexpectedly looking on his cousin as a child the young man thought she was joking and laughed when he answered of course will we start now for the church on the moors where all the colsters have been married i am in earnest basil she said seriously so am i he rejoined lightly only it will be the marriage of bottom and titania with you my airy elf and he slipped his arm round her waist looking at her with a smile on his handsome face mara who disliked being touched even by patricia much more by this confident male thing as she called basil in her mind slipped off the arm of the chair and floated like thistledown into the centre of the room don't be silly basil i have just come from my father he wants me to marry you or theodore i hate theodore and would sooner die than become his wife but i told father that i would ask you to become my husband basil saw that she really meant what she said and moreover knew of his uncle's strong desire to unite the two branches of the dwindling colpster family laying aside his pipe he grew red to the roots of his closely cropped hair i-i don't want to he stuttered ungallantly and feeling very much confused i-i hope you don't mind a wintry smile gleamed on the girl's white face i should have minded a great deal had you really wished to marry me then why ask me demanded basil much relieved but still confused to set my father's mind at rest replied mara quietly and as self-possessed as her cousin was disturbed now that you have declined i can tell him and she flitted towards the door but mara basil rose and ran across the room to catch her arm how can you be certain that i mean what i say she turned on him with an amazed look you think that i am a child basil but i am not i have eyes and ears and common sense you will marry patricia will you not young dane grew redder than ever i-i have said nothing to her he stammered nervously she-she doesn't know that i-that i mara's scornful laughter stopped his further speech and she became quite friendly for so bloodless a person you silly boy she cried ruffling what hair the barber had left him patricia knows but how can she because she is a woman said mara impatiently women are not like men and don't require everything to be put into words i saw from the moment you met patricia that you loved her i'm glad i'm glad she ended with conviction as i don't want to marry you or anyone else basil with lover-like selfishness did not pay attention to the end of her speech but to the earlier part if you saw then miss carroll must have seen miss carroll 
mocked mara with dancing eyes why not patricia oh the shy sailor blushed i shouldn't care to call her that his cousin took him by the coat lapels and shook him with frail strength silly creature if you have not the courage to take what you can get patricia will have nothing to do with you and women like a bold lover i don't believe she will ever return my love sighed basil dolefully oh as to that she returns it already mara he flushed again this time with sheer delight do you think i don't think i know and i'm very glad for patricia is a darling i hope that father who is as fond of her as i am will give her beckley on condition that she marries you who can't say boat to a goose basil looked serious and sighed again i'm sorry to upset uncle george's plans for he has always been kind to me but not even for the estate could i give up miss that is patricia no one wants you to give up either said mara impatiently father will no doubt give you backley no dear that would not be right you are the heiress and what would i do with it keep a boarding-house or start a convent of nuns i would much rather have a small income and be able to move round as i please you will marry some day mara mr wright will come along mr wright will never come along cried mara and coloured crimson which was unusual unless it comes from the other world what do you mean asked the sailor greatly puzzled by this weird speech oh never mind retorted mara pitying his lack of comprehension sit down and dream of your patricia i am going to tell father that my heart is broken and shooting a whimsical glance at the amazed and startled basil she slipped out of her room five minutes later miss carroll arrived with her household work completed for the day in spite of what mara had told him basil would not follow the path she had pointed out he was rather more attentive than usual to patricia and gave her to understand that he would wreck continence for her sake but the modesty of a man which is greater than that of a woman kept his tongue quiet and his eyes unintelligent patricia did not entirely approve of this restrained attitude as she knew that he loved her and wished to be told so in plain english she could not understand why he did not speak but basil himself understood very well he waited for patricia to give him a sufficiently strong hint that she adored him and then he could lay himself at her feet it did not seem right so basil thought to act on what he had learned from mara as that would be taking advantage of illicit intelligence before the sailor's rigorous views of honour the situation could have been adjusted then and there all the same it was not because she could not speak and he would not as for mara she returned to her father and demonstrated to him very plainly that her cousin wished to marry miss carroll and that when the time came he would do so colpster felt annoyed mara could not marry basil and would not marry theodore so his plans for the future well-being of the family were all disarranged what would you say if i gave beckley to basil he said pointedly he could marry patricia you know and take my name i should be very glad replied mara quietly well then i won't said her father greatly annoyed you are the last of the direct line and should have the property i wouldn't know what to do with it 
You could live here when I am gone. Mara raised her faint eyebrows. All alone? she questioned. You know I would not allow Theodore to stay, and that Patricia would go with Basil, who is always moving round the world. Oh, I couldn't. What's to be done, then? asked the squire helplessly. Mara threw her arms round his neck, a rare demonstration of affection from so usually a self-controlled girl. Wait, she whispered. Wait and see what is about to happen. What is about to happen? I don't know, but something is coming along to change all our lives. How do you know? I can't tell you. I only feel that there is something in the air to— Oh! Colpster grew angry. More of your occult rubbish. I wish you were an ordinary girl, Mara, and not a dreaming visionary. I shall wait until the emerald comes back, and then you must make up your mind to marry Theodore, since Basil's affections are engaged. Mara reflected, and thought how very certain Theodore was that the emerald had gone back to Japan, never to return. The recollection gave her a chance of pacifying her father, and of securing her freedom. Very well, then, she said quietly. When you get the emerald, father, I shall marry him. And in this way the affair was settled for the time being. But think as she might, Mara could not guess how her father expected the Mikado Jewel to return to the Colpster family. And even if it did, she could not understand how its possession would affect things in any way. Meanwhile, the days and weeks passed by, and the time drew near for the visit of Count Akira. Mara, although she said nothing, was looking forward to his arrival. Why, she did not know, for, as a rule, she was quite indifferent to those who came to Beckley Hall. In her heart, however, she felt that he was coming into her life, either for good or ill, and it was this feeling which made her say to her father that a change was about to take place. But she could not have put her feeling into words, and did not attempt to do so. With a fatalism, which was inherent in her character, she waited passively, certain that what was meant to be would certainly become when the hour struck. There was nothing more to be said. Theodore had duly told his uncle of the interview with Issa Lee, although for obvious reasons he said nothing about the seance with the grandmother. The squire was, therefore, anxiously awaiting the arrival of Harry Pentreddle, as he then hoped to learn how and why the young man had stolen the emerald. Also, he might be able to guess who had snatched it from the hand of Patricia, and, if so, could then tell in whose possession it now was. A great deal depended upon what Pentreddle had to say, and Colpster watched daily for his coming. But Count Akira was the first to arrive, and in attending to a new and fascinating guest, the squire almost forgot his anxiety to hear the evidence of young Pentreddle. The Japanese came late in the evening, having arrived at Hendel by the express, to be driven to Batley by Basil. The young man went to meet his friend, and brought him to the hall in time to dress for dinner. It was not until the meal was in progress that Mara set eyes on him, and then she was so excited by his presence, although she did not show her feelings, that she could scarcely eat. What she had expected, vague as it was, had come true. This man from the far east was the man who would change her life into what he would change it, and down what new path he would lead her, she could not say. All she knew was that with the hour had come the man. 
Count Akira was a small, neat person with a bronze-colored skin, a clean-shaven face, black hair and black eyes, and a very dignified manner. At the first sight, he did not look particularly impressive, as the European evening dress did not entirely suit his aggressively oriental appearance. But when those gathered in the drawing-room came to notice his keen, dark eyes, so observant and piercing, to listen to his carefully worded speech, and to look at his nobly formed head, they became aware that he was no ordinary man. Race was apparent in his gestures and glances and dominating manner, so quiet yet imperious. He came of a noble line, accustomed to rule, and his personality made itself felt more and more as something strong and dangerous while the hours passed. He was the past, the present, the future of the island empire, the epitome of Japan, the representative of the highest type of the yellow race, filled with far-reaching ambitions. "'Is it true that you worship the sun in Japan?' asked Theodore, tactlessly. Akira turned his shrewd eyes on the speaker, and smilingly displayed a set of snowy teeth. "'Some do, and some don't,' he replied evasively. "'But I assure you, Mr. Dane, that if you ever saw the sun in England, you would worship him also, and with very good reason.' "'Oh, we get the sun here,' said the squire patriotically. "'You get a name, but not the real central planet,' said Akira, with a shrug. "'Clouds and mist obscure his rays. Only in the east does the true sun exist. Is that not so, Dane?' he spoke to Basil, whom he always addressed in this way, although he was more ceremonious with Theodore. "'It is,' assented the sailor, with a laugh. "'And yet, Akira, when under your painfully blue skies and in your blazing sunshine, I have often longed for the cooling mists of England, you so despise.' "'That is quite poetical,' smiled Patricia. "'Sailors are always poetical, although they don't show that side to landsmen, the solitary spaces of sea and sky, when one is driven back on oneself to think out high things, is enough to make any man poetical.' "'Well,' said Mara shrewdly, "'if sailors don't show that side to landsmen, they probably show it to landswomen.' "'Is that not so, Basil?' and she mischievously glanced from him to Patricia and back again. "'To some women,' replied Basil briefly, and colouring through his tan. "'What? When a sailor has a wife in every port?' sneered Theodore, then aware that he had said more than he ought to in the presence of ladies, he quickly turned to Akira. "'Perhaps, Count, you will tell us about Japan.' The little man blinked his keen eyes and politely assented. He made himself comfortable, and in many-colored words, placed fairyland before their eyes. With great charm of manner, he told of cool Buddhist temples, wherein weird ceremonies take place. He related the delightful legend of Jiso-sama, that kindly god who protects dead children. He pictured the vivid life of toy cities, all color and movement, and drew the attention of his fascinated hearers to the charm of Japanese and Chinese lettering which lend themselves to fantastic and odd decoration. After a time, he gave a description of a pilgrimage he had made to Fuji, that sacred mountain, which appears in a thousand and one pictures of Dai-Nippon. My country with Fujiyama, left out, is like Hamlet without the prince, he said, smiling. That mountain is the guardian genius of the land. 
then he told about the rice fields with their delicate springing green of the cherry orchards in blossom of the pine forest where fox women lurked and sketched out many charming legends his talk was like a page of lafcadio hearn and mara hung breathlessly on his words as he proceeded her breath became quick and short and her eyes grew larger she looked at the narrator through him past him as though all he described were passing before her like a panorama of bygone centuries suddenly she clapped her hands i remember i remember she cried rising unsteadily to her feet your land is my land i remember at last and stopping suddenly she sank unconscious at the feet of the astonished japanese End of chapter 12chapter thirteen of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain reading by matt perard chapter thirteen the unexpected next day mara was quite her old indifferent self with feminine craft she denied what she had said even though five witnesses were ready to repeat the words i didn't know what i was saying said mara impatiently of course the heat was too much for me the heat repeated her father in january beckley isn't england my nerves are out of order count akira had some funny japanese scent on his handkerchief theodore was looking at me and that always upsets me and in this way she made idle excuses none of which would hold water i wish you would leave me alone she ended angrily as there was nothing else for it she was left alone and the queer episode was passed over mara was polite to the japanese and nothing more but her eyes were constantly following him about and she came upon him by design in unexpected places akira was too shrewd not to notice that he was an object of interest to this pale golden-haired english maid and inwardly was puzzled to think why she should pursue him in this secretive fashion mara everlastingly inquired about japan and about its people she wished to know the manners and customs of the inhabitants and entreated the count to draw word-pictures of far eastern landscapes but he observed that she never asked him questions when any one else was present with a delicate sense of chivalry he kept silent about the secret understanding which her odd conduct had brought about between them for there was an understanding without doubt akira found himself wondering at times if she was really english for towards him at all events she did not display the world-wide reserve for which the island race of the west is famous of course squire colpster seized the first opportunity to question his guest about the emerald but akira professed that he knew little more than the facts that there was such a stone and that it had been stolen some months before from the temple i have been to kitsuki said the count as my religion is shinto and in izumo is the oldest of our shrines a very wonderful building it is and was built in legendary ages by order of the sun goddess but the same temple surely does not exist now oh no it has been rebuilt twenty-eight times and the squire interrupted him with an exclamation 
i remember lafcadio hearn says that in one of his books he was a very clever man and loved our people replied akira quietly yes yes colpster nodded absently it is strange that he did not say anything about the mikado jewel it is not generally shown to strangers explained the japanese i have seen it myself of course what is it like like a chrysanthemum blossom of green jade with an emerald in the centre mr colpster i believe it was given to the shrine by one of our emperors called go yojo it was and he received it from shogun layasu akira fixed his sharp black eyes on the tired face of his host you seem pardon me to know a great deal about this jewel he observed inquiringly i ought to the emerald belonged to our family centuries ago you astonish me i thought i would cried the squire triumphantly yes an ancestor of mine gave the emerald to queen elizabeth and she sent it through an english pilot called will adams to akbar the emperor of india adams however was wrecked on your coasts count and presented the jewel to Iyasu. how very interesting said akira his usually passive oriental face betraying his wonder thank you for telling me all this mr colpster i must relate it to the priests of the kitsuki temple when i return to my own land i do so in a month or two he added courteously but the jewel is now lost so i understand i read the report of the death of your housekeeper colpster gazed in astonishment at the little man did that interest you naturally rejoined akira unmoved seeing that her death was connected with the mikado jewel are you sure that it is the same asked colpster breathlessly assuredly from the description i expect the thief whosoever he was brought the emerald to london but who stole it from miss carroll akira shrugged his shoulders and spread out his small hands alas i do not know but you should mr colpster seeing that the thief proposed to transfer it to your housekeeper through miss carroll he looked very directly at his host as he spoke the squire reflected for a few minutes i will be frank with you count he observed earnestly that emerald brought good luck to our family and since it has left our possession we have had misfortunes and losses i wished to get back the jewel and gave basil a sum of money to offer to buy it back interrupted akira nodding yes i know you sent him on a dangerous errand mr colpster but for me he would have been murdered as perhaps you know basil told me this story said colpster drawing himself up stiffly but i cannot really agree with you as to the danger i merely offered to buy back what belonged to an ancestor of mine your ancestor parted with it said akira readily and rather dryly so as the stone has become a sacred one it was impossible for the priest to take money for it i know dane had nothing to do with its disappearance ah the squire became cautious i don't know who had anything to do with the theft i wish i did what then i would seek out the thief and regain the jewel by your own showing the thief parted with the emerald to miss carroll was akira's quiet remark that it was taken from her is strange oh i don't think so count some thief saw miss carroll looking at it you remember of course the details given at the inquest 
and snatched it. Akira was silent for a few moments. Mr. Colpster, he said earnestly, if you are wise, you will make no attempt to regain this stone. It brought your family good luck centuries ago, but if it comes into your possession again, it will bring bad luck. How do you know? I don't know for certain. I don't even know why it was snatched from Miss Carroll, or where it is now, said Akira coldly. But I do know, he added with great emphasis, that since the emerald has been adapted to certain uses in the Shinto temple at Kitsuki, the powers it possesses must be entirely changed. Oh, I don't believe it has such powers, said the squire roughly. Yet you believe that it will bring you good luck, said Akira with a dry little cough. Isn't that rather illogical, sir? Mr. Colpster could find no rejoinder to this very leading question and dropped the subject. It was very plain that Akira knew very little about the matter, and also it was dangerous to speak to him on the subject. If, indeed, the jewel was in the possession of a London thief, it might be recovered sooner or later, and if Akira knew that it had again passed into the possession of the Colpster family, he might get his ambassador to claim it for Japan. The squire rather regretted that he had spoken of the matter at all, since his explanation might arouse his guest's curiosity. But as the days passed away, and Akira did not again refer to the abruptly terminated conversation, Colpster thought that he was mistaken. The Japanese really was indifferent to the loss of the jewel, and no doubt had never given the subject a second thought. But the squire determined, should he learn anything from Harry Pentretum, to keep his knowledge to himself. Akira doesn't care, he meditated, but one never knows. If I can get the emerald by some miracle, he may want it for Kitsuki again. I shall hold my tongue for the future. I was a fool to speak of the matter. Having decided to act in this manner, he warned Theodore and Basil and Mara not to refer in any way to the Mikado jewel. Yet, strangely enough, he did not warn the person who knew most to hold her tongue. It therefore came about that one day, while Patricia was showing the gardens to Akira, he abruptly mentioned the subject of the inquest, and incidentally touched on her adventure in Hyde Park. Were you not afraid, Miss Carroll? Yes, and no. I was not afraid until the emerald was taken from me, said Patricia, frankly. Why? asked the Count, politely and with seeming indifference she hesitated i fear you will think me silly then in reply to his wave of a hand that such an idea would never enter his head she added hastily when i held the emerald i felt a power radiating out from it ah the japanese started in spite of his usual self-command then you have occult powers and sight and feeling and hearing i have not replied patricia vexed with herself that she had spoken so freely i am a very commonplace person indeed count i felt that feeling because i was worried and hungry naturally muttered akira to himself you get in touch with it when the physical body is weak get in touch with what asked patricia crossly for she began to think that this beady-eyed little man was making game of her with what you saw i shan't say anything more about the matter patricia turned away with great dignity i'm sorry i spoke at all 
your secret is safe with me miss carroll it isn't a secret mr colpster and his two nephews know i don't suppose they understand mr theodore dane does snapped miss carroll fractiously for the persistence of the man was getting on her nerves yes said akira with a ghostly smile in a way but he doesn't know enough pity for him that he doesn't what are you talking about count nonsense he replied promptly after all miss carroll i am here to play i wonder you came here at all to such a quiet place oh i don't care for orgies miss carroll but if you ask me i wonder also why i am here patricia felt that he was speaking truthfully and turned on him with a look of amazement from all she had seen of the small japanese she judged that he was a man who knew his own mind as she looked by some telepathic process he guessed what was in hers sometimes i do he answered but on this occasion i don't exactly and he drawled the last word slowly patricia almost jumped you are a very uncomfortable man she remarked the east and the west dear lady they never meet without misunderstandings this cryptic remark closed the conversation and they went into afternoon tea akira said no more nor did he explain his puzzling conversation in the least however he still remembered it for every time he looked at patricia he smiled so enigmatically that the mother which is in every woman made her wish to slap him and send him to bed without any supper that same evening in the drawing-room a strange thing took place which made patricia wonder more than ever theodore had been performing some conjuring tricks with cards at which akira smiled politely basil had sung and she had played a sonata of beethoven feeling tired no doubt of shakespeare and the musical glasses mr colpster had stolen to his study to look at his beloved family tree the young people had the drawing-room to themselves as all save mara who invariably declined to contribute to the gaiety of any evening had done his or her part it was the turn of the japanese amuse us in some way count commanded patricia crossing to a sofa and throwing herself luxuriously on the silken cushions alas i am so foolish i know not how to amuse i have told you so much of my own country that you must be tired no 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 cried mara with shining eyes and an alert manner i never grow weary of hearing about japan why asked the count half closing his eyes mara's face became strange and cold i don't know she said in a hesitating manner i seem to know japan but mara cried basil staring you have never been there all the same i know it and especially i know the temple of kitsuki ah but you were there put in theodore glancing at the count whose eyes were curiously intent upon the girl's pale face when he asked suddenly she went in her astral body in search for the mikado jewel and don't talk of these things interrupted mara in an angry tone the count doesn't want to hear such rubbish of course it is all rubbish said akira promptly but patricia mindful of his afternoon conversation did not believe that he spoke as he felt ah 
sneered theodore quietly you are one of the scoffers yet i thought that the east believed in such things we believe in much we never talk about replied akira calmly then there was a pause until he suddenly produced from his pocket a bamboo flute i can play this he said with his eyes on mara as though he addressed himself to her it is a simple japanese instrument have you a drum basil who was addressed laughed i don't think so there's the dinner gong that will do said akira serenely would you mind getting it and beating it rhythmically like a tom-tom softly of course so as not to drown the notes of my flute and a handbell he added casting his looks round the room you are arranging an orchestra laughed basil going out to fetch the gong here is a bell cried mara taking a small silver handbell from a table covered with knick-knacks hold it please but what am i to do with it asked the girl bewildered the music i play will tell you said akira somewhat grimly and then patricia began to see that there was some meaning in all this preparation more that the same was in some hidden way connected with mara however she said nothing but waited events presently basil tall and slim returned carrying the brazen gong and sat down to flourish the stick punch and judy said basil now for it akira said nothing he looked at patricia and theodore who were staring at him with astonishment and at basil laughing over the gong and finally at mara who held the handbell and appeared puzzled suddenly the japanese rose from his seat and crossing to the fire threw something into it immediately a thick white smoke poured into the room and a strong perfume came to patricia's nostrils which seemed to be familiar the incense of moses she heard theodore mutter hang it the fellow does know something of these things mara also smelt the perfumed smoke her eyes grew fixed her nostrils dilated and as patricia had seen in theodore's room she began to make a shaking motion with both hands and as formerly she closed them together holding the silver bell mouth downward as the fragrant smoke was wafted through the room the shrill piping of the flute was heard and basil according to his instructions began to beat a low muffled monotonous accompaniment on the gong the music sounded weird and eastern and was unlike anything patricia had ever heard before the stupefying incense and the smoke and the sobbing flute waiting above the throbbing of the gong made her head swim suddenly mara as if she was moving in her sleep rose slowly and walked into the centre of the room there she began to move with swaying motion in a circle shaking the silver bell with closed hands her feet scarcely made any figures as she only walked rapidly round and round but the upper part of her body swung from side to side and bent backward and forward it was like an indian notch weird and uncanny basil seemed to think so for he stopped his measured beating but the smoke still wreathed itself through the room in serpentine coils the flute shrilled loud and piercing and mara danced as in a dream all at once she reeled and the bell crashed on the floor basil flung down the gong and sprang forward 
she is fainting he cried angrily catching mara in his arms akira what the devil does this mean she is ill no no said mara as the flute stopped and the scent of the incense grew faint i am not ill i am i am what have i been doing and she looked vacantly round the room akira laid aside his flute and spoke with suppressed excitement you have been performing the miko dance he said trying to control himself miko the dance of the miko cried mara stretching out her hand i no i remember the dance of the divineress at last at mara you are ill cried basil roughly and catching her by the arm he hurried her still protesting out of the room what does it mean asked patricia who had risen don't you know asked akira looking at theodore no said dane puzzled and a trifle awed when mara smells that scent she always dances in that queer fashion but i never saw her keep it up for so long as she has done to-night where did you get that incense it is an old japanese incense said akira carelessly then he turned to patricia i now know why i have been brought here he said i don't understand stammered the girl nervously i shall explain i did not intend to come to beckley but i was compelled to come you with your sixth sense should know what i mean miss carroll i wondered why i was brought to this out-of-the-way place now i know it was to meet a former miko of the temple of kitsuki oh yes i am sure i know now why miss colpster declared that she remembered my country and loved to hear me talk about it she is a reincarnation of the dancing priestess who lived ages since the province of izumo do you believe that asked patricia scornfully akira nodded all japanese believe in reincarnation he said in a decisive tone it is the foundation of their belief you believe also theodore to whom he spoke nodded yes and i wish i wish he turned pale akira looked at him imperiously wish nothing he said she is not for you she is not for the west she is for dai nippon End of chapter 13、Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 14 The Jewel It was judged best by all concerned to keep the episode of the Miko dance from Mr. Colpster. since he undoubtedly would have been very angry had he known of the strain to which mara's nervous system had been subjected not that the girl suffered any ill effects but she was extremely tired and remained in bed for the greater part of the next day patricia attended to her tenderly but could learn little from her as to why she had acted in so strange a way under the influence of the incense and the music but she intimated vaguely that the dance had reawakened her recollections of a previous life when she was not mara colpster but quite another person 
Miss Carroll was quite distressed by what she regarded as an hallucination, and privately consulted Basil the next morning after breakfast. "'I am greatly annoyed myself,' said Dane, frowning. "'Akira should not have acted in the way he did without consulting me.' "'You would not have given your consent to the experiment,' said Patricia. "'Certainly not.' Mara is too highly strung to be subjected to these things, and might easily lose her reason. It is just as well that we have decided not to tell my uncle. He would be furious, and then there would be trouble with Akira, who has not the best of tempers under his cool exterior. But why do you call it an experiment? Can't you see? No, I merely think that Akira wished to give us a specimen of Japanese music, and it influenced Mara, as you saw. Perhaps we have been too hard on Akira, and he did not know what she would do. If he did not intend something to happen, why did he throw that incense on the fire? asked Patricia, meaningly. I can't say, unless it was to heighten the dramatic effect of his silly nonsense, retorted Basil whose temper was still hot. It was to revive Mara's memory. About what? About her past life in Japan? Basil stared at her. Surely, Miss Carroll, you don't believe in what Akira said last night? He observed with some displeasure and stiffly. Don't you? Patricia looked at him keenly, and the young sailor grew red. Well, he said at length, there is no doubt that much common sense is to be found in the belief of reincarnation i have been so long in the east that i don't scoff at it so much as western people do all the same i do not go so far as to say that i entirely believe in it but you you who have never been east of suez you can't possibly credit the fact that mara some hundreds of years ago was a priestess in japan Patricia looked straight out of the horizon at the azure sea, and the bright line of the distant horizon. I dislike these weird things, she said after a pause. They are uncomfortable to believe, and since I have known your brother Theodore, I dislike them more than ever, as he makes bad use of what he knows. I am certain of that. Does he really know anything? asked Basil, skeptically. Yes, said Patricia decidedly i really believe he has certain powers although they are not so much on the surface as mine everyone according to him has these powers latent but they require to be developed i don't want mine to be brought to the surface as my own idea is to live a quiet and ordinary life basil's eyes had a look in them which asked if she wished to live her ordinary life alone all he said however was I quite agree with Patricia nodded absently, being too much taken up with her own thoughts to observe his expression. As I therefore have a belief in such things, she continued, and a belief which has been more or less proved to my mind by the strange feelings I experienced while holding the Mikado jewel, I see no reason to doubt the doctrine of reincarnation. That seems to me better than anything else to answer the riddle of life mara is certainly as you must admit a strange girl very strange indeed assented basil readily unlike other girls 
She has always, so she told me, went on Patricia steadily, been trying to remember her dreams, by which, I think, she means her previous lives. She could never grasp them until last night. Then the music and the incense brought back her memories. They opened the doors, in fact, which to most people, you and I, for instance, are closed. Then you really believe she lived in Japan centuries ago? asked Basil, in rather an odd tone. Yes, I do, replied Miss Carroll firmly, although I know that many people would laugh if I said so. This morning Mara is staying in bed and will not speak much, but I gather that the past has all returned to her. Remember how she loved to hear Count Akira's stories and how she followed him about? He noticed that, and so acted as he did last night. But why did he think of the Miko dance in connection with Mara? Theodore confessed to me. Oh, Patricia blushed. I should not call him by his Christian name. The young man suppressed a pang of jealousy. I dare say you do so because you hear us all calling one another by our Christian names. I often wonder, he added cautiously, that you do not call me Basil. Patricia blushed still deeper and waved the question. I have to tell you what your brother said she remarked stiffly he related to count akira how mara danced in that weird manner when she smelt certain incense that gave the count a hint and he acted upon it as you saw she paused then turned to face basil what is to be done now the sailor had already made up his mind in the first place my uncle must not be told as he would make trouble in the second i shall take akira to handle today sightseeing so that he may not meet mara in the third i shall hint that it would be as well seeing the effect his presence has on mara that he should terminate his visit do you approve yes said patricia nodding you are taking the most practical way out of the difficulty there is one thing i am afraid of however what is that mara may fall in love with count akira if indeed she is not in love with him already what with that japanese cried basil furiously and his racial hatred became pronounced at once that would never do she must not see him again he is bound to return here so she must see him can't you keep her in her room until akira goes patricia shook her head mara is difficult to manage however Although she may love the Count, he may not care for her. Let us hope so. All we can do is to act as you suggest. Now we must go and see after the dinner. Basil would have liked to detain her to talk on more absorbing topics, but the question of Mara and her oddities was so very prominent that he decided against chatting about more personal matters. With a sigh, he watched her disappear and then went away to seek out akira and take him out of the house for a few hours the japanese with all his astuteness did not fathom the reason why he was asked to drive round the country and willingly assented he asked a few careless questions about mara but did not refer to the scene of the previous night basil on his side was acute enough to let sleeping dogs lie so the pair started off about noon for their jaunt in a friendly fashion they talked of this thing and that 
and all round the shop as the saying is but neither one referred to the scene of the previous night yet a vivid memory of that was uppermost in basil's mind and as he very shrewdly suspected was present also in the thoughts of akira but judging from the man's composure and conversation he had quite forgotten what had taken place basil was pleased with this reticence as it saved him the unpleasantness of explaining himself too forcibly meanwhile patricia drew a long breath of relief when basil drove away with the japanese diplomatist and she went at once to see if mara was all right the girl feeling drowsy was disinclined to chatter but laid back with a smile of ecstasy on her pale face her lips were moving although she did not open her eyes and patricia bent to hear if she required anything but all that mara was saying amounted to a reiteration that she had recalled the past doubtless since the door was now wide open she was in fancy dwelling again in her oriental home moreover she was quite happy so miss carroll seeing that her presence was not necessary to the girl's comfort stole on tiptoe out of the room it was when she came downstairs that she chanced upon theodore in the entrance hall the big man looked both startled and surprised and spoke to her in an excited tone come into my uncle's library at once miss carroll he said touching her arm it has come what has come naturally asked miss carroll puzzled by his tone and look it came by post went on theodore breathlessly and was not even registered there is not a line with it to show who sent it i don't know what you are talking about mr dane uncle wants you to hold it again in your hand and see if you can feel the drawing power you spoke of come come quickly at last patricia knew what he meant and her face grew white have you the mikado jewel she asked leaning against the wall faint and sick for answer theodore unceremoniously led her into the library and she saw mr colpster standing near the window gloating over something which he held in his hand as he moved to face the girl a vivid green ray shot through the subdued light of the large room look look cried the squire stuttering in his excitement and he held up the jade chrysanthemum with the emerald flashing in its centre as the sunlight caught its many facets the mikado jewel gasped patricia and her legs refused to sustain her any longer she sank into a chair how long did you get it it came by post by the midday post explained the squire repeating what his nephew had said earlier just carelessly wrapped up in brown paper and directed to me not even registered and packed in a small tin box tied round with a string the postmark is london so it must have been sent through the general post office no district name is stamped on the covering oh wonderful wonderful the luck of the colpsters has returned but who sent it asked patricia looking with ill-concealed repugnance at the sinister gem which had indirectly brought about the death of mrs pentreddle the man who committed the crime no no struck in theodore impatiently that's impossible the assassin of poor martha never had it in his possession although as we know he hunted the house to find it 
the thief who snatched it from you in the park miss carroll must have repented and sent it to its rightful owner and i am its rightful owner said the squire drawing up his spare form to its full height this gin belonged to my ancestor and it is only fair that i should possess it patricia could not approve of this speech as she knew from colpster's own lips that sir beavis had given it to queen elizabeth in exchange for his knighthood but she knew also that it was useless to argue with the squire as he appeared to be obsessed by the jewel to which he ascribed such fantastical powers nothing she was convinced would ever make him give it up and she was confirmed in this opinion by his next words say nothing to basil or akira about the arrival of the emerald he said hurriedly to his companions i don't trust that japanese he thinks that the jewel belongs to the temple of kitsuki so it does remarked patricia quickly colpster snarled and his face became quite ugly and animal in its anger when he turned on her sharply it belongs to me to me to me he cried vehemently and pressed the jewel close to his breast i shall never give it up never 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 tell akira at your peril i don't intend to say a word to the count said patricia retreating a step before his malignant expression it is none of my business but if you are wise you will throw it away why 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 chattered colpster still angry at her opposition and perhaps pricked in his conscience by her words i think it will bring evil upon you you shouldn't let it come into the house she panted and felt that what she said was true theodore started and grew pale granny lee had used almost the same words when he had asked her about the possible danger the old woman had refused to say what the danger was or perhaps as she stated she could not put a name to it but after hearing patricia's remark theodore felt that perhaps the mikado jewel had been referred to as it granny lee said plainly don't let it come into the house and now this girl who also possessed certain powers declared that it should not be allowed to remain under the roof lest it should bring evil in its train you are talking rubbish said theodore roughly and trying to conceal his dismay how can that jewel hurt anyone i don't know i can't say but it should not be allowed to remain here squire colpster laughed and laid the lovely thing down on his desk where it flashed gloriously in a ray of sunshine it shall remain here always and bring good fortune to the family he said vaingloriously patricia impelled by some outside power rose and went up to lay a warning hand on the old man's arm there is something wrong she urged consider mr colpster how could the thief have sent the jewel to you unless he knew more about the matter than we think if an ordinary tramp stole it he would have pawned it if a priest of the temple took it he would have carried it as mr theodore suggested back to japan why is it sent to you i don't know that is what puzzles me said colpster and his mouth grew more obstinate than ever but i am going to keep it anyhow what do you say miss carroll turned to theodore the big man winced and grew a shade whiter for the warning of granny lee still haunted his mind 
but the sight of the jewel and the knowledge that he might one day possess it awoke all his covetous nature and he could not make up his mind to suggest that it should be sent away and after all the it to which brenda lee referred might not be this gem i say keep it he remarked drawing a deep breath the luck of the family is bound up in it i am certain the bad luck of the family said patricia bitterly oh you have been listening to akira said the squire crossly he declared that probably the power had been changed how he could know when he never set eyes on the jewel i can't imagine i admit that it is very strange that it should have been sent to me and i can't conceive how the thief either obtained my address or how he knew that i wanted his plunder he might read in the papers said theodore only to be stopped by his uncle who looked at him sharply you talk rubbish my boy i said nothing at the inquest about my interest in the jewel and no one outside our own family knew that i desired it i shouldn't wonder if akira knew said theodore quickly impossible you have heard all he had to tell all the same it will be as well to say nothing about our recovery of the gem while he is in the house i have your promise miss carroll yes i shall say nothing and you theodore good don't even tell mara or basil else they may let out something to that infernal japanese i shall lock the jewel in my safe yonder and he pointed to a green-painted safe standing in an alcove of the room now we shall see the luck returning i shall win that lawsuit i shall sell that ruined hay to advantage i shall patricia stopped him i believe everything will go wrong with you how dare you say that girl exclaimed colpster furiously because i feel that i must that jewel has been sent to you for no good purpose i am convinced your sixth sense again i suppose scoffed the squire angrily perhaps said patricia simply privately she believed that the jewel was already beginning to do harm since the old man behaved so rudely as a rule he had always treated her with politeness but now he revealed a side to his character which she had not seen his eyes shone with greed and he showed all the instincts of a miser looking at her and then glancing at his nephew he continued to speak to her hold this in your hand and see if you still feel the drawing power you spoke of in silence patricia took the cold jade blossom and it lay outstretched on her pink palm she did not speak but a bewildered expression gradually took possession of her face the two men who were watching her closely both spoke together moved by a single impulse what do you feel patricia did not reply directly this is not the mikado jewel she said in breathless tones i am sure it is not the squire became pale and theodore looked amazed what makes you think that demanded the latter who was first able to command his voice the drawing power is reversed in this jewel said patricia yes oh yes i feel it quite plainly instead of the power radiating and keeping away evil it is drawing danger towards itself danger gasped the squire and his nephew mindful of granny lee's warning winced visibly 
danger and darkness wave after wave of fear is coming towards me while i hold the stone and the darkness is swallowing me up oh patricia shivered and deliberately dropped the jewel on the floor take it away i don't like it at all colpster picked up the gem are you sure i wouldn't have let the emerald fall otherwise said patricia who was now trembling as if with cold when i last held it waves of light went out and i felt absolutely safe now tides of darkness press in on me on every side and there is a sense of danger everywhere what sort of danger asked theodore nervously i can't say i can't put my feelings into words it looks like the mikado jewel but it can't be when it feels so different i am certain that it is the mikado jewel cried colpster angrily whether it is or not i can't say retorted patricia backing towards the library door but it is dangerous get rid of it or suffer and she went quickly out of the room leaving the two men staring at one another End of chapter fourteen Chapter Fifteen of the Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Fifteen. Pentreddle's story. Squire Colster locked the recovered emerald in his safe and again repeated his orders that Theodore was to say nothing about it. Notwithstanding Patricia's doubts founded upon the different sensations felt by her when holding the stone the master of beckley hall really believed that he possessed the mikado jewel but he could not comprehend why it had been forwarded to him or how the thief had obtained his address or why the thief should think that he wanted it had the squire been less obsessed by the ornament he might have taken patricia's advice with regard to getting rid of it and in this perhaps he would have been supported by Theodore, who was feeling uncomfortable, since Granny Lee's statement was always in his mind. But, as it was, he said nothing to urge his uncle to take such an extreme course, and the squire certainly never suggested that the gem should be sent away. So there it lay in the safe, with its influence, either for good or bad, ready to become apparent. Patricia, on her side, put the matter of the emerald out of her mind, as she did not like to think about occult matters, and moreover had to attend to her duties as a housekeeper. A visit to Morrow's room in the afternoon showed that the girl was up and dressed and apparently quite her old indifferent self. She said nothing about the Miko dance in which she had figured, so Patricia did not remind her of it in any way. Once or twice she asked where Akira was, but on learning that he had gone sightseeing with Basil, she appeared to be satisfied. The two gentlemen returned in time for dinner, tired and rather damp from the moisture of mists they had encountered on the moors. Akira expressed himself as pleased with the English country, although he shivered when he mentioned the absence of the sun. Yet, as Basil reminded him, Japan did not possess a particularly tropical climate. The conversation took place when the soup arrived, and, as usual, when any mention was made of the East, Mara grew a delicate rose pink, and fixed her eyes eagerly on the diplomatist. Akira gave her an indifferent glance and answered the sailor's speech. In the north of Japan we have very cold weather, but it is sufficiently warm in the south. 
but in any case there is nothing depressing in my country such as a foreigner finds in england it is the english climate to a great extent which has made us what we are count observed colpster seriously i can say the same of japan hardy climates make hardy men sir do not think that i don't admire your country for i do but oh these swathing mists and damp fields he shivered smilingly at least we have no earthquakes put in patricia with a nod ah there you have the advantage of us answered akira wiping his mouth but in some places we can keep earthquakes away what do you mean asked theodore scenting something occult yes akira guessed what he vaguely felt there are laws which control earth waves scientific laws said basil quickly you might not call them so said akira quietly but in the east you know we are aware of natural laws which the west has not yet learned well then tell us how to control earthquakes said the squire with a sceptical look on his face curious you should ask me that sir you should ask miss carroll ask me patricia looked amazed you held the mikado jewel in your hand said akira coolly theodore colpster and patricia exchanged looks and wondered if the japanese was aware that the gem reposed in the library safe it was impossible of course since he had been absent all day with basil yet it was strange that he should refer to an object which was uppermost in their minds i don't understand said patricia doubtfully i can explain miss carroll had you examined the emerald you would have seen the sign of the earth spirit graven thereon that sign shows that a power to control earth forces lies in the stone oh i can't believe that count yet you felt so you told me the radiating rays which keep back all earth tremors steady them as it were colpster looked up suddenly i thought you knew nothing about the mikado jewel count he said sarcastically i know very little and told you what i did know replied akira quietly but this conversation about climates revived a memory of what one of the kitsuki priests told me the emerald has had certain ceremonies set over it and has been set on the radiating petals of a jade chrysanthemum thus it possesses a repelling power and was kept in the temple to repel earthquakes from shaking the ground upon which the temple stands theodore stole a glance at patricia who looked sceptical if he suggested in a low voice if the power instead of radiating was drawn to the emerald you speak of count what would happen patricia was not quite sure but she fancied that she saw a subtle smile on the bronzed face of her neighbour but it might have been her fancy or the tricky light of the candles glimmering through their rosy-coloured shades however he replied courteously enough in that case mr dane according to occult law about which i confess i know little the earthquake danger instead of being repelled would be drawn to the place where the jewel lay oh we never have earthquakes here said mara with a gay laugh if the mikado jewel were here and the power was reversed as is suggested by mr dane you would soon feel an earthquake or else this mighty cliff at the back of the house would fall and overwhelm the place theodore shivered granny lee had mentioned that she had seen him crushed as flat as a pancake 
and he wondered if what akira so idly said could really be true it seemed so for should the jewel have the indrawing power and that it assuredly had if patricia was to be believed there was a great chance that mrs lee's prophecy might be fulfilled for was not the fatal gem in the house at this moment yes theodore shivered again as he became more certain of belief the mikado jewel was the it which the sibyl had warned him should never be allowed to enter beckley hall oh it's all rubbish said the squire who not knowing anything about the occult refused to believe what patricia had told him and what akira had so strangely affirmed and even if such is the case which i don't believe the jewel is not here akira laughed and nodded now you can understand why i warned you not to seek for your family emerald again he said i'm afraid i'll never see it said colpster lying with great ease from what theodore thinks it must be now on its way back to japan let us hope so said akira politely as a native of that country and because my religion is shinto i regret very much that the gem should have been stolen in the hands of ignorant persons it may well bring about deaths you understand he looked at patricia not at all she confessed and really in her heart she scouted the idea that the emerald should be endowed with such malignant powers please do not talk any more about these horrid things i hate them so do i said basil who was growing restless at the way in which his brother eyed patricia let us change the subject which was accordingly done after dinner the squire went into the drawing-room with his family but scarcely had he seated himself to digest his meal when the butler entered with the whispered information that a man wished to see him particularly who is it sims asked the old man impatiently harry pentreddle sir said sims who was an old retainer and knew as much about members of the family as they did themselves colpster bounded to his feet and theodore who was standing before the fire came hastily forward basil and patricia also looked startled as they knew the suggested connection between pentreddle and the giving of the jewel only akira and mara who were talking quietly in a corner appeared unmoved and continued their conversation i'll go at once said the squire eagerly advancing towards the door let me come too uncle asked theodore following no i shall hear his story if he has any to tell myself and then can repeat it to you stay where you are basil and you patricia i shall see harry alone and he went out hastily while those left behind with the exception of the japanese and mara looked greatly disappointed mr colpster walked quickly into the library and found seated there before the fire a thick-set young man blue-eyed and fair-haired with the unmistakable look of a seaman he rose as the squire entered the room and twisting his cap in his strong brown hands looked bashful in fact he was a trifle nervous of his reception and had every reason to be for mr colpster who had known him from babyhood fell on him tooth and nail so here you are at last harry he said with a frown you have given me a, a lot of trouble to hunt you out what do you mean just tell me that i didn't expect this behaviour from you harry your mother my old servant 
has been murdered in a most abominable manner and instead of coming to assist me in hunting down the scoundrel who did it you go away and hide are you not ashamed of yourself colpster thundered out the words largely but they did not seem to produce much effect on the young man harry pentreddle stood where he was still twisting his cap and stared at the squire with steady blue eyes this composure seemed to be not quite natural nor did the silence can you not sit down and speak demanded colpster throwing himself into his usual armchair and getting ready to ask questions harry sat down quietly and still continued to stare steadily i am not ashamed of myself sir because i can explain my conduct fully then do so snapped the squire your mother and father were both my servants and you were born at beckley as your parents are dead i have a right to look after you do you think that i need looking after sir asked pentreddle with a faint smile and a glance at his stalwart figure in the near mirror you know what i mean harry i wish to see you married to isa and commanding a ship of your own i intend to help you to get one it is very good of you sir not at all you were born on the estate and now that your future is settled suppose you tell me why you didn't come back before if i tell you sir will you promise to keep what i say secret yes that is in a way i may tell my nephew theodore perhaps my other nephew i can't say i don't mind any one in beckley knowing said harry hastily but i do not wish the whole world to know i am not acquainted with the whole world said colpster dryly so there is no chance of what you say being told to the entire inhabitants of this planet are you satisfied quite well then sir i went to amsterdam to wait for a ship which i know is going to japan she is coming from calon and is late how do you mean late she is a tramp steamer and i know her captain she comes to amsterdam to discharge a cargo and then proceeds to japan i can get an engagement as second mate when she arrives she is expected every day i heard from isa that she wished to see me and so i came over but i shall go back in two days as i can't afford to lose the chance of getting to the far east why do you want to go there harry looked down i can't exactly say he observed in a low voice the squire looked at him keenly then leaned forward do you go to japan to punish the priest who murdered your mother the young man dropped his cap and half rose from his chair only to fall into it again he seemed utterly taken by surprise what priest he faltered you heard me said colpster impatiently the one who murdered your mother a priest of the temple of kitsuki how do you know sir pentreddle stared open-mouthed by putting two and two together martha your mother that is sent miss carroll to get the emerald and she could only have got it from you who had as you told theodore just returned from japan by the way do you know all about the death yes said pentreddle stooping to pick up his cap and thus hide his emotion for his lips were trembling i read everything in the papers and i did not come over because i wished to return to japan and to kill the priest who i believe is the assassin are you sure that a priest of kitsuki killed her yes i feel sure and to obtain possession of the emerald yes i am certain that was the motive for the crime 
You stole the emerald? Yes, said Pentreddle, boldly. I did. He laughed softly. It is very clever of you to guess, unless my poor mother told you. She told me nothing, snapped the squire with a glare. All she did was to ask me for a London holiday. She got it and went to her death. It was Miss Carroll, you must have read about her in the papers, who suggested that possibly you might have passed her the emerald. I did, although at the time, in the fog and darkness, I believed it was my mother. Only when reading about her death did I know that she had been kept at home with a sprained ankle. She— Wait a bit, said Colster, throwing up his hand. You are confusing me. I want to hear all from the beginning. He paused, and seeing that Pentreddle looked nervous and was beginning to twist his cap again swiftly made up his mind to a course of action to suggest confidence wait a bit said colpster again and went to the safe when he returned to the table he placed the mikado jewel under the lamp harry rose and bent over it quite speechless with astonishment i thought it was snatched from miss carroll in the park he gasped so it was but someone the thief i presume sent it to me it arrived here without details you are sure that it is the jewel he asked quickly yes it's the jewel right enough answered pentreddle returning to his seat but how did the thief know you wanted it i can't say and i am not even aware if the thief sent it all i know is that there lies the luck of the colpsters and that i have shown it to you so that you may see I repose confidence in you. And in return, Harry, the squire leaned forward, and touching the young man's knee, I wish to hear all about the theft of the emerald from the Kitsuki temple. Pentreddle thought for a few moments, while he looked at the winking green ornament under the lamplight. Then he glanced at his watch and nodded. I must get away soon, he said brusquely. I am staying at Hendel and a friend of mine is waiting on the moor road with a trap it won't take me long to tell you everything sir colpster leaned back and placed the tips of his fingers together i am ready to hear you he said quietly and bending his head harry began his story in a hurry my mother as you know sir nursed your nephews mr basil was always her favourite but she never could abide mr theodore she learned from you sir that you intended to leave the estates to the nephew who got back the emerald which is the family luck yes such was my intention well my mother went on the sailor twirling his cap was determined that mr theodore would never inherit so as she knew that i was going to japan she asked me to steal the emerald you had no right to steal it i would have forbidden martha suggesting such a thing said the squire angrily Pentreddle nodded. I know. For that reason, my mother kept the affair a secret. I readily agreed to do what she wanted, as Mr. Basil has always been kind to me, whereas Mr. Theodore... He halted. Oh, go on, said Colpster, with a cynical smile. I know that Mr. Theodore is not a favorite with anyone. How can he be, sir, when he behaves so badly? He insulted me, and... But that is neither here nor there, sir, and I have no time to talk of that matter. I told my mother that I would get the emerald somehow, and when I landed at Nagasaki I set about looking for it. But in what way? 
well you see sir my mother learned from you all about the giving of the emerald to that shogun chap and then she told me how miss mara in some funny way knew that it was at the temple of kitsuki i went there on the chance and a man who kept a tea-shop told me all about the jewel he said that it had been given to the temple by a mikado i thought it was a shogun the shogun who got it from will adams gave it to the mikado and he presented it to the temple explained colpster go on oh that's it is it sir well he went on twirling his cap i got a sight of the jewel in the temple and stole it but how when it was so carefully guarded i don't think it was guarded over much said pentreddle thoughtfully you see sir the tea-shop man told me that the emerald was under the spell of the earth spirit he called him some queer name i can't remember to keep away earthquakes no japanese would dare to touch the jewel and it lay as i saw on a small altar near the shrine i managed to stop inside the temple after dark and stole it how did you get away said the squire wondering at this daring i'll tell you that another day sir as it is getting late i did manage to get away and stow the jewel on board my ship but i was followed followed by whom japanese i suppose they were priests i was nearly knifed at nagasaki and once i was drugged but i had hidden the emerald away and they could not find it when i got to the port of london i thought that i was safe but i soon found that i was dogged there also by whom asked colpster once more japanese said pentreddle again wherever i went i met japanese they swarmed all round me i had written to my mother saying that i would give her the emerald if she came to london she did and wrote asking me to go to the home of art but i knew better than to do that sir i felt certain that if i gave the jewel to my mother she would run a chance of being killed there was one big chap with a scar across his cheek i believe he killed my poor mother what makes you think that harry asked colpster eagerly because i was loafing round the home of art one evening trying to catch a glimpse of my mother and when i saw the beast watching me and the house was the man with the scar a priest he just was said the sailor vigorously a shinto priest i saw him in the temple at kitsuki then i was certain that i was being followed by the priests and wrote and told my mother that i could only give her the emeralds secretly she replied saying that the whole household at the home of art had an appointment to see some play i know all that said the squire impatiently skip that well then sir my mother said that being alone she could leave the house at night without suspicion being aroused she told me to meet her at nine o'clock at the right-hand corner of the bayswater side of the serpentine bridge and to look for a red light but of course as i learned later she was kept in by her sprained foot and sent miss carroll why did you not speak to miss carroll i hadn't a chance said harry simply i guessed that i was being followed by the priest with the scar no by a smaller and slighter built chap he dodged at my heels in the fog so i had just time to shove the box into miss carroll's hand into my mother's hands as i thought and then run off in the hope the little beast would follow me he did didn't he for a time 
then i fancy his suspicions must have been aroused by the red light and by my stopping for a moment i lost him or he lost me in the fog and then instead of returning to my lodging in pimlico i made for limehouse docks i heard next morning of the death why didn't you then come to the home of art what was the good sir remonstrated pentreddle i should only have been knifed by those japanese and there would have been two murders instead of one no sir i wasn't such a fool as my going to the home of art wouldn't have brought my mother back to life i bunked over to amsterdam and lay low then i read in the papers how miss carroll had been robbed of the gem colpster nodded you should have returned then it was of no use sir said the sailor gloomily i knew that the emerald must have got back into the hands of the priests and that they would return to kitsuki in japan i was certain and i am now that the big man with the scar on his cheek stabbed my mother so i waited for the ship i told you about to go back to japan and kill him then isa wrote me and said if you saw me you could help me but pentreddle looked at the emerald it seems to me that things are more muddled up than ever here is the mikado jewel but where are the priests colpster pinched his nether lip and looked perplexed i can't say by the way theodore met you in london yes sir by chance in pimlico why didn't you give him the emerald why harry looked astonished because it was to prevent mr theodore becoming your heir that my mother took all this trouble and so met with her death he rose to his feet i'll go now sir the squire rose also yes unless you prefer to stay here for the night no sir i want to get back to handle i'll come and see you again if you want to hear more i think it will be as well i should like you to repeat this story in the presence of my nephews meanwhile good night and the squire having shaken hands with the sailor sent him away he wished to be alone to think over things and while doing so he put away the mikado jewel in the safe ten minutes later he returned to the drawing-room where is count akira akira was tired and went early to bed said basil i'm off too uncle End of chapter fifteen chapter sixteen of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 16. Lovers. Next morning, it occurred to the squire that he had dismissed Pentreddle too abruptly, or, rather, since the man wished to go, had given him leave too easily. A thousand and one questions came into his mind, which he desired to ask, and which he should have put to the sailor during their hurried interview but a recollection that Harry was stopping at Hendel and was holding himself at the disposal of his feudal chief, modern style, reconciled him to the oversight, and he decided that the second examination would be a longer one. I shall drive over to Hendel today and cross-examine him, thought the squire, and completing his toilet, he descended to breakfast with an excellent appetite. At the meal he heard news, for Akira stated that he would have to return that day to London, as his chief wanted him. "'But I am coming down again in a few days,' said the Japanese, stealing a glance at Mara, who sat opposite him, rosy-faced and interested. "'In my yacht,' 
i didn't know you had a yacht akira said basil with the keen interest of a sailor in his craft oh yes replied the count composedly a very good yacht my friend i have much money you know and have taken to your english ways so far as to buy a steam yacht later i propose returning to my own country in her colpster was frankly relieved that akira intended to leave he did not for one moment connect him with those who were hunting or who had been hunting for the mikado jewel but while that curious object was in the house he preferred the count's absence to his presence there was no doubt that if the little man did learn how the gem had returned to its original possessors that he would clamour for its restoration to kitzuki and that was not to be thought of for one moment the squire had not yet solved the problem as to why the jewel had been sent to him or how the sender had known that its presence was desired at beckley hall by its master he would have liked to question akira for if a priest according to pentreddle had snatched the emerald from patricia akira as a japanese would best be able to explain that same priest's reasons for sending it to devonshire but it was obviously impossible to ask such a question so colpster contented himself with expressing regret that the count had been compelled to cut short his stay at the hall i trust when you return in your yacht you will at least complete your interrupted visit by sleeping under my roof said colpster thank you no sir replied the japanese politely i shall remain on my boat for the few days i stay here and i hope he added with a comprehensive bow to all present that you will allow me to return your great hospitality mr colpster by giving an entertainment on board an entertainment cried mara and her eyes sparkled yes a japanese entertainment with japanese food and drinks and amusements miss colpster it will be a change for you and no doubt will give you a great deal of pleasure it will give us all pleasure said patricia smiling for the black eyes of the little man were fixed on her face then i ask you all to my entertainment even your servants must come mr colpster they never see anything unusual down here so it will amuse them to see how we japanese live i presume added akira with an attempt at humour that you can allow this house to be empty for one night oh yes said theodore laughing there are no robbers about here in that case i hope my invitation will be accepted certainly count and thank you for the invitation observed the squire in a hearty manner on behalf of myself my family and my household i accept akira bowed that is good sir for as i depart for my own country after i leave this place in my yacht i will not see you again for many a long year i have to remain at tokyo for official business but i have had a delightful stay here he looked round pleasantly and you will see all of you how i can return your kindness but won't you be tired travelling to london to-day said theodore quickly the count's piercing eyes seemed to look the questioner through and through as if inquiring why he had asked this particular question i retired early last night as you know mr dane he said quietly and so i am not at all weary dane he turned sideways to basil you will drive me to hendle you must allow me to do that count 
put in the squire i have to go to hendle on business to-day thank you sir you show true hospitality basil felt uneasy as he did not know if the guest spoke ironically or not and resolved to test the matter i can come also to akira ah but no it is not necessary akira held up a protesting hand i shall enjoy the drive with your uncle stay here and we shall meet again on board the miko mara started the miko she cried eagerly and with shining eyes the name of my yacht miss colpster i named her after the divine dancer the girl looked as though she wished to ask further questions but a significant glance of patricia's directed towards the squire who knew nothing about the miko dance made mara more prudent she rose abruptly from the table and shortly the rest followed her example akira went to see that his servant was packing his things properly and basil accompanied him as for theodore he followed his uncle into the library and closed the door what did pentreddle say to you last night he asked anxiously it's a long story said colpster sitting down to look over his correspondence he will tell it to you himself i am driving over to hendle and will bring him back with me akira i can drop at the station to catch the afternoon express i should like to come also uncle as i am so anxious to hear harry's story there is no room in the brougham for you said colpster coldly and showed very plainly by this unnecessary lie that he did not wish for his nephew's company theodore frowned he knew that he was no favorite at least uncle give me a short account of what you heard the squire at first refused but theodore was so persistent that in the end he was obliged to yield and hastily ran through the story what do you think he asked when he ended i expect harry is right and that the priest with the scar murdered his mother no doubt the man learned why harry was hanging round the home of art and laid his plans accordingly but martha did not possess the emerald insisted the squire doubtfully the priest did not know that at the time said dane grimly his accomplice watched harry apparently while the man with the scar watched the crook street house he must have induced martha to let him in she might have thought it was her son you know then when she grew frightened and threatened him with her stiletto he used it against her and having murdered the poor old thing finally searched the house colpster nodded he could see no other solution of the mystery curious though that the priest did not get caught by the police oh according to the evidence the fog was very bad and one policeman confessed in print that he did not patrol the cul-de-sac carefully pity he did not catch the brute oh said colpster with a grim look harry will see that the man is punished he is going from amsterdam in a tramp steamer to japan for that very purpose i can't understand said theodore after a pause and tapping the desk with his long fingers why harry didn't give me the emerald when he met me it would have saved all this trouble the squire coughed in rather an embarrassed manner he could scarcely tell theodore that harry acting under his mother's instructions wished particularly to prevent him from gaining possession of the jewel he therefore shrugged his shoulders and evaded the question there are many things we cannot understand in connection with this case 
quite so said theodore with an uneasy look at the safe particularly why the mikado jewel should have been sent to you uncle he added after a pause get rid of it sell it pawn it return it to akira to take back to japan but send it out of the house i beg of you why demanded colpster drawing his brows together are you mad theodore wiped the perspiration from his high white forehead on the contrary i am particularly saying you heard what akira said about the reverse power possibly bringing the cliff down on the house oh rubbish said the squire roughly akira doesn't know that the gem is in this house all the more reason for believing that he spoke truly said dane with a desperate look i am sure the thing is evil there is now an indrawing power as you know miss carroll felt it i don't believe in all this rubbish patricia is a fanciful girl said colpster coldly the emerald is in my possession and i intend to keep it if you dare to tell akira about it theodore i shall send you out of the house and will never recognize you again as my nephew i am not so sure but what i would prefer to be out of the house while that damn thing is in it said theodore between his teeth you are playing with fire uncle see that you don't get burnt and with this warning he departed leaving the old man looking after his back contemptuously he was a very material man was the squire and considered that his nephew was an ass for believing in things which which could not be proved by arithmetic theodore was not happy in his mind when akira and colpster departed for there were many matters which worried him basil as usual was following patricia about the house and that was one grievance now that mara would not marry him he would certainly lose the chance of inheriting through her the desirable acres of beckley and that was another grievance finally the presence of the charmed mikado jewel in the house troubled him very much indeed he felt certain that granny lee's prophecy concerned it since akira had spoken of the occult powers of the stone and patricia had felt the reversion of the power so theodore uneasily considered that it was just possible that the cliff might be shaken down in ruins on the house he went out and looked at its mighty height almost expecting to see signs of crumbling but of course there were none the red cliff stood up boldly and gigantically as it had stood for centuries past the sight of its massive grandeur rather reassured theodore it's all rubbish he muttered to himself coming in out of the rain for all the morning there had been a downpour i dare say i am making a mountain out of a molehill all the same his eyes fell on the safe in the library in it he knew was the jewel safely locked away to shift the mikado emerald he would need to shift the safe and that was impossible oh it is all rubbish he declared again and then went to his own rooms on the way he passed the library and saw mara lying on the cushions of the sofa stringing beads onyx turquoise malachite pink coral and slivers of amethyst they gleamed like a rainbow as they slid through her deft hands theodore wondered where she got them and entered to inquire count akira gave them to me said mara gaily and tried the effect of the glittering chain against her pale golden hair aren't they lovely yes but your father won't like you taking presents from that infernal japanese mara said theodore crossly his nerves were so upset that he felt 
it would relieve him to vent his temper on someone mara sprang to her feet like a small fury and her face grew darkly red as her pale eyes blazed with anger you have no right to speak in that way of count akira i love him i don't care who hears me i love him she sat down again suddenly i wish you would take me to japan she ended viciously mara theodore was horrified a japanese well i was one ages ago she retorted i don't believe it yes you do you know too much about these occult things to disbelieve theodore as a matter of fact did believe but he did not intend to confess as much you can't be sure he snapped furiously i can be sure and i am sure said mar mutinously since i danced the round of the divineress and heard the music it all has come back to me i remember the temple of kitsuki quite well and the ceremonies oh i wish i could go back there it is my native land theodore looked at her stealthily and his eyes glittered as an idea struck him hard would you go if akira took you yes mara wet her lips and stared at him perhaps he will take me she said softly he is coming back in his yacht you know if you went your father would disown you i don't care you would lose beckley i don't care you would be cut off from your own race i don't care you are a fool shouted theodore savagely i'll tell your father mara wreathed her many-hued beads artistically round her neck and admired herself in the mirror over the fireplace but she also had a glimpse of her cousin's face and spoke from what she read written thereon no you won't theodore she observed coolly and meaningly you would be glad to see me run off with count akira and give up everything why should i be glad demanded dane taken aback by this shrewd reading of his most secret thoughts because as you say my father would have nothing to do with me and you would inherit beckley i am safe in your hands there is no chance for me said theodore tartly failing you basil would inherit i don't think so if he marries patricia uncle george likes patricia i know that so do we all but i don't think he would like basil to marry her in fact mara faced him i believe that father would like to make patricia my stepmother what theodore was now really astonished it's absurd i don't see that father is still a young man for his years and oh rubbish nonsense theodore broke furiously into her speech and fairly ran out of the room to think over the problem thus presented to him he believed that what his cousin said was perfectly true as mara was an observant young person in spite of her dreamy ways then he remembered how colpster always professed to admire patricia and did so loudly he was always asking her if she liked the place and what he could do for her and telling her that he hoped she would stay there for the rest of her life theodore drew a long breath i see what the old man is up to he considered as mara won't marry either basil or myself he intends to marry patricia in the hope of having an heir to the estate that would be an end to everything not that i believe the girl would have him and yet of this theodore could not be sure as he judged miss carroll by his own greedy self 
could any girl penniless as he knew patricia to be resist the offer of so beautiful a home dane thought not and set his wits to work to bar any possible chance of this very unexpected thing coming to pass to do so he had only to throw patricia into basil's arms and he believed that he knew how to do that i'll ask her to marry me thought theodore with an evil smile and then basil will be so furious that he'll ask her she hates me and loves him so in the end they will become engaged then uncle george will kick them both out of the house mara evidently intends to elope with akira when he returns in his yacht the little beast said that the boat after leaving here was going straight to japan that will settle her ha i shall be the only person left to console uncle george so he must as a reasonable man leave me the property i can see it all thus arranging his plans he went away to find patricia and force her into basil's arms he was sorry to lose the girl because of her psychic powers but as she plainly hated him he saw that easily there was not any chance for him since he could not make use of her in one way he therefore decided to make use of her in another through her basil could be got rid of and then mara would ruin herself by eloping with akira dane rubbed his hands with delight at the prospect thus opened out before him he even forgot his uneasiness over the mikado jewel and ceased for the moment to remember the sinister prophecy of mrs brenda lee of course it was necessary to act a comedy so as to accomplish his aims and he suspected that he would suffer pain during his acting if he insulted patricia which he intended to do basil would assuredly knock him down but if the sailor did that he would be obliged to declare his love for patricia if only to prove his rights to be her champion and what did a little pain matter to the prospective owner of beckley hall the schemer found the pair in the smoking-room a cosy and somewhat modern apartment for the house which was in the west wing it possessed a large plate-glass window which looked down the vista where the trees were cut down to the beach and the waters of the bay patricia knitting a silk tie sat on the sofa near the window while basil lounged in a deep armchair smoking his pipe the two were laughing when theodore entered but suddenly became serious when they saw who had disturbed them it was strange that the elder dane should always produce a dull impression on the gayest of people perhaps it was owing to the uncanny and disagreeable atmosphere which he always carried about with him what's the joke asked the newcomer throwing himself into an armchair opposite to that in which his brother sat nothing said basil shortly and his brow wrinkled what do you want to smoke a cigarette replied theodore producing his case the room is free to all isn't it quite free said patricia colouring for she did not like his tongue when the two brothers were together she was always apprehensive of trouble for this reason and because she hoped to throw oil on troubled fraternal waters did she refrain from leaving the room yet there yet theodore's look was so insolent that she half rose to do so i must don't go patricia said the elder brother hastily mr dane i do not like you to call me by my christian name she said and her colour grew deeper than ever 
she rose to her full height now and made ready to go theodore doesn't know what he is saying muttered basil in a tone of suppressed rage and his brother looking at him mockingly saw that his face was as crimson as that of patricia's really i seem to be like the goddess of discord went on the intruder intent upon bringing about a catastrophe you seemed jolly enough when i entered laughing and talking and we'll be jolly again when you leave snapped basil savagely i dare say but you shan't have miss carroll all to yourself no don't go miss carroll you see that i am addressing you with all respect he rose and slipped between her and the door as he spoke i want basil to see that you like me as much as you do him patricia looked nervous and her feelings were not soothed when basil rose in his turn go away miss carroll he said sternly and the veins on his forehead stood out with rage i can deal with theodore theodore can deal with himself said that gentleman turning on his brother with a black look on his face you are always taking up patricia's time and i have a right to it also yes he faced to the startled girl i intend to call you patricia because i love you i want you to marry me theodore are you mad thundered basil furiously is it mad to ask a girl's hand in marriage sneered theodore patricia stopped the further speech of basil with an imperative gesture and looked at theodore i am well able to take care of myself she said quietly mr dane i thank you for your offer but i decline it oh i am not so handsome as basil i am not so rich as uncle george take care take care breathed basil savagely in his ear but patricia again stopped him her temper rose and her eyes sparkled in an angry fashion what do you mean by your reference to mr colpster you want to marry him and ah keep off theodore flung out his hands with a scream as basil hit out the blow caught him fairly in his left eye and he reeled towards the window to fall on the sofa you bully he fairly sobbed apologize to miss carroll or by heaven i'll break your neck raged basil standing over the flabby man with clenched fists patricia admiring her strong lover came forward and laid her hand on his arm imploringly leave him alone basil he is not worth hitting theodore struggled to his feet and with his rapidly swelling eye presented a miserable spectacle basil he screamed and his rage was partly real so you call him basil and no doubt that that is for him you are knitting oh he burst into mocking laughter and pointed a finger at them both so this is how you are carrying on this is he got no further basil breaking from patricia sprang forward and catching theodore's bulky body in his powerful arms fairly flung him through the window with a mighty heave patricia gasped with surprise and delight as the glass smashed and theodore swung across the grass and down the slope like a stone fired from a catapult you devil roared basil shaking his fist through the broken window i'll kill you if you come near me or patricia oh he's dead gasped the girl clinging to the sailor not he see and sure enough theodore with his face convulsed with impotent rage rose heavily and limped out of sight i've settled him the hound and now he looked at her meaningly patricia shrank back 
flushing like a sunset. Mr. Day, you called me Basil just now, and you shall call me Basil for the rest of your life. You would not marry Theodore, but, he said masterfully, you shall marry me. Yes, whispered Patricia, yielding to his embrace. I always loved you. My darling, my darling, my darling, cried the delighted sailor. Straining her to his breast, Theodore meant to part us, but he only succeeded in bringing us together, and he kissed her again and again. He little knew how Theodore had schemed to bring about that very kiss. End of chapter 16 Chapter 17 of The Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 17. Trouble. Misfortunes rarely come singly. Theodore was so damaged by Basil that he was compelled to keep to his rooms and had his meals sent up to him. Apart from his physical pain, the schemer was very satisfied with the result of the comedy he had played in the smoking room. Lurking unseen at the corner of the house, he had beheld Patricia in his brother's arms, and could believe the evidence of his own eyes that the Rubicon had been crossed. Nevertheless, he felt a pang at losing the girl, for apart from her psychic powers, which would have been extremely useful to him in his studies, she was so pretty and charming that a less susceptible man than Dane would have regretted the success of another. But Theodore had by this time decided that he could not have his cake and eat it, so it was necessary to lose either Beckley or Patricia. It was characteristic of his greedy nature that he had sacrificed the girl for the estate. No doubt Mara's hint that she might go with Akira to Japan had urged him to the course he had adopted. For with both his brother and his cousin out of the way, Dane did not see how he could lose Beckley. He was the only one save these two who had the Colpster blood in his veins, and even though his uncle disliked him, he could scarcely pass him over. With aching limbs, Theodore lay snug in bed, building castles in the air. Next day, he intended to arouse the old man's jealousy by telling him of the embrace, of the kisses, and of the probable engagement. Then the lovers would be turned out of the house, later when akira came round in his yacht mara would go and he would be lord of all he surveyed no wonder theodore chuckled but then came the second misfortune and an even more unexpected one mr colpster was brought back from hendle with a broken leg he had duly driven akira and his servant to the railway station but had failed to find harry pentreddle at his lodgings rather annoyed the old man had left a note saying that the sailor was to come to beckley and stay the night so that he might repeat his story to the danes and then had turned homeward but on the winding road which led down to the hall the horse had slipped on the rain-soaked ground and mr colpster having foolishly tried to get out had been thrown over the high bank the coachman was uninjured although with the horse and vehicle he had rolled down the slope but the squire had been picked up insensible by some labourers who had seen the accident and had been carried into his own house with a broken leg much concerned 
basil and patricia had the squire put to bed and sent for a doctor mara in an indifferent way expressed her sorrow although she never offered to nurse her father instead of helping she went up to her cousin's room to tell him of the accident not finding him in the sitting-room she knocked at his bedroom door and stood amazed to find that he as she supposed had gone to rest are you ill theo she asked crossing to the bed theodore groaned i had a row with basil and he threw me out of the window mara clapped her hands and her eyes sparkled how strong he is she said which was not the sympathetic speech theodore desired to hear why did he fight you theo i asked patricia to marry me and basil cut up rough no wonder said mara disdainfully why any fool could have seen that basil is in love with patricia he won't let anyone come near her ah oh. she clapped her hands again and laughed gaily <laughs> i should have liked to see you flying through the window little beast you are snarled theodore i'm all aches and pains and my eye is black where he struck me damn him would you like to see the doctor no it's not worth sending to hendle for the doctor besides he'd only chatter i know these local gossips but the doctor is coming here you had better let him examine you theo theodore from the shadow of the curtains stared at the delicate face of his cousin why is the doctor coming oh i quite forgot what i came up to tell you about said mara in a matter-of-fact tone father has broken his leg broken his leg with a groan of pain theodore hoisted himself on one elbow how did he do that the horse slipped coming down the winding road jarvis could not hold him up and they all fell over the bank father tried to get out and broke his leg but jarvis and the horse are all right ended mara cheerfully i don't believe you are sorry said theodore angered at her indifference i don't see what is the use of crying over spilt milk replied the girl calmly if i cried my eyes out and tore my hair it would do father no good you might at least pretend to be sorry for him growled dane sinking back well i am it's horrid to suffer pain i'll tell him i'm sorry if you tell him in that voice he'll box your ears said theodore grimly you don't display much sorrow for me young lady because i don't feel any said mara coolly you brought it on yourself for i told you that basil loved patricia besides i don't like you i'm not a japanese eh no you're not anything half so nice would you like basil to come and see you she added maliciously i'm afraid patricia can't as she's attending to father oh get out of the room and tell the cook to send up my dinner to me here as soon as she can when i'm up again i'll tell uncle george everything what do you mean i shall tell him that basil and that infernal girl are engaged and he'll give her notice to quit and i shall tell him that you intend to run away with that beastly little japanese oh i haven't made up my mind what to do said mara retreating to the door and if i decide to go with akira i shall do so in spite of father or anyone else but you won't tell theo you're only too glad for me to go you look like a great toad 
lying in bed theodore caught up one of his slippers will you clear out mum 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 jeered mara with an elfish laugh you can't do anything and even if i do go even if basil does marry patricia you won't get beckling mum 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 and she closed the door just in time to escape the slipper which theodore threw with all his strength the doctor duly arrived and put the squire's leg in splints the old man had recovered his senses and considering his pain behaved himself very well the doctor approved of his patient's fine constitution and cheerfully said that he would soon be on his legs again you're not dead yet sir he remarked when colpster had been made comfortable for the night i don't intend to die said the squire coolly quite other plans are in my mind but while i lie here i shan't have anything disturbed in my house patricia remember that should akira's yacht arrive you and mara and basil together with theodore and the servants can go to his entertainment oh we couldn't leave you like that mr colster said patricia quickly you can and you shall i hate a lot of fuss and then the doctor took patricia out of the room to explain that the patient must be kept very quiet else he would work himself into a fever humor him miss carroll humor him said the doctor as he took his leave to-morrow i shall come over and see him don't worry but patricia did worry not so much over the squire who was getting along fairly well considering his age as over the fracas with theodore she dreaded lest he might speak to the squire and then i should have to leave said patricia much distressed i don't see why dearest replied basil twining his brown fingers in her hair and wondering if god had ever created a more perfect woman the two were seated as usual in the smoking-room deeming that the safest place since the quarrel had carefully avoided entering it it was now three days since the accident and since basil had been driven to disclose his feelings they had the house to themselves almost entirely for mara rarely troubled them theodore although he had risen from his sick-bed with a more or less discoloured eye kept to his own rooms and did not even present himself at meals he cherished a deep anger against basil and was sullen with patricia as the original cause of his humiliation the elder dane had not a forgiving nature nor indeed did his brother feel inclined to welcome any advances he was too much disgusted with theodore to pardon him readily i don't see why dearest said basil again and slipped his arm round patricia's waist uncle george can't kill us he could turn me out of the house and i have nowhere to go there is no reason why he should turn you out he loves you like a daughter i'm certain of that patricia sighed you are wrong basil he loves me certainly but not like a daughter what basil scowled with a brow of thunder does he dare to he dares nothing interposed patricia hurriedly and placed her pink palm over his mouth to prevent further speech but i am certain that he wants to marry me at his age ridiculous why ridiculous older men than the squire have married basil's arm grew loose round her waist do you admire him then of course i both admire him and love him look how good he has been to me i hadn't a shilling when he took me 
from the home of art patricia do you mean to say she stopped him again and this time his mouth was closed with a kiss i mean to say that you are a dear old stupid thing darling i can't help myself if your uncle admires me it shows his good taste all the same i'm going to marry you my dear but we'll both be turned out of the house i'm sure of that basil hugged her again i knew you would never marry for money dearest he whispered and if we are turned out we can live on my pay i have to join the mediterranean fleet when my leave is up in a couple of months from now my ship will be always at malta always calling in there you know we'll get a tiny flat and you shall stay there when we're married oh darling that will be heaven it will be poverty said basil ruefully not what you're used to my dear she put her arm round his neck and looked into his hazel eyes what nonsense you talk since my father died i have been desperately hard up in every way and if your uncle had not taken pity upon me i really don't know what i should have done i can cook and sew and look after a house splendidly i'm just the wife for a hard-up sailor you are indeed said basil fervently and would have embraced her but that a knock came at the door oh hang it here sims i must attend to my duties said patricia as sims entered it's the butcher of course go on sims i'm coming to the kitchen and sims discreetly departed with a knowing smile while patricia remained for a last kiss the beckley hall servants saw very plainly what was taking place and even although they were old and jealous retainers did not resent it basil was an immense favourite with one and all while patricia during the short time she had acted as housekeeper had captured all hearts with great ease in the days which followed patricia was kept closely in attendance on the squire since mara would do nothing and colpster objected to being attended to wholly by the servants she became rather pale and thin which only made her the more adorable in basil's eyes and unfortunately in the eyes of her patient also the squire had made up his mind to ask patricia to be his wife notwithstanding the difference in their ages since mara resolutely refused to marry either of her cousins colpster's pet scheme for the family to be re-established now that the emerald had returned fell to the ground failing this he wished to make miss carroll his wife and hoped that she would give him an heir in the direct line of descent the more he thought of the scheme the more he liked it as he was extremely fond of patricia notwithstanding he had been so rude to her on the night when the mikado jewel had arrived so mysteriously it never struck him that she might fall in love with a handsome young man like basil patricia saw how devoted the old man was becoming to her and at times she was quite embarrassed by the youthful fire of his eyes colpster was now getting well rapidly as it was a fortnight since the accident and the leg was mending he remained of course in bed and received various visits from the various members of his household theodore and mara did not pay many visits as the former knew that his uncle disliked him and the latter was entirely without affection the squire never did expect much from mara as he looked upon her as weak-minded she certainly was not but her father never took the trouble to see what qualities she possessed 
it was little wonder that mara did not give affection seeing that she never received any mr colpster worried a great deal over the continued absence of harry pentreddle and had frequently sent jarvis to handle to inform him that he was wanted at the hall but pentreddle had gone away from his lodgings without leaving any message behind and no one not even isa lee knew where he was to be found this absence and silence made the squire quite uneasy especially when he remembered that harry had seen the emerald he had stolen it before and as the squire without any grounds to go upon considered he might steal it again haunted by this thought colpster gave patricia the key of the safe and made her bring him the jewel he slept with it under his pillow and hugged it to his heart every day talking meanwhile about the good luck it would bring it has not brought any good luck yet mr colpster said patricia one evening after her love-making with basil in the smoking-room how do you mean my dear well in the first place you have broken your leg in the second you have lost that lawsuit which the squire groaningly interrupted her yes i have lost it worse luck my dear the land has gone and my income will be diminished to eight hundred yes i admit that bad luck and the weather is really terrible too he added looking at the streaming window-pane it so rarely rains here yet it has poured ever since my accident and before then patricia reminded him the rain by making the road slippery caused your accident if i were you mr colpster i would send back the jewel to japan with count akira he is quite right the good luck it brought to your family centuries ago has changed to bad how can you believe in such rubbish groaned the squire hugging his gem you believe in it said miss carroll wondering at his want of logic or you would let the mikado jewel go the luck will change now insisted colpster trying to persuade himself into a kindly belief everything will come right i hope so said patricia poking the bedroom fire before which she was kneeling you must write and tell me if it does the squire sat up in bed and gasped write and tell you yes i am going away nonsense why should you go away mr colpster said patricia who had brought the conversation round to this point that she might thoroughly explain herself you have been very good to me and i have been very happy here but your nephew theodore has been rude to me in fact he has insulted me so i cannot remain under the same roof with him what the squire's scanty hair bristled and he trembled with rage has that dog of a theodore been rude he shall leave my house at once No that would not be fair he is your nephew i shall go i shan't let you go child i love you too much to let you go how did he insult you what did he say tell me and i'll i'll rage choked his further utterance and he sank back on his pillows the nurse came forward and smoothed the bedclothes don't worry over the matter mr colpster it's not worth it it's worth everything when you want to leave how did theodore insult you patricia looked down and sketched out figures with the tip of her bronze shoe he is angry because i am engaged to basil colpster flung himself forward and caught her wrist his sunken eyes filled with angry fire you are not engaged to basil he said fiercely 
but i am leave go my wrist mr colpster or i shall go away at once he still held her tightly you shan't marry basil you shall marry me patricia was greatly indebted to the old man as she had admitted and was sorry for his misplaced passion but she was also a woman with a woman's feeling and did not intend to allow him to dictate to her with a dexterous twist she freed herself from his grip and retreated to a safe distance if you behave like this i shall leave the room and never enter it again she exclaimed angry at his want of self-control the threat brought the squire to his knees no no don't go he cried in piteous tones i can't live without you i wish to marry you see patricia dear i shall settle beckley on you and when the emerald brings back the good luck you shall the emerald will only bring bad luck said patricia interrupting coldly and if you had millions i would not marry you i love you as a daughter and i thought that you loved me in the same way basil and i are engaged and intend to get married in a few months he has no money wailed the squire clutching the sheets no money i don't care he is the man i love he has no right to ask you to marry him if he had not asked me mr colpster i believe i should have asked him was the girl's quick answer can't you understand that he is the only man in the world for me if you don't then the sooner i leave this house the better you have no right to dictate to me and i won't allow it i'll cut basil out of my will i shall leave the property to theodore that is a matter for your own consideration said patricia coldly now it's time for your beef tea and i must go and get it i shan't take it cried the squire childishly mr colpster for a man of your years you are very silly my years my years you reproach me with those i reproach you with nothing said miss carroll tired of the futile argument can't you see that if you go on like this i must leave no don't he implored with wild eyes i'll be good very well she said in a matter-of-fact tone now i shall get your beef tea and for that purpose she left the room left alone mr colpster whimpered a little he was old he was sick and he was very sorry for himself he had sought to woo a girl who was young enough to be his daughter and his wooing had taken the fashion of trying to bribe her with house and land and money to this insult she had retorted by showing him the mother that is hidden in every woman married or unmarried he felt like a naughty boy who had been put in the corner and at his age he did not like the new experience he could have kicked himself for having gone on his knees to be whipped for that was what it amounted to in the darkness it was evening and there was no light in the big bedroom save that of the fire he flushed and burned with shame how indeed could she having found her mate in a young man of her own age beautiful and ardent as she was be expected to accept his philistine offer of beeves and land the squire with all his oddities was a gentleman and as he came from a brave race he was a man his age his fantasy about refounding the family his sickness had all landed him in the slough it behoved him if he wished ever again to look his ancestors portraits in the face to get out of the quagmire and reassert his manhood as well as his good breeding 
Patricia should marry Basil and become his niece-in-law. Mara could be given an income to indulge in her fantasies, and he could live at Beckley with Mr. and Mrs. Colpster, which was to be the married name of the young couple. In the middle of these visions, Patricia returned with the beef tea and a lamp. The naughty boy came out of his corner to beg pardon. "'My dear,' he said in an apologetic voice, "'I'm an old fool.' "'Oh, no,' said Patricia kindly. "'You are just one who has cried for the moon.' "'I give the moon to Basil,' said the squire, holding out his hand, "'and he will be my heir. Forgive me.' "'Willingly.' said Miss Carroll, and they shook hands gravely. "'But I agree with you,' sighed Colpster, ending the scene. "'The jewel has brought bad luck.'" End of chapter 17chapter eighteen pleasure count akira did not return so soon to beckley as he had promised for he wrote that official business still detained him in london but during the third week after his departure his yacht the miko steamed into the ferry bay and cast anchor a quarter of a mile off shore it was basil who espied her first immediately after breakfast and he ran up a flag on the pole erected on the lawn the miko dipped her ensign in reply and shortly a boat put off which doubtless was bringing akira on his return visit basil walked down to the beach to meet him there was a tiny pier on the right of the beach which ran into deep water and the boat made for this basil with his hands in his pockets stared at the yacht she was a graceful boat of some two thousand tons and her hull was painted white while her one funnel was darkly blue the chrysanthemum flag of japan streamed from one of her mastheads and she looked a singularly beautiful object as she rocked on the blue waters of the bay basil judged from her lines that she was swift but he had little time to take in much as the boat which approached at a furious pace was a small steam launch she came alongside the pier in a few minutes and how is my good friend dane asked akira hoisting himself up like a monkey and removing his cap you see i am here as promised they shook hands and basil thought that akira looked very workmanlike in his smart blue yachting dress a wiry brown lithe little man was the japanese keen-eyed and alert the most casual observer could see that if necessary he could make himself very disagreeable i am glad to see you again akira said basil come up to the house the count gave a few directions to the officer in charge of the launch and then placed himself at his friend's disposal all are well in your family i hope he remarked as they strolled up through the woods my uncle has broken his leg i regret to say indeed akira looked shocked i am very sorry how did it happen basil gave him a hasty description of the accident in fact akira he added with a puzzled look since you went away everything has gone wrong what do you mean asked the japanese quietly and his face became entirely devoid of emotion what i say my uncle broke his leg and has lost a lawsuit which he hoped to gain 
theodore and i have quarrelled and the house is as dull as tombs i hope miss carroll is not dull observed akira politely dane turned swiftly to observe the expression of the little man's face he had said more than he had meant to say on the impulse of the moment and now that he had said so much he deliberately said more apparently akira who was very sharp had noted during his visit symptoms of love-making it was just as well to let him know how matters stood for after all the japanese was not a bad little fellow miss carroll is engaged to marry me said basil drawing a deep breath i congratulate you but i am not surprised i saw much when i was here on my visit he paused then went on shrewdly i do not wonder that you have had a quarrel with your brother never mind that akira said basil hastily i really did not intend to tell you that it slipped out akira nodded you must permit me to send you and miss carroll a present from my own country when i reach it he remarked changing the subject it is very good of you i am sure miss carroll will be delighted when do you sail for the east to-morrow i have secured an excellent appointment at tokyo it is very good of you to anchor here and delay your journey said basil cordially and akira gave a little laugh as the young man spoke oh i had a reason he said coolly i never do anything without a reason dane i shall tell my reason to mr colster if he is to be seen oh yes he is out of bed although he has not yet left his room the leg is mending splendidly and he lies mostly on the sofa in his bedroom i am sure he will be delighted to see you and miss mara will she be delighted basil again gave a side glance but was far from suspecting why the remark had been made don't you make her dance any more said dane nervously no i promise you that i won't do that answered akira his face again becoming so unemotional that basil could not tell what he was thinking about but you have not answered my question here is mara to answer for herself said dane and he spoke truly for as they advanced towards the front door of the house it opened suddenly and mara flew out with sparkling eyes count akira i am so glad to see you again is that your boat what a nice boat she is when did you arrive and what are mara 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 remonstrated basil laughing how can the man answer so many questions all at once i would need gargantua's mouth as your shakespeare says observed akira with a quiet smile and his eyes also sparkled at the sight of the girl come inside akira and i will tell miss carroll said dane hospitably he stepped into the house but akira did not follow immediately he lingered behind with mara and after a glance at the many windows of the house he gave her hand a friendly shake but his words were warmer than his gesture for they were meant for mara's private ear while the handshake was for the benefit of any onlooker i have come you see you are glad and his black eyes looked volumes mara nodded and from being a pale lily became a dewy rose of course did i not promise to love you for seven lives your father will not understand that said akira dryly mara started will you tell him she asked anxiously the count bowed stiffly i am a japanese gentleman he said in cool and high-bred tones and so i can do nothing against my honour 
i cannot take you with me unless your father consents but he will not breathed mara becoming pale with emotion he will already this morning he has received a long letter from me which i sent from london it explains how i love you and asks for your hand but you are not of my religion whispered mara distressed he may object to that i think not as your father from what i see is of no particular religion himself i have a special license in my pocket we can be married to-day in your own church and by your own priest when we reach japan we can be married according to shinto rites but your family i have my uncle in london on hearing all about you he has agreed there will be no trouble with my family mara still nervous would have asked further questions and would have put forward further objections but that patricia made her appearance at the door she looked singularly beautiful although she was not so in akira's eyes he preferred the small features and colourless looks of mara patricia's face was too boldly cut and too highly coloured to be approved of by an oriental how are you count said miss carroll shaking hands very well and you but i need not ask miss carroll akira laughed in a very sympathetic way for him dane has told me oh patricia blushed i wish you all happiness and may you be united for seven lives what does that mean i know i know cried mara clapping her hands and jumping in japan we all believe in reincarnation and lovers promise each other to love during seven earth seasons but you are not a japanese mara said patricia wondering that the girl should so boldly couple herself with akira yes i am mara asserted decidedly my body is english but my soul is japanese i now know that i was amigo in the temple of kitsuki three hundred years ago and that i loved him she pointed to akira who smiled assentingly oh what nonsense said miss carroll rather crossly it is your imagination you silly child and then before mara could contradict her she turned to the count mr colpster wants to see you she remarked will you follow me i want to come also said mara and grasping akira's hand she went into the house they looked at one another adoringly and smiled at the bedroom door patricia left them as the squire had intimated that he wished to see akira privately miss carroll therefore desired to take mara downstairs with her but the girl refused to go i have to speak to my father also she declared obstinately and i must do so while the count is present as you please replied miss carroll finding it impossible to move the girl and knowing mara's obstinate disposition of old you will find me in the library when you come down with basil cried out mara mischievously and patricia looked back to give a smiling nod then the two entered the bedroom mr colpster was lying on the sofa near a large fire wrapped in his dressing-gown and looked thin since his illness had rather pulled him down he also appeared to be somewhat cross and shook at akira several sheets of blue paper with an angry air i received your letter this morning he said sharply and without greeting his visitor in any way that is good said akira politely it will save me the trouble of an explanation mr colpster i think not growled the squire 
i must know more and in any case i do not intend to consent oh father you must cried mara indignantly go downstairs child said her father quickly i wish to speak alone with this this gentleman but mara stood her ground what the count has to say concerns me she declared obstinately i shan't go colpster stormed vainly while akira looked on passively but nothing would move mara from the position which she had taken up she simply laughed at her father and in the end he had to yield a grudging consent to her remaining in the room and now sir he said when this was settled and again shaking the sheets of blue paper at akira i understand from this that you wish to marry my daughter mara of course it is quite impossible why asked akira calmly and holding mara's hand because you are not an englishman spluttered the squire if i was a frenchman or a german you would not object retorted the count coolly why not say that it is because i am not a european very good then i say it you are of the yellow race and mara is of the white marriage between you is ridiculous i don't think so sir mara looked at her father disdainfully i don't know why you talk so she said with a shrug i intend to marry count akira to-day and go away with him to-morrow to japan in our yacht our yacht indeed echoed the squire angrily and then stared at the pale obstinate face of his daughter framed in a nimbus of feathery golden hair oh you are a minx you never loved me i can't help that said mara doggedly i never loved any one until i met with the count i couldn't understand myself until i danced that night in the drawing-room danced the miko kagura what is that what is she talking about colpster turned to akira the count explained politely when i came here sir i noticed that miss colpster was greatly interested in what i had to say about my own country and often when i told her of things she said that she remembered them how could that be when she has never been out of england that is what puzzled me until i one night by way of an experiment and to convince myself placed on the fire some incense used in the temple of kitsuki and played on a flute the music of the miko kagura which is a holy dance miss colpster rose and performed it perfectly then all the past came back to her as she told me later what past demanded the squire much bewildered the past of her life in japan three hundred years ago oh that is rubbish it is true cried mara in a thrilling voice and raised her arms i was a miko of the kitsuki temple three hundred years ago that is why i remembered about the emerald when theodore sent me into a trance and for the same reason i could describe the shrine i loved the count then when we wore other bodies and i promised to love him for seven lives this time i have been born in england but he has come for me here and i am going with him to my native land oh you are quite mad said colpster furiously mad or sane let me marry her mr colpster pleaded akira from my letter you can see that i am going to occupy an excellent official position at tokyo and that i am of very high rank in japan besides being wealthy i love your daughter because i truly believe strange as it may seem to you that we loved three hundred years ago 
i have a special license in my pocket and if you consent we can go to your church this day and get married according to your religion when we reach japan we shall be married according to mine do you consent no it's ridiculous you have only known mara a few weeks i have loved her for three hundred years insisted akira smiling i don't believe in that rubbish mara seized her lover's hand i am tired of all this she said in her old fashion why can't you leave me alone i marry the count colpster saw that whether he gave his consent or not she would certainly do so and after all as he asked himself what did it matter mara had never displayed any affection for any single person since she had always lived in a dream world of her own now that he had decided to leave the property to basil and patricia on condition that they assumed the name of colpster mara was unnecessary finally it was certain that she would be happier in japan than in england since there was evidently no future for her in the west the squire did not believe in reincarnation all the same he admitted that mara's many oddities suggested that she was a soul born out of time and place but that his daughter should marry one of the yellow race offended the old man's pride he was just about to open his mouth and refuse permission again when akira spoke blandly if you consent said akira i will send you someone who can tell you who killed your housekeeper how do you know asked colpster startled i have been making inquiries in town consent and you shall know all and consent said mara stepping up to her father and bending to whisper in his ear or i shall tell the count that you have the emerald colpster turned white how do you know he whispered back i saw you slip it under your pillow one day it is there now if you don't let me marry the count he shall take it from you now the squire breathed heavily and dark circles appeared under his sunken eyes as mara stepped back to stand beside her lover he knew that his daughter did not love him or anyone else but he had never believed she would have spoken as she had done undoubtedly the theory of reincarnation was a correct one she was an eastern soul in a western body i consent to the marriage he said in cold dry hard tones you could go to the church on the moor and get the affair settled i cannot come myself but basil and patricia can go with you mara you had better tell your maid to pack your clothes since you leave to-morrow everything is already packed said mara turning at the door and looking cool and white and more shadowy than ever i shall come and say good-bye no don't shouted the squire as she went out you go also akira the count smiled blandly and walked to the door i shall keep my promise sir and to-night you will receive one who will be able to tell you the whole truth of what has puzzled you for so long when akira disappeared the squire tore up the blue letter and threw the pieces into the fire he had done with mara she was no longer any daughter of his and indeed she never had been always cold always indifferent a very shadow of what a daughter should have been he was well rid of her this traitress who would have surrendered the emerald colpster felt under his sofa pillow and pulled out the gem it was wrapped in paper and he unfolded this to gaze at it 
a knock at the door made him hastily smuggle it away again basil entered immediately and looked worried is it true uncle that akira and mara are to be married he asked abruptly quite true akira has brought down a special license go with patricia and see that all is shipshape but uncle george surely you don't want mara to marry a japanese what does it matter whether i give my consent or not mara will do what she wants to do there is some rubbish about reincarnation between them about loving for seven lives or for three hundred years i don't understand these things but what i do understand cried colpster with cold fury raising himself on his elbow is that mara does not love me and that i intend to cut her out of my will send jarvis to handle and tell curtis the lawyer to come over at once you will have the property basil and then can marry patricia theodore can go away i won't have him in the house after the way he has insulted your future wife as to mara she can go to the devil or to japan i never wish to set eyes on her again but what has she done asked basil bewildered the squire could have told him but did not intend to since that would mean revealing that the mikado jewel was under the sofa pillow never mind i am well rid of her and so are you and so are we all only see that this japanese marries her properly dane argued implored and stormed but all to no purpose his uncle vowed that if mara remained he would turn her penniless from the house and basil was sufficiently acquainted with his obstinate character to be certain that he would keep his word under the circumstances it seemed reasonable that mara should lie on the bed she had made and the young man making the best of a bad job went away to get patricia he would act as akira's best man and patricia could follow mara as her solitary bridesmaid whatever might be the outcome of this sudden arrangement basil determined to see that the marriage was legal and when he saw the joy and delight of mara and the lover-like attentions of akira he began to think that his uncle had acted for the best in the face of mara's obstinacy nothing else could be done although basil being a true englishman did not relish the japanese as a cousin-in-law all the same he approved of akira's fine qualities and knew that from a worldly point of view mara was making a brilliant match obeying instructions he sent jarvis for the hendle lawyer when with the prospective bride and bridegroom he and patricia were on their way to the quaint old church on the moor where so many colpsters were buried the clergyman could not disobey a special license so that was all right and he hoped to return later with the pair married indeed had basil possessed a special license himself he also would have stood before the altar with patricia but such things were far beyond the means of a poor lieutenant of his majesty's navy meanwhile the squire received curtis and made a new will which made no mention of mara and theodore but left the entire colpster estates to basil provided that he took the family name and married patricia carroll when the testament had been duly signed sealed and delivered the squire decided to keep it in his possession until the morrow so that he could show it to the young couple curtis wished to take it with him but colpster refused and finally departed without even a copy of the document however he promised to call the next day and take it with him for safety just as the lawyer departed theodore 
entered the bedroom. "'What's all this about?' he asked sharply. His uncle looked at him with a frown. "'What do you mean entering my room without knocking?' he demanded in his turn. "'I beg your pardon,' said Theodore with forced lightness, "'but everything seems at sixes and sevens since that infernal yacht came in. "'All the servants are getting themselves ready to go to the entertainment tonight, "'and I can't get anyone to answer my bell.' "'Wait until Miss Carroll returns and she will see to things,' said Colster indifferently. "'I can't be bothered.' where is miss carroll i have been in my room all day and when i came down i couldn't find anyone basil and patricia have gone to attend the marriage of mara and akira theodore stepped back and then stepped forward he could scarcely believe his ears have you allowed that he asked in consternation yes akira is a good match and mara loves him but he's a japanese what does that matter I don't believe in marriages between members of different races. Colster looked at him cynically. What the devil does it matter what you believe? I agreed to the marriage for two, or rather for three reasons. In the first place, Mara would have married in any case had I not consented. In the second, she threatened, if I did not agree, to tell Akira about the emerald, which he would then have taken from me. In the third place, Akira said that if I agreed, he would send someone tonight to tell me all about the murder of Martha and reveal the name of the person who did it. It was a priest with a scar on his cheek who did it, said Theodore in vigorous tones. Will he, Akira that is, send him? I don't know. Don't bother me, said the squire, turning over on his pillows. I'll see him when you are all out of the house. I'm not going to that infernal entertainment said theodore snappishly as i don't approve of mara marrying that yellow man i shall stay here and listen to what this emissary of akira's has to say oh do what you like do what you like only don't bother me said colpster again and very sharply clear out please all right theodore went towards the door only i want to say one thing curtis has been here have you cut mara out of your will yes although it is no business of yours when she marries akira she will have plenty of money well then i suppose said theodore shooting his arrow you know that patricia and basil are engaged yes i am aware of that and i wish them joy aren't you angry uncle theodore was astounded no why should i be i like patricia i fancy you loved her and wished to marry her colpster rolled over and glared fiercely he was annoyed that his secret should have been discovered by theodore of all people since he hated him so ardently i never did wish to marry patricia he said furiously and telling a smooth lie i look upon her as a daughter i have always looked upon her as a daughter when basil told me that she had consented to be his wife i was delighted i am delighted oh growled theodore wincing and thrusting his hands deep into his pockets so you brought curtis over to alter your will yes i have left everything to basil and patricia what about me theodore by this time was ghastly pale oh you can go to the devil said his uncle carelessly you insulted miss carroll so i pay you out the will cutting you off is here he patted his pocket 
before theodore could express the rage which consumed him there came the sound of advancing feet and the laughter of happy people the door was suddenly thrown open by basil and patricia entered followed by the bridegroom and the bride arm in arm english fashion allow me said patricia gaily and in a ringing voice to present to you mr colpster the count and countess akira End of chapter eighteen chapter nineteen of the mikado jewel by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 19. The Truth. With the early darkness of February came a spectacle to delight and astonish the homestaying folk of Beckley. Suddenly, at eight o'clock, when the entire household were gathered on the beach for transport in the launch to the yacht, the Miko became outlined in colored fire radiant and weird against the gloom in red and blue and yellow and green she flashed into being like a spectral flying dutchman never before had such a sight been seen in that quiet devonshire bay and loudly sounded the amazed voices of the servants praising the gorgeous illumination it was like magic to them and several were heard to express a hope that the devil was not on board the ship of light however the japanese officer in charge of the launch which puffed up spoke sufficient english to reassure them and they all embarked for an evening's revelry the bride and bridegroom with the two who had witnessed the marriage had long since gone on board mara did not intend to set foot on english soil again and had taken a final leave of her father colpster had not been unkind although his farewell had been rather cold but then the newly made countess akira was cold herself and rarely demonstrative so she did not mind in the least in fact patricia being a warm-hearted irish girl reproved her for the coolness with which she took leave both of her parent and of her childhood's home oh nonsense said mara with her usual cry i wish you'd leave me alone patricia i can't make a fuss when i don't feel the least sorry to go away but surely mara you are sad you leave your home your father your native land for ever it may be certainly forever and now that i know all about the past now that i am the count's wife i don't look upon england as my native land mara you surely do not really believe that you lived at kitsuki as a priestess centuries ago said patricia shaking her head i am sure that i did i was a miko which means the darling of the gods did count akira tell you that translation no i remembered it i spoke japanese ages ago i am beginning to recollect all manner of things and akira gave me a book of lafcadio hearns which contains a description of a miko kagura it is exactly what i danced on that evening and is precisely what i did when i was at the temple patricia asked no more questions the problem was beyond her she saw that mara firmly believed in reincarnation and on that belief based her sudden marriage with akira the little man had known her only for a few weeks and in the ordinary course of things would not have fallen in love with her so rapidly if indeed at all seeing that he was east 
while she was west therefore it really seemed as if what mara believed was true and that she had met her husband before in the province of izumo in no other way could the puzzled patricia account for the unexpected which had happened so quickly and she agreed with basil that it was just as well that mara had obtained her heart's desire in this strange way had she not met akira she would have gone on living in an unhealthy dreamland and perhaps as she grew older would have lost her reason but now she seemed to be a different girl as her formerly pale face was rosy with colour she looked less shadowy and strangest of all she took a profound interest in the entertainments provided for the beckley servants this was particularly odd for mara never when she was single troubled about pleasures of any kind and certainly took no interest in the likes or dislikes of other people but over this revelry she presided like a queen and for the first time in her strange life she appeared to be thoroughly happy after all said patricia to her lover who stood by her while a sailor was singing some legend to the music of the viva the count is a very charming and highly bred man oh yes assented basil heartily for having taken everything into consideration he now quite approved of the turn affairs had taken he is one of the best is akira as good and clever a chap as ever lived if you do want courtesy and good breeding you can find them to perfection in a japanese gentleman mara is lucky to get such a husband considering what a strange nature she has it is that very nature which has brought such a husband to her said patricia i hope and trust and pray she will be happy i think so akira adores her strange when he is east and she is west patricia shook her head mara would never admit that my dear only her body is west according to her her soul is eastern well remarked basil looking somewhat puzzled i don't know much about this occult rubbish of which we have had so much lately but i should think that the soul was of no country at all it comes on the stage of the world dressed as a native of different countries just as it is told as its karma calls it what the deuce is karma the accumulated result of good and evil and look here patricia interrupted the young man slipping his arm within her own i have had enough of this jargon and occult rubbish i half believe in it and i half don't at all events i don't think it is healthy for either you or i to indulge in such things let us live as two healthy people my darling as we have plenty of work to do in this world before we leave it you agree don't you of course i do i should agree if you propose to cut off my head i prefer to leave it on your shoulders laughed basil and slyly stole a kiss for they were standing in the shadow look at old sims how amazed he is at those japanese dresses they pressed forward to look some of the sailors were arrayed as samurai in antique armor of the middle ages of japan and were fighting with huge swords all round flashed the many-coloured lights and the little group of devonshire folk sat and stood in their homely dresses looking delightedly at the fairyland which had been brought before their astonished eyes the dresses the music 
the unusual food and the brown faces of the foreign sailors fascinated them greatly and indeed the spectacle was as pleasant to basil and patricia as to them in spite of the fact that they knew more of the world beyond beckley as to mara she was flushed with enjoyment and so deeply interested in the brilliant spectacle before her that she did not notice the absence of her husband but he had slipped away silently and was standing at the stern of the yacht speaking softly to an englishman the light of a near lantern would have shown anyone who knew him that the man was harry pentreddle and he was just getting ready to lower himself by a rope into a rowing boat which was fastened alongside you can get ashore in that whispered akira softly and later i shall send you the launch to fetch you i can row back again protested pentreddle you won't be able to get away quick enough said akira mysteriously away from what never mind do what i told you to do and bring me what i told you to bring me obey my instructions implicitly or there may be danger but i don't understand sir you understand enough for my purpose broke in the japanese smooth voice and you know why i ask you to go ashore to the hall to-night yes i know said harry grimly and spat on his hands as he prepared to grasp the rope you needn't go unless you like i can go myself well for answer pentreddle clambered over the taffrail and swung himself by the rope into the small craft below as he took the oars akira's voice was heard again even softer than before as he leaned over the side the launch will be waiting for you at the pier when you come out he said lose no time the boat shot away into the gloom while harry pentreddle wondered why the little man was so insistent about his getting away quickly from the hall after what had to be done was accomplished however the sailor being aware of certain facts was prepared to obey implicitly and rowed hard to reach the land there was no time to be lost as the entertainment would not last for ever and it was necessary that harry should come back to the miko before those on board returned to beckley hall it was a calm night but cloudy and threatening the rain of the last few weeks had stopped and fine weather prevailed but no stars were visible and the moon was veiled heavily as pentreddle beached his boat near the pier and dug her anchor into the damp sand he felt a breath of wind and looked into the semi-gloom to see that already white crests were forming on the waves afar off the miko looked like a fairy ship with her colored lights glittering against the darkness the wind was distinctly rising as pentreddle felt when he passed up the path to the hall and on glancing overhead he noted that the clouds were beginning to move already a few stars were revealed and there was an occasional glimpse of a haggard moon lying on her back it's going to be a nasty night said the sailor bad for those folk on board that yacht they'll be seasick he chuckled although he felt far from merry the errand he was on was too serious to be treated lightly and he was even nervous as to what would be the outcome of the same but he strode on resolutely nevertheless and was soon standing at the front door of the hall 
the building was in darkness save for one window on the second story near the angle of the wall pentreddle acquainted with the building ever since he could walk knew very well that this was one of the windows of the squire's bedroom on the other side of the wall there were two more for a moment pentreddle looked up at the light and noted that the tough arms of the ancient ivy grew up to the very sill of the window and afforded a ladder to anyone who wished to descend in that way he smiled grimly when he recalled this fact which might be useful and then opened the door it had not been locked as there were no robbers at beckley and bolts and bars were not attended to very particularly the hall should have had the central lamp lighted but pentreddle found the place entirely dark he did not mind this as he knew every inch of the way up to squire colpster's bedroom there he would find the old gentleman and he presumed that mr dane who had refused to come to the entertainment on the miko would be in his rooms at the back of the house he walked softly up the stairs as he did not wish to arouse theodore for reasons which he intended to impart to the old squire feeling his way in the darkness along the walls and wishing that he had brought a lantern pentreddle gained the second story and walked along the corridor towards the line of light which shone from under the bedroom door on arriving immediately outside he paused for a moment to listen a sound of struggling struck his ear and he became aware with a thrill that there was a fight going on between uncle and nephew considering colpster's age this was unfair so pentreddle dashed open the door and shot into the room intent upon taking side with the weaker party what's all this he shouted help harry help he's strangling me gasped colpster recognizing the voice oh help me help pentreddle did not waste any time in words he darted forward and gripping the shoulders of theodore who was holding his uncle down on the floor he spun him to one side the squire struggling to his feet clawed at the sofa to rise on seeing which dane who was crazy with rage tried to slip past the sailor and tackle the old man again ah would you cried harry who hated theodore fervently as indeed everyone did i'll show you and in a moment his sinewy arms were round the big man and they wrestled desperately theodore was ghastly white and his blue eyes blazed with unholy fire as between closed teeth he cursed his antagonist huge as he was the man had only that strength which comes with furious anger he was flabby and not at all muscular since he never exercised himself in any way half on the floor and half on the pillows of the sofa colpster watched the fight with breathless interest grasping in his hands a large envelope the two men swayed and swung round the apartment and theodore fought like a tiger but the wiry sailor was too much for him and gradually dane was forced to the floor where he lay struggling and kicking with pentreddle kneeling on his big chest harry hailed the half-fainting old man pull down that curtain cord near you squire and throw it over he panted dane gurgled and tried to curse but could not as pentreddle's brown hands gripped his fat throat colpster struggled across to the window and took with feeble hands the sunken rope which draped the curtains on one side at no great height from the floor he crawled back with it to harry 
who at once proceeded to bind theodore's arms behind his back and rolled him over for this purpose dane was so sick and breathless with the struggle and in such a bad condition for holding his own that he had to submit now the other rope squire commanded harry but seeing that the old man's strength had given out he darted across himself to the window and speedily brought back what he required in a few minutes theodore trussed like a fowl was lying on the floor face uppermost and regained his breath sufficiently to curse i'll have you arrested for this pentreddle he said viciously harry deigned no reply as he had to attend to colster on a small table near the bed was a decanter of port with some glasses and a dish of biscuits the sailor poured out a glass of the generous vintage and held it to the squire's lips he drank it eagerly and demanded more a second glass brought the colour back into his wan cheeks and the light of life into his sunken eyes shortly he was able to sit up on the sofa and harry arranged the pillows at his back but all the time colpster held on to the large envelope also he fished about feebly under the pillow and brought out the mikado jewel thank heaven panted the old man feebly he has got neither i'll get them yet you old beast growled theodore trying to break his bonds but vainly i'll have that will and burn it i'll get the emerald and sell it curse you and you too pentreddle what the devil do you mean binding me in this way i'll explain that to you later sir retorted pentreddle wiping his brow and taking a glass of port himself with your permission squire he said in a polite tone when he drank it you arrived just in time said the squire in stronger tones that wicked wretch would have killed me why asked pentreddle quickly he came up here and insisted that i should destroy the will i made in favour of his brother and miss carroll here it is and colpster passed along the large envelope take it harry and give it to basil when he returns it is not safe here shall i take the emerald asked harry putting the envelope containing the will in the breast pocket of his pea-jacket colpster snatched the gem to his breast and nursed it there like a baby no 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 he cried vehemently i can't part with that i'll die before any one shall have it but me give me some more wine still clutching the jewel he drank another glass of port and became quite strong again with the stimulant meanwhile theodore lay stiffly on the carpet cursing volubly harry kicked him shut your mouth said the sailor or i'll gag you i'll have you arrested for this repeated theodore impotently scowling that's all right said pentreddle and drawing a chair near the sofa he turned to the squire now sir we must have a talk what's the matter asked colpster in some alarm where have you been to and where have you come from i'll tell you sir if you'll listen on the night i left here that japanese akira followed me up the road when i was making for my friend and the trap on the moors ah theodore groaned that was why he went to bed early i knew that he was up to some game he pretended to go to bed and-and followed me quite right sir he did and he told me all about the murder of my poor mother what colpster gasped are you the person akira said he would send to tell me all that i wished to know 
pentreddle nodded grimly i am the person i went to london next day with count akira and he introduced me to a person who knew all about the murder i got it written down signed and witnessed in a proper manner then i came here with the count in his yacht and arrived just in time to save that devil he pointed to theodore from committing a second crime a second crime echoed the squire bewildered i don't understand it's a lie a lie howled theodore straining at his bonds if i were free i'd dash the lie down your throat and my teeth too you murdering beast said harry clenching his hands i i owe you one for the murder of my mother colpster sprang to his feet with surprising alacrity considering his late exhaustion murder did 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 he pointed a shaking finger at the mass on the floor did he murder martha yes said harry sadly it's a lie a lie muttered theodore again and again struggling fiercely it's the truth sit down mr colpster and i'll tell you all about it i have the document of an eye-witness signed and witnessed here he touched his breast pocket an eye-witness said colpster resuming his seat heavily yes that priest with the scar on his cheek i told you about who saw me watching the home of art he did it himself you fool roared theodore defending his lost cause so i thought and i was going out to japan to kill him but i know that you were with my mother on that night for the priest saw you enter the house by the window you tapped there and my mother let you in the priest was watching the house as he fancied the emerald might be there he got on to the balcony and peeped through the window he saw you struggle with my mother you brute and stab her then you left the room and hunted the house for the emerald when you came out the priest thinking you might have it waited at the gate and tried to seize you you escaped and he lost you in the fog but he retained hold of the white silk scarf you wore round your throat it is here pentreddle took a folded square of silk from his pocket and shook it out your name is in the corner your name in full hang you look squire look and harry his hands shaking with emotion pointed out the name theodore dane marked on the silk with blue thread you see sir he is guilty ah oh, the squire groaned as he saw the evidence of his nephew's wickedness and he laid the emerald on the table so that he could the more easily cover his face with his hands it's terrible terrible that one of my blood should be an assassin that one of my blood should be hanged oh he won't be hanged said harry refolding the silk scarf and replacing it in his pocket i am going to leave him to akira what what do you mean quavered theodore with sudden terror the young sailor walked over to him and looked into his face akira told me that he would attend to your punishment what he means i don't know but what i do know is that these japanese can make things very unpleasant for you i have heard of their ingenuity in torturing torturing theodore shrieked yes hanging's too good for you beast that you are oh harry don't don't let akira get hold of me 
screamed dane all his nerve broken down the law won't let him the law won't let him he won't trouble about the law he will send sailors ashore this very night and have you taken on board his yacht when you are on the high seas he'll deal with you no no theodore tried to kiss the man's foot and rolled over to do so harry spurned him you worse than devil try and be a man you murdered a poor weak woman and now you're frightened of your skin beast outside the wind had risen to wild fury the whole house was shaken by the gusts which came howling from the bay harry strode to the window and looked out he saw by the swaying of the festival lights that the miko was dragging at her moorings there was no time to be lost if he wanted to carry out his promise to the count colpster was lying limply on the sofa while theodore moaned and groaned on the floor on the small table beside the sofa gleamed the emerald which had brought about all the trouble let me be arrested and hanged i don't want to be tortured wailed the man on the floor did you kill my mother give me some wine and i'll tell you i shan't said harry then thought better of it and poured a glass of port down his enemy's throat now tell i really didn't mean to kill her said theodore and colpster raised his head to listen i followed martha up to london intending when she got the mikado jewel to make her give it to me why asked the squire looking very old and grey because you said that the one who produced the jewel would be your heir curse you shrieked theodore savagely you are the cause of all the beastly trouble i learned from martha in an indirect way that harry was coming and then i met him yes said the sailor bitterly and like a fool i told you too much you told me nothing said dane scowling your mother wanted the emerald for basil but i got into your room at the boarding-house you lived in at pimlico and i read your mother's letters you did yes she said that she would be alone on that night and would come to get the emerald i went to the house to see if she had left i knocked at the door but no one came so i went to the window and saw her lying on the sofa near the fire i called out to her and asked her to let me in she couldn't get off the sofa you fool cried the squire she could and she did i said that i had found out that harry had been killed by the japanese for the sake of the emerald then she crawled to the window and let me in you beast said pentreddle gritting his teeth you've told a lie martha would not have admitted me if i had not done so she got me into the room and then i insisted that she should give me the emerald she hadn't got it she wouldn't confess that she hadn't perhaps she feared lest i should intercept her messenger miss carroll on the way home and rob her of the jewel at all events she gave me to understand nothing and i really believed that the emerald was in her pocket i tried to get it then she brought out that damned stiletto and stabbed at me i wrested it from her and in the struggles somehow i drove it into her throat you intended to shouted the squire rising to shake his two clenched hands over the criminal i swear i did not panted dane it was really an accident when i saw what i had done i grew afraid i thought that i heard someone outside so you did 
interrupted harry sharply it was the watching priest if i'd known theodore scowled and his eyes gleamed in a most murderous manner but i didn't i saw that martha was dead or dying and opened the window to throw the stiletto into the area then i searched her clothing for the emerald and afterwards the bedrooms oh and you say you did not murder her raged the squire not intentionally i swear that i did not but seeing that she was dead it was just as well to hunt for what i wanted i found nothing so i came down and got out by the window just outside the gate someone that infernal priest as i now know snatched at my shoulder and grabbed my scarf i slipped him in the fog and-and that's all quite enough too you shall hang cried the squire no said pentreddle rising and making for the window he shan't hang he threw up the window and the fierce gale came howling into the room i shall call up akira's sailors shouted the young man don't don't screamed dane they'll torture me serve you right said his uncle fiercely you have brought shame and disgrace upon the family mr colster the squire turned as he heard his name mentioned and saw that harry had picked up the mikado jewel i take this back to akira you shan't you shan't it's mine and the old man dashed forward with outstretched hands while the wind drove wildly into the rooms a roar of laughter came from the bound man on the floor ha 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 he screamed uncle you're done for you're done for ha 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 give 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 whimpered colpster trying to seize pentreddle it is mine it is mine it belongs to the temple of kitsuki said harry backing towards the window i stole it and now i am going to return it i promised to do so if akira told me who murdered my mother keep back sir keep back theodore roared with laughter and twisted himself round to see what would happen colpster his eyes filled with mad anger dashed at pentreddle who evaded him dexterously and before the squire knew his intention slipped like an eel out of the window harry clambered down the ivy with the cleverness of a sailor and saw above him the wild despairing face of the squire while he heard the loud ironical laughter of the bound man the rain was coming down in torrents dashed here and there by the wind the sailor slipped and fell on his back but was up again in a moment and made for the beach he heard high above the sound of wind and wave the thin lamentations of colpster who saw the luck of his family being carried away forever pentreddle raced for the beach through the furious weather there he shouted as he stumbled towards the pier and immediately two japanese took him by the shoulders to tumble him boldly into the launch they seemed to be in a desperate hurry for scarcely had he got his breath when he found that the launch was plunging at full speed through the turbulent water what the devil is a hurry gasped harry shaking the water from his eyes the answer did not come from the japanese who were driving the boat out to sea at high pressure but from the land there was a low moaning sound which boomed like an organ note above the tumult of the elements it grew louder and more insistent and droned like a giant bee the mere sound was terrifying and harry saw the bronze faces of the sailors blanch with fear suddenly the note grew shrill like a cry of triumph 
and then came a loud crash which seemed to shake the earth far and wide he could hear even through the tempest the splashing of great fragments into the sea and the crumbling of mighty masses on the land then came a stillness and the wind dropped gradually to low whimperings the cliff has fallen said the japanese officer it is the earth spirit this said harry his face gray with terror and showed the mikado jewel flashing in the light of the lamps the sailors fell on their faces before its sinister glare only the officer unable to desert his post although his face was ghastly white and his limbs shook continued to steer the launch seaward End of chapter nineteen Chapter Twenty of the Mikado Jewel by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Twenty, A Further Explanation. The morning dawned raw and bleak to display the scene of the disaster in its most searching light. None of those who had come to the entertainment were allowed to go on shore during the hours of darkness basil indeed as soon as akira informed him of the catastrophe and akira seemed to know positively what had taken place even before the arrival of the steam launch with the news wished to see what had become of his uncle and brother but the japanese pointed out that fragments of the cliff were still falling and that it would be dangerous to venture as every hour or so the thunder of falling masses was heard dane considered that the advice was good and possessed his soul in patience until the dawn frequently during the night he lamented that he had not the searchlight of his own ship to see what extent of damage was done but of course such wishing was altogether vain as the mingo was large there was plenty of accommodation and the servants were persuaded to go below and sleep the women were very hysterical and the men greatly upset every one was devoted to the squire and hoped against hope that he had been saved but it was noticeable that no one troubled about theodore until that night basil had no idea how very unpopular his brother really was but he had not much time to think as the greater part of his time was spent in soothing patricia she felt the dreadful accident and its consequences much more than did mara that young lady neither wept nor expressed any great sorrow with a rigid face she stared into the gloom which veiled the home of her childhood and made scarcely any remark akira when harry came on board privately asked him if he thought that either colpster or his nephew had escaped i am certain they have not said pentreddle emphatically mr theodore was tied up and the last i saw of the squire he was at the window cursing me for taking away the mikado jewel ah yes you brought that away with you akira held out his hand harry produced the jewel which he had thrust carelessly into his pocket after his glimpse of it on the launch they all fell on their faces he told the japanese akira smiled in a peculiar manner no wonder when they saw the might of the earth spirit what do you mean exactly sir asked the sailor quite puzzled the count handled the jewel reverently and producing a sandalwood box carefully wrapped up the emerald and its jade setting in fine silk before placing it therein 
i mean that this jewel holds the power of the earth spirit and pulled down the cliff on those who had to be punished was his remark as he locked the box and put it away safely is this the punishment you intended for mr theodore for murdering my mother asked pentreddle with a faltering voice yes are you not satisfied i thought you would have taken him on board and tortured him akira drew himself to his full height which was not very great still in his indignation he contrived to look quite imperial i am a japanese gentleman and do not torture any one i knew that the cliff would fall as soon as you left the house and that those behind would be crushed but how could you make the cliff fall persisted harry the earth spirit brought the fall about through its power stored in the jewel of go yojo do you understand no said the bluff sailor frankly bewildered well then i can explain no more you must take it that there was an accident owing to the late rains the earth fell for that reason but you are revenged on your enemy now tell me all that took place harry did not require much urging and related everything akira listened in silence hi said he when the tale was ended this poor wretch was ready to commit a second murder so much evil we have saved him have you the will he spoke of yes pentreddle produced it from his pocket but akira did not offer to take it in fact he refused to touch it give it to mr dane as you have been instructed i am glad to hear that he will inherit the property i have a great opinion of mr dane and a better one of the charming young lady he is going to marry i'll give it to him said pentreddle and now sir what is to become of me if you please well said akira quietly as you have restored the emerald you are no longer in danger i give you your life also and because you obeyed my instructions so implicitly you can have these and he produced ten notes of ten pounds each one hundred pounds my friend i couldn't touch them sir it would look as though i wanted to take money for avenging my poor mother's death that is very creditable to you pentreddle but i don't think you need decline you have been useful to me and deserve payment thus persuaded harry gladly took the notes but as he placed them in his pocket he observed gloomily that he thought theodore dane had died in too easy a manner akira shook his head and rebuked him my friend that mr dane broke the great law and when next he is born he will have to pay back to your mother all he owes her by wishing to torture him as you suggested to me you are only preparing trouble for yourself he has been partly punished leave him as to the rest to the great law what is the great law as you sow so shall you reap said akira quietly i have heard that before sir it is in your sacred book my friend but few of your people in the west understand its real meaning they think that the master who said it takes the reaping on his own shoulders while they sit in happiness and see it done akira shrugged his shoulders a great many of these foolish ones will be undeceived when their karma is ripe karma the calendar rose and shook his head we must not talk on these subjects as i am no priest he said with a smile 
all i tell you is that you must obey the great law or suffer according to your breaking of it now go and give the will to mr dane pentreddle did so and when questioned as to how it came into his possession related all that he knew and how he had brought back the will to its rightful owner patricia was present when he explained and both she and her lover were horrified to hear that theodore had murdered the poor woman they questioned and cross-questioned him until he was weary and excused himself so that he might get a little sleep but there was none for the young couple if theodore is indeed dead it is a mercy said basil thankfully oh dearest dead in his sin oh said the young man rather cynically if one had to wait until theodore from what i knew of him was fit to die he would have become immortal no darling he added quickly catching sight of patricia's pained face i don't mean to be flippant god have mercy on his soul i say with all my heart but he was a thoroughly bad man well he is dead so let us think no more about him so they said and so they felt but throughout that weary night they continued to talk of the scamp also they referred regretfully to the death of the squire and patricia wept for the old man who had been so kind to her in the end grief and anxiety wore her out and she fell asleep on basil's breast they sat in a sheltered corner of the deck for miss carroll refused to be parted from her lover in the grey grim light they finally saw the ruin which had been wrought by the fall of the mighty cliff there were vast rents in its breast and it was by no means so high as it had been below was a tumbled mass of red rock beneath which not only the hall but the greater part of the grounds were buried that which had been beckley was now a thing of the past for in no way could that enormous quantity of rubble and rock and sand and stone be lifted the whole formed a gigantic tumulus such as of yore had been heaped over the body of some barbarous chief squire colpster and his wicked nephew certainly had a magnificent monument to mark the place where they reposed amidst all that fallen rock it was impossible to rebuild the hall or to reconstruct the grounds we have the income said basil while he stood on deck with his arm round patricia's waist looking at the ruin but our home is gone for ever patricia shuddered i am sorry of course for it is such a lovely place was such a lovely place my dear yes yes but i always felt afraid when in the hall i felt certain that some day the cliff would fall it always seemed hostile to me it was only hostile to two people said the quiet voice of akira behind them the man who murdered for the sake of the emerald and the man who set in motion the causes which brought the emerald to beckley both have paid for their sins whatever do you mean count i shall tell you and dane when we go ashore said the japanese calmly in the meantime come down and have some breakfast you look faint miss carroll and it is time that you restored your strength go down and see my wife and she will look after you when patricia descended the companion akira turned to basil excuse me dane he said courteously but this fall of the cliff has robbed you of your home you will want money allow me to be your banker thank you but there is really no need said basil hastily i have five or six pounds in my pocket 
enough to take myself and miss carroll to london once we are there i shall see my uncle's lawyers about the will and get them to advance what i require but all these servants who are homeless they can go to their various relatives and friends i shall get the lawyers to send money for them don't be afraid akira i shan't neglect my people for they are mine now you know unless he cast a hopeful glance at the scarred face of the cliff no both the squire and your brother are dead they will lie under that mighty pile of earth to the end of time unless some high tide washes it away of course i mean their sheaths will their souls are now reaping according to the sowing come to breakfast basil descended and with patricia and the bridal couple had an excellent breakfast which was much needed it was useless to sorrow for the dead to the extent of starving for them for basil had seen very little of his uncle for many years and certainly had no cause to mourn for theodore as for mara she was as cool and composed as ever and ate so well that no one would ever have believed that she had just lost her father it is no use crying over spilt milk she said making use of her favorite proverb and although both her cousin and patricia considered that she was decidedly heartless they could not deny the good sense of the saying she invariably quoted as an excuse for her indifference but she was not sufficiently hard-hearted to remain behind although her feeling may have been merely one of curiosity for she came on deck cloaked and gloved and with her hat on ready to join the party akira promptly told her that he did not wish her to go and as his slightest wish was law to her she obeyed the yacht was to sail somewhere about noon so there would be no chance for basil and patricia to come on board again nor did they want to seeing that at present they had so much to think about so they said good-bye to the countess akira and departed along with the melancholy household that had now no home the launch took them ashore under what seemed an ironically sunny and blue sky after the late rains and storms it was cheerful to see the water of the bay sparkle in the sunlight but alas beckley was as ruined as ever was pompeii and in future the fairy bay would only be stretched out before a desolate scene patricia almost wept when she saw the ruin of the beauty spot not a vestige of the house was to be seen it was crushed flat under tons of red earth while nearly down to the water's edge great sandstone rocks and much rubble had smashed the trees and obliterated the flower-beds and over the gigantic heaps of debris the mighty cliff still soared rent and scarred although not to its original height early as the day was many people both men and women were moving amongst the rubbish seeing what they could pick up but there was absolutely nothing to be found the enormous fall of tons and tons of earth had pulverized beckley into dust it was like the ruins of a prehistoric world many people came down when they saw the approaching launch amongst them relatives of the servants together with friends these took charge of the homeless wanderers and gradually the whole household disappeared up the winding road to find shelter before they departed basil informed them that within a week he would return to handle and attend to their needs as he had inherited the property although the young man was a favorite the dispossessed were too miserable to raise a cheer and departed with sad faces and hanging heads 
their world was in ruins and save what they stood up in all were without money or home but the promise made by their new master that he would look after them cheered them not a little akira after he had walked round the desolation with basil and patricia asked them to return to the pier here he had seats brought up from the launch and they sat down to hear what he had to say his first speech rather surprised them used as they were becoming to the happening of the unexpected i am sorry that all this has occurred he said seriously waving his hand towards the ruins but i had to bring it about they looked at one another and then at the speaker believing and with some reason that he was crazy how could you possibly bring it about asked mr dane in a sceptical tone the mikado jewel brought it about oh patricia winced are you going to talk more of this occult nonsense can you call it nonsense in the face of this miss carroll that is an accident owing to the late rains quite so and that is what the world will consider it but i can tell you differently it happened because the mikado jewel was in the house it was not said basil imperatively and would have gone on talking but that patricia stopped him it was in the house she said quickly only mr colster poor man asked theodore and myself to say nothing about it basil cast a glance at the red heaps then it is buried under this rubbish he said disdainfully for all its occult power it couldn't look after itself i looked after it said akira quietly it is now on board the yacht and i am taking it back to japan to restore it to the temple of kitsuki how did you get it akira pintreddle by my desire took it from the squire when he went last night to accuse theodore your brother of murder he did not tell me that said basil involuntarily i asked him not to as i wished to tell you myself i am sorry to bore you with occult talk miss carroll but i think you would like to understand the reason for the jewel being at beckley at all you sent it to mr colster yes i did to punish him for daring to have it stolen from kitsuki but he didn't wish it stolen he was angry that harry should steal it akira waved his hand mr colster was the original cause of setting in motion the causes which led to mrs pentreddle's death to his own death and to that of his nephew he believed that the jewel would bring back luck instead of that it brought that and he pointed to the ruins basil looked helplessly at the speaker my dear fellow i am quite in the dark as to what you are talking about listen and i shall explain something of what i tell you has been told to you before but something i now tell you is new he drew a long breath and continued i don't expect you to believe all i say we'll try said basil ironically go on mr colster wished for the mikado jewel said akira deliberately and so he employed you dane to offer money for it mrs pentreddle heard from her late master that he intended to give the property to the nephew who brought back the jewel she hated theodore and loved you so as her son was going to japan she asked him to get the jewel in a way which she told mr colster but which i need not repeat he stole it and got away with it but he was followed and watched 
the priest of the temple told the government at tokyo and i was deputed to see if the jewel could be recovered i went to kitsuki and saved your life when you came to offer money for the gem and thank you for doing it akira said basil heartily all right i was only too pleased since the information you gave me about the emerald having been presented to one of your queens helped me to unravel the mystery several attempts were made to get the gem from pentreddle while he was in japan but all failed i therefore sent two men to watch for the arrival of his ship in london and followed myself i knew that i had made you my friend and intended to come to beckley if it was necessary when i arrived in london i found that pentreddle was trying to give the jewel to his mother and learned through his hanging round the house that the old lady was staying at the home of art in crook street and you had that watched i suppose of course replied akira serenely a man with a scar on his cheek who was an attendant in the temple of kitsuki watched that house then i learned where pentreddle was boarding in pimlico and my second man gained access to his room his letters which he left about were read and i learned that his mother intended to meet him at the serpentine in the way we know of i followed him when he went to keep the appointment what cried patricia was it you count who snatched the jewel from me yes i noticed that pentreddle passed you the box and followed you i fancied you would take the box home but you sat down to examine it it was the strange strong power which made me open the box i wanted to see what caused the power i fear answered akira rather ironically that your curiosity was not gratified however as the power still radiated from the stone keeping off all things that would hurt it i reversed the power or rather stopped it altogether how did you manage that asked basil doubtfully akira shook his head i cannot tell you i dare not it is a secret and even if i did you would only laugh since you do not believe in these sort of things i knew the necessary mantra to say and said it he looked at patricia with a smile you felt the difference yes she nodded with a look of something like awe then you snatched it of course and the jewel being recovered i would then and there have taken it back to japan but for the murder of mrs pentreddle theodore did murder her then said basil in a low shamed voice oh yes and in the way her son told you my man with the scar saw the crime committed and secured the scarf as evidence with the name of your brother marked in the corner bad as theodore was said basil drawing a deep breath i am glad that you did not shame the family by denouncing him akira smiled at him in a friendly way of course you are my friend he observed also i wish to find young pentreddle i came down to beckley as you know and left instructions to my two men to send down the jewel to mr colpster but before leaving london i reversed the power but i don't see i do not expect you to see my dear man interrupted akira quickly but the jewel arrived with the power reversed yes patricia nodded again i felt it and she shivered well then akira glanced at his watch there is little more to tell i simply waited while the jewel did its work of loosening the cliff all the time it was in the house it was drawing those tons of earth down on the place 
i heard in the drawing-room that night that mr colpster was going to speak to pentreddle and pretended to go to bed instead of doing so i got out of the window and intercepted him on the winding road i then told him that i could prove who killed his mother and sent him to wait for my arrival in london he went the next morning i came on later and then i made my man with the scar tell him everything pentreddle left me with a full statement signed by my man and witnessed as your brother is dead and it is useless to make a scandal said akira glancing at basil i got that document from him last night and burned it dane leaned forward and shook the hand of the japanese i am greatly obliged to you he said with emotion why said akira in a friendly manner there is no reason that you should suffer for the sins of others that would not be fair besides i wish you to give miss carroll a clean name now then do you wish to know any more as i must up anchor and steam for the east how many people know that my brother committed this murder i do and my two men as we are going away for ever and will hold our tongues you need not fear us harry pentreddle will say nothing as he respects you and miss carroll too much besides i gave him one hundred pounds to get married on so when he is happy himself he will not wish to make others unhappy the squire was the only other person who knew and he is dead your name is quite safe thank god for that said basil reverently and took off his hat one question more said patricia rising what did you mean when you told me that you now knew why you had come to beckley it was because of mara explained akira gravely she was formerly a priestess in the temple of kitsuki and for some reason the spirit of the earth whose spell was on the emerald wished to bring her to my arms we had promised to love for seven lives you know for this reason the theft of the mikado jewel was permitted but for that pentreddle would have been kept back by the radiating power even i with no ill intent had to reverse or rather break the power before i could take the gem from you but then i know the spell and what is the power contained in the stone now akira hesitated i told you that the jewel was left on board he said but that was not true i brought it with me he produced the box from his pocket and took from it the jewel the great stone blazed with green lustre in the sunlight take it in your hands miss carroll patricia did so while basil looked at the gem curiously he had never seen it before suddenly patricia cried out with delight oh yes i feel the warmth and the light and the power streaming out from every petal imagination said basil impatiently and took the stone i can feel nothing of what you describe the count carefully replaced the jewel in his box you are not psychic i never wish to hear that word again said basil fervently i don't think you will replied akira dryly and slipped the box into his pocket well now i shall say good-bye and from japan i shall send you my wedding present be kind to-morrow said patricia imploringly be sure of that she is a sacred thing to me was she not the miko of kitsuki and did not the earth spirit bring her to my arms he changed his reverent tone for a matter-of-fact one good-bye dane akira held out his hand then suddenly drew it back there is one thing i should like to add 
so that you may guess that i am not in favour of killing innocent people i gave my entertainment so as to lure you dane and you miss carroll together with all your servants on board the yacht out of harm's way therefore mr colpster and the assassin were left to their fate alone in the house but pentreddle asked basil shuddering akira looked towards the winding road up which harry was slowly climbing i had to send him to get the jewel he remarked but i warned him of the danger and he escaped now that is all i have to tell he added quickly seeing that patricia was about to ask another question good-bye both of you once more they shook hands gravely all round then akira jumped into his launch and it steamed away in a great hurry as usual basil and patricia set their faces landward and picked their way over the loose rocks in a short time and walking above the grave of uncle and cousin they gained the clear space of the winding road here they came face to face with mrs lee who was toiling down all alone ha she said with a chuckle so it's you mr basil the old creature nodded i told him he would be crushed as flat as a pancake if he allowed it to come into the house he did like a silly fool and now he is buried under all that rubbish she pointed her staff disdainfully downwards who did you tell this to granny asked basil who knew her well to your brother theodore bless you dearie he often came to consult me i didn't like him though as he brought such bad ones with him what is the it you meant questioned patricia wondering if mrs lee had any knowledge of the fatal jewel it appeared that she had not ah lovey they didn't tell me that all i knew and all i told him was that it would crush him as flat as a pancake she looked at the tumbled red earth and chuckled maliciously <laughs> and it has dearie it has a grave for an emperor that is i don't believe these things granny said basil placing patricia's arm within his own here's a shilling bless you dearie may you never want bread croaked the old crone biting the shilling before tying it up in a corner of her apron then she faced them and waved a circle thrice which she crossed once the sign of power to bring you luck my dears she explained wagging her head but bless you both ye ain't wicked to the marrow as he was drat him i can see your future bright and fair her eyes became fixed as she spoke and she looked into the viewless air you'll both be happy all your lives for sorrow is ended and the debts of fate are paid money and children and rank and lots of good staunch friends all that you desire will come to you and the poor will bless you evermore so be it and let it be after which weird speech the old creature toddled down the hill with a senile laugh what do you make of that basil asked patricia when they reached the top of the winding road and came in sight of the carriage which was to take them to hendle railway station well said the young man reflectively after what has taken place i dare not disbelieve in many things i hope that what granny says will come true my dear basil amidst all his trouble turned to catch her in his arms i am sure that with such a darling as you are for my wife everything is entirely feasible and possible if the emerald of amyas colpster brought luck to no one it certainly has done so to me and now let us drive to hendle and catch the evening train to london to-morrow we must get married 
it seems heartless when your uncle is just dead sighed patricia but i have no home to go to and no one but you you shall stay at the home of art and when i marry you my dear mrs sellers shall be the bridesmaid come my darling the sound of a gun stopped them before they could take a single step towards the new life which spread out so brightly before them they turned to see the miko standing out to sea with the black smoke pouring from her funnel as they waved their handkerchiefs the yacht dipped her ensign and fired a second gun then they saw her turn her nose seaward and steam direct for japan and the boat was carrying the mikado jewel after it had fulfilled its mission in the west back to its shrine in the temple of kitsuki in the province of izumo end of chapter twenty end of the mikado jewel by fergus hume